Hello and welcome to episode six of Black Pill Digest. Today is April 29th, 2023. And guys, what a show we have planned for tonight. Thank you for tuning in. Um, tonight's topic, as some may know, or today uh, we're going to be talking about technocracy. The technocracy, as defined by Patrick Wood, is the social engineering through technology. Now, as a little disclaimer, with you know, now with, with these broadcasts, Sean and I endeavor to expose some of the worst behavior and tactics of the villainous scumbaggery who consider themselves in charge. This is not the entire purpose or mission of this show. We do this in order to encourage you, our viewers and listeners, to take the necessary steps that you, that you may need to take in order to build upon your confidence while navigating this supposed hellscape. This show is not just about the dark and gloomy aspects of the world, although that is the primary focus, but also we want to emphasize that we endeavor to bring the darkness into the light. So this time around, uh, we're planning on, we planned on beginning by focusing on the solutions to tonight's subject, which again is technocracy. Uh, but don't worry, don't worry. We will not be leaving out the mechanisms being employed to further put us into a condition of slavery. Uh, we, in a weird turn of events, we are, um, we are patiently awaiting our guests at the moment. Uh, these live shows don't always go as planned, but that's okay. We'll roll with the punches. Tonight's guests uh, that we have planned are Derek Bros and Dr. Hans Utter. But first, let's say hello and give a warm welcome to the co-host of Black Pill Digest, Sean McCann. <laughs> Greetings, everybody. I'm very glad to be part of this episode and uh, that we can bring this to you because technocracy is the all-encompassing, like it, we are the fish and it is the water that we're swimming in. And if we're not aware of it, then we're going to get swallowed up. And uh, I mean, it starts, it starts with, oh, make it easy for you. And in the end, uh, it turns into a real black pill. And so, you know, we need to take a look at it. Um, I'm very glad that Derek is going to be joining us. Um, he's a couple seconds, like he will be here. I just spoke with him on the email. And um, uh, he wrote a book, How to Opt Out of the Technocratic State. He wrote this before this latest rollout of tyranny in 2019. And you know, the writing is on the wall. We can all view it. I mean, Derek has, everybody should already know about Derek's work, uh, the conscious resistance network.com. Uh, he's uh, a pillar in the community, uh, helping people get free from the mind chains that, that we're all being enslaved by. Um, and anyway, we are very glad to have Derek here to help with some of his solutions for how to become free because these freedom solutions, they solve more problems. I mean, the, what, 
to break free of the technocratic state is also to break free from all the chains of their enslavement. Mm. Um, and it's great to have him here because he's an agorist, a voluntarist, and he, uh, he speaks the same, he has the same voice as, as us. He, we have, uh, he has a similar, uh, goal and will to, and, um, so we are happy to highlight his work here today and uh we're oh, and hans as well very glad to have hans here uh he's a little bit late as well but that's no worries um he uh is very he's known uh he's taught us a lot about the um cybernetics of how they connect to our mind and how the uh they can train our minds to be controlled um i've learned a lot from hans in this regard and that's why i'm glad to invite him to the show today so i believe that today's conversation will be fantastic i look forward to it um let's start with a clip if you'd like uh do you have the astro boy we can start with that start start light yeah. <laughs> by the end oh my god people <laughs> just yeah. Just wait. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so what we're gonna dive into now is kind of a, a, a primer for the topic, and we get this from a movie that was released back in two thousand and nine uh, for children. It's a movie called Astro Boy, and this was an anime previously of the nineteen eighties, early nineties. And so Astro Boy has been around for a while. This theme has been around for a while. But the 2009 release of this movie um, highlights in a special way what we might have to look forward to uh, if this kind of chain of events plays out. So let's take a look at that. And uh, we'll see you guys on the other side. This clip is just over 16 minutes. So we got some... Got some goodies here. <laughs> Thank you, James. The following is a clip from the first two minutes of the movie Astro Boy, released in 2009. Oh, I'll play the uh, clip in its entire. I just wanted to say that we got this from uh, uh, Bit Shoot. What's the name of the Bit Shoot? The Nims? Nims. N I N Z. Okay. And, uh, and uh, we're not absolutely certain if he's the original, if he's the progenitor of this, right. uh, of this video. He may. This channel may have found this video someplace else and posted it themselves, but this is where I found the video. So, right, and it, en it encapsulates the the idea very well. And we thank them, and uh, they did a very the, the gentleman did a very fine job. And here we are highlighting it. Today. Oh, and the, and our discussion fall this falls under fair use. So fuck you, you. <laughs> thank you. Welcome. And then we'll analyze its content to show its relevance to today's society and the planned world of tomorrow. Here we are, floating peacefully in the sky, Metro City, the jewel in the crown. Beautiful, isn't it? But how did we get here? A century ago, the founders of Metro City, seeing our world was changing, took Mount Sophia and lifted it out of the earth and into the sky to be an oasis, a floating paradise. We don't really know what happens these days on the strange and mysterious surface we left behind. But life in Metro City is better than ever, thanks to our friends, the robots. 
Robots do our shopping. They cook for us. They serve our meals. They take good care of us. They even do the really important things, like reminding us to call mom on her birthday. Whether it's raising our children, building our buildings, taking care of our city, or making sure we're all fit and healthy, for these guys, no job is too big or too small. Plus, robots do a lot of the things that, frankly, we just don't want to do anymore. Oh, no! Don't worry, folks. That street will get clean. The best and brightest of them get picked for the more exciting tasks. This lucky guy is starting the first day at his new job. And it's all thanks to this man, Dr. Tenma, head of the Ministry of Science and father of modern robotics. Thanks to him and the incredible innovations. Hey, Toby, isn't that your dad? Is it sure is. Hush. Our friends, the robots, help us. Thousands are created every day and thousands are disposed of in the great unending cycle that sustains life in our great city. Thanks for everything, guys. May you rest in peace. <laughs> the scientist responsible for this robotic society, Dr. Tenma, in the past had lost his son and decided to create a robotic replacement, Astro Boy. Tenma is a Japanese word often associated with the word demon. In other words, this society where robots and AI will rule our lives inside and out was created by a demon. The movie begins by telling us that in the future, we will be living in large isolated cities. The 15-minute cities where everything you need is within walking distance and life is so wonderful. The dystopian cities of the future, commonly seen in movies today. Outside the city walls lay the badlands where no one ever goes, a horrible, unforgiving landscape with a poisonous atmosphere. This is pure indoctrination into the idea that living in a metropolitan area is safe and secure and everything outside the walls of the cities are dangerous, scary places. It is the foundation of the New World Ideology and the Great Reset and Agenda 2030. The idea that you will own nothing and you'll be happy, as we can see from this promotional ad from the World Economic Forum. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. You'll notice that throughout this ad, they are not speaking in terms of predictions or guesses. They are making statements regarding life in the future, where a handful of people will dominate the world and enslave the rest to their will, using nanotechnology to control our minds. AI and robotics will be our masters and do everything for us, and we will be enslaved to a technocracy that controls every aspect of our lives. We will be bound to a social credit system, already being used in China, where good behavior is rewarded with more freedoms and the occasional treat and behavior which goes against the rules of this new society, such as jaywalking or making statements on the internet criticizing the system, will be punishable by lower credit scores and less freedoms, making life unbearable to anyone who likes to think for themselves. They're constantly monitored by facial recognition cameras that are able to instantly put a face to a name. Now the Chinese are also ranked, given a mark out of a possible 950 points. A score in the 700s is considered good, around the 500 mark is not. For now, the number is a sort of bank credit rating, keeping track of everyone's spending habits. I think being ranked is a good thing. A society has to have rules. It forces us to be well-behaved. It may seem scary, but it's just like that here. We're used to it, and anyway, we don't have a choice. <laughs> but in an effort to keep all of its subjects in line, 
Beijing is taking the system a step further in 2020. It's aggregating data gathered by banks, private companies and the state to rate if someone's a good or bad citizen. By using the most data possible, the so-called big data, the system will play an important role in rebuilding a moral society. The state will go over every detail of a person's life with a fine-tooth comb. Their financial situation, spending habits, career, even behavior on social media. Criticizing the government online or displaying outward signs of wealth is a no-no. On the other hand, raising the party or giving blood increases your social credit. Xiao Wen Wang is a model citizen. She lives in Nanjing, a testing ground for social ranking. Married with a child, she has a job in a retirement home, no debts, and she wouldn't dream of jaywalking. As a good citizen, I respect the rules of the road. If I didn't, I'd lose points on my social credit. In theory, everything can be taken into account in the social score, even the most innocuous errands like supermarket shopping. When Xiao Wen Wang makes an electronic payment, her purchases tell the state a lot about her. Buying cigarettes would count against her. On the other hand, nappies show she's an attentive mother. Beer could indicate alcoholism. She'd be better off buying water. In this pilot city of 8 million people, there are only 18,000 model citizens. For Xiaowen Wang, there are perks to be had, such as paying half price for the bus. I get discounts for all public services, even at museums. And the library is free for me, thanks to my school. A good score brings benefits, but people with low scores lose rights. The cinema names and shames people considered untrustworthy plastering their details, even their addresses, across big screens. It's a matter of principle. Those people have to be condemned. Those people aren't honest, so they have to pay the price. It's only right to pay your debts. You have to blacklist those that don't. The Supreme Court has created a blacklist for so-called bad citizens, those whose ratings have dropped to zero. On it are companies, but also 23 million people to date. Among them is this journalist Liu Hu. He got a little too close to uncovering corruption among high-profile party members. After being sued for defamation by the subject of a story he'd written, he was blacklisted. He only realized when he tried to buy a train ticket and was told he was banned from traveling. That tells me I'm still on the blacklist. Punished because he's been branded untrustworthy by the state. Once you're blacklisted, you can no longer get a bank loan, start a business, buy an apartment, or even send your children to a private school. Yu Hu is among a tiny minority of people who have dared to criticize the system, which some are calling a digital dictatorship. I worry, because I think many people like me will be deprived of individual freedoms, and all of us will live with restrictions of one kind or another. After our meeting, Yu Hu learned that his name had been removed from the blacklist, but he still has a long way to go if he doesn't want to languish at the bottom of the social credit hierarchy. These ideas might be foreign to most, but it's already reached the minds of our youth, and the indoctrination is clearly evident in this lecture given by a young university student praising the merits of this dystopian future paradigm. How would life look like 
with no belongings, no commodities, no wallet, no assets or property. A world where the only things you can buy are services and experiences. Let me take you to a day in a life in this kind of future. I live in a complex, a place with everything I need to live, work, and play. Like a lot of my friends, I prefer the co-living housing because of the round-the-clock services they offer. Once in a while, I might choose to cook for myself. I subscribe to a food service that sends me fresh ingredients from a farmer nearby, carefully selected based on my culinary preferences. Oh. What if she does it? What I'm if they choose to give her something else? To the premium organic service everybody's talking about, cooked by a famous robot chef. I subscribe to most of my clothes. Every morning, subscribe they arrive to your at clothes. my window port with a drone. I can wear something different each day of the year if I want. I'll be cold the if the robot day, breaks. <laughs> I'll drop them to be picked up by the drone. I 3D print my jewelry. Actually, this is something I already do. If I have a special occasion, I might 3D print a dress designed especially for me and custom shoes based on a scan of my feet. Once the event is over, I'll simply drop them in the recycling bin. The material will be recycled <laughs> into its original state. Oh. My apartment has no closets no washing machine or dishwasher. I don't need to worry about mortgage, maintenance, or even renovation once in a while, because furniture and decor became services too. Once we have kids, we'll probably subscribe to a baby equipment and toy service. This is unbelievable. Every couple so weeks, the toys will be swapped and we will receive fresh ones, sterilized, of course, based on my kids of course <laughs> right yes yeah. but they have to wear a mask if they're going to play as my needs change when i move from city to city if they don't wear a mask your social dance, credit score goes down i can stay for a year exactly then month, they don't get food that night or, even just or clothes days when i travel i don't need to pack anything the things I normally use will be waiting for me wherever I land. Yeah, that's human trafficking. It works great. <laughs> this new world might raise some concerns, such as how will it feel like not owning anything at all? Slavery? <laughs> will that make me homeless? Oh, wow. How will we stay in touch if we're moving around all the time? Maybe we'll hang out using a mixed reality service. <laughs> Maybe you will fuck yourself. Yeah, right. Maybe we'll hang out. I'm not exactly hanging out with her. And gone when we don't. They will be accessible, affordable, and shareable, providing higher quality and personalized experiences tailored especially for me. So when you go home and you walk through your front door, take a second and ask yourself. But it's not your front door I anymore. A little less. Would that give me a little more freedom, a little more time and peace of mind? Some may ask whether I might feel untethered by not owning anything at all. I tell them I feel the opposite. 
I feel a deep connection to our ancestors, like a primeval nomad who owns nothing, curious, adaptive, ready to hit the road and explore the unknown, making room for collecting experiences rather than things. Own less, but have much more. At a quick glance, it might seem like a good idea, especially through the eyes of a young adult who just wants to travel and have fun. But the truth behind this sinister plot is a nightmarish techno-dictatorship with 24-hour surveillance and monitoring, and an end to all personal freedoms. This idea that you will be traveling and exploring the unknown is a fantasy. The fact is that the only people who will be able to travel are the ones who put these ridiculous ideas in the minds of our youth. Most humans will be confined to the cities and will be brainwashed to be afraid to leave the confines of these safe havens, as it clearly states in the Astro Boy video, where they know nothing of this strange and mysterious place they left behind. This plan is well underway, and for many years now, China has been building cities to accommodate this concept. They call them ghost cities, as no one lives there yet. Entire cities built and functioning and maintained with no residents. When you walk around these ghost cities, what are your thoughts? <laughs> um, <laughs> what are my thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I'm just I'm gobsmacked. I mean, I'm, I'm gobsmacked that there are so many malls and, and empty apartments just standing vacant, and yet they're still building more. It, it just it doesn't seem to make sense. Hong Kong-based financial analyst Gillam Tullock says neither he nor the world has ever seen anything like the phenomenon of China's ghost cities. They've constructed huge uh, residential areas with shopping malls, etc., and no one's moved in to live in them. Just because you build it doesn't mean they'll come. Clearly, they're not coming. No, I mean, 700 million people in China live on less than $2 a day. They simply can't afford these. And that's why these apartments are sitting empty, because there's no one who can afford to live in them. Obviously, China is not spending hundreds of billions of dollars building cities to accommodate the poor, which they already know cannot afford to even live there. These cities are being built to accommodate the small population which will be left after the depopulation agenda which is presently underway has reached its final destination of a manageable 500 million people which will then be confined to these isolated metropolitan areas where, as the movie states, AI and robotics will shop for us, grow and cook our food, raise our children, build our buildings, clean our streets and control virtually every aspect of our lives, including making sure we are fit and healthy. No job is too big or too small, as we can see in this disturbing visual of nanotech being injected into our blood and taking over our entire body. They were indoctrinating our youth to believe that this new injection being relentlessly imposed on the entire population of the world today is good for us. That this mRNA so-called vaccine which is genetically modifying our body and replacing parts of our body with AI technology, which will then be able to control our thoughts and behavior and even be able to insert and remove memories from our brain, not to mention constant real-time monitoring of our bodily functions and 24-hour surveillance and tracking of our movements, as well as RFID integration of our monetary system, will make our lives so much better. This is the dystopian future planned not only for all of humanity, but all living things on earth. Unless, of course, we find a way to stop this insanity from destroying all life on earth. Thanks for watching.
All right. Anyone interested in figuring out who that woman <laughs> is? Her name is, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing this, but her name is Orit Dolev. And, um, the Ted talk woman, right? Yeah. Ted X at Schenker college. Uh, and that, that full video is available on YouTube. So we're trying to patch Derek in right now as anyone watching. Can you hear us, Derek? Hello. And, um, perhaps, uh, little technical difficulties. Well, I just wanted to, while you're doing that, I just wanted to say that, uh, that clip is a very good overview of the whole situation. Uh, the fact that they want to go under our skin with technology so that they can, the way that they manipulate robots, they're going to manipulate us and the future, uh, uh, yeah, the future is looking bleak for, I mean, it's going to be uh, total slavery if we allow robots to clothe us, to feed us. I mean, I remember what that was like, and that was called being a baby. <laughs> you, you remember being a baby? You know, you didn't have to think about where you're going. I don't own this, whatever. Oh, uh, you know, that's that's what they want for us. They're infantilizing us. Right. Yeah. So what this what this brings to mind for me is, and I'm going to go and play a little bit of a long game on this one, but uh, what this brings for, to mind for me is a lot of the work of Edward Bernays and the propaganda, uh, the propaganda that he was spewing back in the day, <clears throat> and the work that he did um, to convince people that a life of luxury is what they needed. So that was a main, a very big motivation of what Edward Bernays did. And we can see the effects of that today with this consumer uh, type of mindset that people are in. And not to say that having nice things is a bad thing, but to they tell us what's nice, they train us into telling. They right. Train it's almost, nice. it, it, it's, it's a kind of a bait and switch on how people viewed the um, the material world, instead of getting things and being of a uh, of a living living according to your own needs or not living beyond your means type of mindset, mm -hmm. now people are thirsting for the next gizmo or gadget or this or that. Right. And this could be this type of mindset could be attributed to the work of Edward Bernays and the propaganda that he came up with. The dude, the dude, um, I mean, he's one of his most famous things is convincing people that breakfast is the most important meal of the day and that we should eat bacon with breakfast and right. bacon and eggs is a good breakfast. I mean, I don't know if it is or if it isn't. I'm not about to have a that conversation. If, but If spam had him working for them, like we all be, it'd be a lot more yeah, we don't it'd be like the monty python skit you know right and, but and so like that's something that comes to mind with like, yeah the first yeah. like the first paragraph of that book propaganda was talking about how the people that control the minds of the people are the ones who are the real government i don't know like that's pretty loose paraphrase but that well, that's is most important that's something later on tonight that we're going to be able to kind of um, expand yes. upon a little bit and get and really get into that idea a little later on down the down the road tonight. So I'm excited uh, to have brought that up right now. But that's something that that uh, what this Orit Dolev 
character brought to mind and it's like a continuation of that i see that clip um the i see that clip of this specific ted talk as just a continuation of the propaganda right where now instead of it being a written word or some radio program now we're seeing this like bullshit speech about look at, like imagine how great my life would be if I own nothing. Right. Now a couple weeks back, I got the opportunity to speak with Brandon Martin, and we talked about anarchism through history, and we focused in a, maybe a little too much, but it was important to do so at the that time. That was a good show. No, I like that. Thank you, thank you. It, but we focused in on uh, 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 Joseph Pierre Proudhon, and and his argument of what is property and he lays it out and ultimately his conclusion is that uh property is liberty and the association is is that that you can only have liberty if you have the rights to the belongings in which you acquire through the means of your own production and through the means of not causing harm uh it's 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 kind of hinted at in there that the proper acquisition of property is by way, the the means of which is by not causing harm, and that's what how the property. Right. So so we see this kind of laid out in, you know, France back in the day. Thomas Paine had something to do with this, even though some people mistake Paine's work uh, later on in his life during the French Revolution time. Uh, some people mistake Paine, Thomas Paine's work as the forerunner to socialism. It wasn't that at all. He was. I'm not going to get into that, but, um, but well, Brandon was talking about all those different kind of hyphenated types of it. That's how they tear it down. Right. That's how they tear it down by linking him to socialism. They're tearing down all the good that he's done. Like, right. And when all he's really saying is, is that like, you know, we're all here on this planet together and we're all of nature. So, I mean, if this planet belongs to anyone, it belongs to everyone. Right. So, I mean, and the fact that he's saying that it's some that one thing, the planet, the land, belongs, right. to, belongs to everyone. He argues with himself about how does that work? How does that property get divvied up? There's math involved, a lot of math involved, and he even talks about how, um, you know, the the state because he wasn't Thomas Paine wasn't an anarchist. He he was still a statist. He just hated monarchies. Right. And he wanted minute he was like a minarchist, if anything, a constitutionalist, you know, a type of type of dude. Right. And what he argued was is that it's the state's responsibility to kind of like give people money. But where does that money come from? And it's like, well, uh, people pay for it after they die. Type and that was like kind of his argument is that like there'd be a like a, a tax or or some sort of like um inheritance, uh, like an inheritance tax. And that there, that through the inheritance tax, that was where the state would get the funds in order in order to pay the, uh, in order to pay the people at a certain age, a a certain amount of money, so that way they would have a little bit of a better chance at creating something for themselves. It was like at the age of twenty one, which was the typical age back then when they thought that people were an adult, and then uh, then at the age of fifty, then they'd get a stipend every year after the age of fifty. But anyways, I digress. Derek's here. Um, interesting conversation so far. Yeah, that's it's. Um, Derek, you got a chance? Can you hear me? Can you hear us? Oh, he's plugging in. 
Can you, hello, Derek, can you hear us? I can like barely hear you. I'm not sure why it sounds like super faint on my end. Hmm. My volume's well, all the way up. Did, did you check? It's not really where I can hear you clearly. Okay. Well, um, yeah, let me try. We'll give you a few minutes. Uh, we're going to pop yeah. you out. We'll give you a couple minutes. So, okay. so to continue on with that, I mean, we see this progression of like these, these, you know, these kind of revolutionaries we see these people like at the end of the enlightenment and, uh, and coming into this this new way that the world sees how governments can be run and how things can be done and it all revolves around property and and so but i'm i'm starting to pick up on these themes that throughout their writings they saw uh and this is not an advocation for the state at all but i'm starting to pick up on certain themes where they almost saw it as like this is what we have to do now it's almost like a means to an end and we're going to keep right. improving on this thing in hopes and one day that the state becomes so small that it almost not, doesn't exist at all and who knows maybe one day it doesn't exist at all right and it's something that they needed then based based on the technology that they had at the time which wasn't a lot you know, right. they had certain technologies speech the written language, um, certain ways of communication, but they did not have what we have today. Right. So this is kind of like a, this, this is kind of like a- Yeah, we're actor. way better than pamphlets now. Like right. we have the internet. Uh, we're and, speaking, Derek, we're speaking about Thomas Paine. Um, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you guys. Can you hear me? Okay, yes, we can. We can hear you. Okay, so it's, uh, he was talking about Thomas Paine and he was talking about how uh, his method was to uh, eventually have less state at the end. And that's what Samuel Konkin III and what your book is based on is how to free yourself from the state in general. And before uh, this latest uh, bout of tyranny that we've been running the last couple of years, you wrote this book before this. And I mean, the writing is on the wall, like you're very astute uh you know, you're aware and um, you, you gave us this information, how to opt out of the technocratic state. And people can find that on your website, uh, the conscious resistance network.com. Is that right? Do I have that right? It's just the conscious resistance.com slash how to. Sorry. Um, and there people will find lots of work, man. You've been doing a lot of good work over the years and, you know, thank you for helping to open my eyes to many things. And, you know, your work has helped my understanding. And now I'm growing from there like you like. And I'm just glad to be part of the conversation. And I'm glad that you're still doing what you're doing and you're a real force in the community. And I'm, you know, glad to have you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me on and for the work that you're doing to try to you know dissect this crazy world we're living in and share it with other people i appreciate that and yeah the book i as you mentioned i released it 2019 this is the second edition which we just published a few months ago that's like the post-covid edition with five new chapters and a new intro because i wrote it in 2019 before covid and uh, just kind of paying attention anticipating what was coming already and covid obviously just accelerated a lot of those agendas uh, and so i felt like there was a need to write uh, sort of an updated version, not only based on, you know, here's everything that happened right after I wrote this book, but also we learned a lot of lessons. The book is focused on 
the rise of tech, the technocratic philosophy and um, totalitarianism, top-down rule, and you know combining that with digital technology to create a digital potential digital dystopia and asking the question how is someone going to stay free and maintain privacy in that world that is now even more quickly emerging as we're now seeing ai affecting us like in so many different ways right a couple of years ago just four years ago when i was first writing the book that was still just like okay ai is going to do things now we're like already seeing it we're seeing it every day we're hearing a conversation about ai impacting some industry and uh, you know, the point is that all the things that we know are potentials that certain people have planned are, are right here. They're happening to us right now. This is right. some far off time. So I wanted to write a book that was yeah. not just like, here's all the bad things happening, but more importantly to say, here's some things that are on the horizon. Here's some warnings that we've had. And I believe that Conkin's philosophies of agorism and counter-economics and what I call exiting and building are the key to that to build parallel systems, parallel networks. And thankfully, I'm, you know, joyed to see that uh, over the last three years, people have moved in that direction naturally, which is what Konkin predicted as well, that the more aggressive the state gets, the more people will have an aversion to want to get away from it or try to avoid it in one way or another. We saw that the last couple of years and uh, I expect that to continue. So yeah, the book focuses on what can we do? How do we be proactive rather than just reactive or just paralyzed by apathy or fear or any of the above right we're uh we're so glad to have you here and uh we're we're glad to start with the solutions um we know you only we only have you for a limited amount of time and um so it's it's like um it's great that you can you can be like a light at the end of the tunnel because like some of this like is going to get really deep and heavy uh towards sure. the end after you're gone we're going to talk about some really you know their plans are really i deep. guess that's what people yeah. should expect from the black Tail podcast right <laughs> yeah 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 but if they you know um you know they can go to 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 your website to to listen to the more enlightening uh you know uh everybody should listen to everything is what i'm saying but it's important to, to know what's happening, right? We don't know how to make solutions if we don't know what's actually happening. Yes, that's right. That's why the show has that all and all important word digest at the end of it is because we take the black pill in, we make sense of it, and hopefully we spit out the gold pill and help people. <clears throat> we encourage people to stand up in their power and say that they can do something about this. They can, they can take back their rights and their power and say uh, no to these right. things but we have to look at them first we can't ignore these things because ignoring them doesn't solve anything ignoring them actually just fans the flames and makes the problem worse how can you solve a problem if you if you're not even aware and or also and willing to uh willing to admit that there's a problem you know you're not even looking at it you're just got your head in the sand so that's what we really try to do here and I, i'm i'm happy to meet you too man i've i've really enjoyed the stuff uh that i've been able to uh watch of yours the, in, the various Thank interviews you. that you've done the work that the work that you've done with um with whitney webb and and uh, the round tables that you've done with them and 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 james corbett and everything it's it's uh it's it's very very interesting and very informative so I appreciate your time and attention this evening, sir. And uh, I wanted to, I, I wanted to first ask you, um, what do you, I, I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think about um, 
have you ever been in, uh, are you involved at all with Stefan Verstappen or have you have you looked into his stuff are you uh, I'm aware of his work I don't know him personally but yeah I, we actually tried to get him as a speaker for the greater reset the event that I organize every year so I mean I know of his work but I, I don't know him personally or you know I wouldn't say I'm an expert in his work well, that's uh, great for you were bringing them for the greater reset. Uh, this is something else that you do. Uh, please tell our, our listeners about that. Yeah. So in um, 2020, obviously COVID stuff started happening in March, you know, didn't take long for many of us to start suspecting that something was going on and things were not right. And then by June of that summer, the World Economic Forum, along with the person who's about to be declared, King Charles next week and some other people came oh. together to announce the Great Reset, right? And uh, everybody's familiar with that term by now, I'm sure. So if you remember at that time, at least from my perspective and you know, from like what I was looking at and seeing online and hearing from my audience, people reaching out to me, there was definitely a lot of fear at that time because you know it's like people knew something was wrong with COVID. They're like trying to figure out it was such a chaotic time. Every day there was new news that this place is doing this and they're locking down over here. And, you know, it was very chaotic. And then in the midst of that, the World Economic Forum becomes like a household name and announces this big plan to reset the world and all this kind of stuff. And there was a lot of people really living in fear. And uh, obviously people in Australia and some parts of the world were heavily locked down and were you know, dealing with some real tyrannical stuff. So myself and some friends uh, who are also involved in the Freedom Cell Network at freedomcells.org, C-E-L-L-S.org, which is just a decentralized network that helps people find uh, other like-minded people. So for those who might be listening to this who don't really have any local community or even a friend to talk to, uh, we really believe at the Freedom Cell Network and with my work, it kind of intersects with the book, uh, that community is going to be vital, whatever that means to you, whether that's just you and your family or a couple of friends or buying land or whatever it may mean, but community coming together like on an international worldwide scale, but also especially locally, you know, we need local support. So the Freedom Sun Network helped people find each other. We've been promoting it for seven years now. And just like, you know, again, like with COVID, so many people woke up that before the Freedom Cell Network was about 1,000 to 2,000 people on our website. And now we're nearing 39,000, 40,000 people on our website and tens of thousands of more who are doing it via Telegram and other, other platforms. So we were seeing a lot of growth because of COVID. And we realized, like, hey, this is an important moment. There's so many people that are looking for solutions that are becoming like black pilled or becoming just terrified. And people were making moves. I, I moved to Mexico right at the beginning of the COVID stuff in March 2020. And so I was helping a lot of people, which I talk about in the book, the Underground Railroad, the Modern Underground Railroad, or the Counter Economic Underground Railroad, helping people move out of the US and Canada and Australia and Europe and arrive in Mexico and settle in. So there was just all this energy there. We really wanted to be able to offer something for people to latch onto that would be real, um, like practical solutions and ideas, not just like, hey, Donald Trump's gonna save us, just wait for the election or something like that, right? So we came up with the idea of the Greater Reset Activation is the full name, thegreaterreset.org. And it's a five-day event, five-day we call it an activation. It has elements of a conference, of a festival, of a gathering. So there's music. There's five days of uh, talks focused on physical, mental, spiritual health, permaculture and food independence, building parallel networks, getting off big tech, and different tools for building community. And we did the first one January 2021 at the same time that the World Economic Forum was meeting for their Davos meeting. And we've now had four of those, and we do it every January in Texas and in Mexico. And at the last one we had just a couple months ago, the Greater Reset 4, 
we had you know some of these really powerful speakers. So we looked at people like uh, Stefan that you mentioned and try and get people like them who are experts in their areas who can bring solutions to show people that there are practical ideas and things that we can do. Because for me, the whole idea is again, like these people, what I call the predator class, they are working night and day, spending trillions of dollars working with multinational corporations, every nearly every government, uh, organizing uh, conferences and gatherings and putting out uh, putting think tanks together and papers and they, they're spending their time, their energy and money on creating their agenda 2030, the Great Reset, etc. While on our side of things, we tend to maybe be a lot more scattered, disorganized, maybe just doing nothing. Um, I really kind of harp on this idea that some people, and this is just not a shot at anybody directly, but it's just like a, like a hope for better. Like if we're just consuming the content but not actually doing anything in our personal lives to actually make the real changes, then we shouldn't expect to do anything other than wake up one day and all the horrible things we thought were coming are going to be here. Because, right. well, we didn't, we didn't do anything, right? So the whole idea with the Greater Reset is trying to bring people together and say, like, hey, there are things we can do. Let's create our own 2030 and beyond. And so the one we had just a couple months ago, we had about 300-something people from – 14 different countries came out and then thousands of people watching online. So it's just one of the many efforts that I'm doing to try to encourage building the parallel systems again and getting people to think like they're coming after the food, they're coming after the money, they're coming after the kids. Shouldn't we then take that knowledge and try to do something with it and become independent of these systems that they're trying to build, which will ultimately, if we do nothing, make us dependent on them 100%, even more than we are now. And as you guys know, they can lock us out, they can turn us off if you're dependent on those systems. But if you're not, if you say, I don't care what you think, turn my social credit score to zero because I'm not dependent on your system anymore. I you know, have a network of people that are growing food and we're homeschooling kids and we're building communities and we're doing, we're living outside their systems, alternative economic systems, et cetera, which sounds far away and big and it is, and who knows what it's gonna look like. But it, to me, it's the only realistic solution, like other than just sitting around and waiting to become a slave and or right. to the well, things get to the breaking point and, you know, violence breaks out or something. I'd rather, like, build and try to avoid that if possible. God bless you, man. Uh, Sorry for that long-winded answer. Oh, you're great. Question <laughs> well, we, we're glad to have you. Uh, but um, that it's it's so important to give somebody something to grab onto because they're, they're shaking loose from total slavery that they didn't even know they were in you know and like all of a sudden like what i have to get an injection to have a job like huh like you know and you know and you got the view harping at you and you got the movies telling you this and like it's mm. just you know it's all encompassing and you're like it was like uh, a force of good uh, you know they're the black pillar and you're the white pillar like where you, you know it's great that you had like uh at the same time gave them a greater reset. I think that's fantastic. And I'm so glad that you're doing that. I'm glad that you've kept it up and you're going every year. Like this is fantastic. And it's in two places too. It's in Mexico and in the U S and online. It's everywhere. Really? Yeah. We, we try to make it very accessible. Like, I mean, doing it, having a U.S. location and having a Mexico location where I'm at, it kind of helps because also Mexico during COVID, this is one of the other reasons because during COVID Mexico was one of the only places I think one of only three countries that didn't have any major restrictions. Like some states tried to do their own thing, but on a, as a nation on a whole, there was no vaccine requirements or quarantine requirements or mask requirements to enter the country. So like I mentioned earlier, we had a lot of people coming from all over the world to try to get away from the craziness that they were getting away from. Like particularly, there's so many Canadians in Mexico now because of 
the restrictive uh, COVID laws that before they passed that thing, it made a lot of news. I think it was October 2021 when they were saying, like, if you're not vaccinated by this date, you can't take a bus, a train or flights or do anything. Basically, there was this mass flood of Canadians. And I guess the cheapest or the most direct flight was to Cancun. So there was all these Canadians. Like I would estimate five to ten thousand people or more. Um, who came out and left and went to Mexico, you know, and then now have started to make their way around the country. And so there's definitely a lot of movement happening here. I mean, it's not a perfect place, of course, but it is behind in terms of the overall agenda in some ways. I have also seen that uh, they ordered 50% less glyphosate this year, and they're going to have no glyphosate next year. Which yeah, is- the, the Mexican government's trying, or they, they've already declared that they're going to ban uh, the import of genetically modified corn, and they're trying to get away from glyphosate as well, obviously because they're paying attention to all the, the harm. And uh, it's you know it's just one of those things where the U.S. government's like threatening them, claiming that under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement that Trump did, that they're bound to it and they can't, you know, and that there's no science behind this. And so yeah, there's definitely some good moves that are happening out here. Uh, but like you guys were saying earlier about you know when you're reading Thomas Paine, like. At the end of the day, it's still a government, right? So governments will be governments as governments will be governments. And out here, it's also a little different, too, because you have the competition from the cartel, basically the mafia, which is kind of like a competing cartel to the government cartel. And, uh, you know, the U.S. government. Yeah. Well, I think they tend to use them as like not, like not to dismiss because like i mean i've been through some crazy shit out here like you go to the wrong area maybe just get lost or whatever just like it's like where i'm from originally houston any major city if you go into the wrong part of town you know you right. could have some some trouble just you got to be street smart but i don't want to dismiss that crazy shit does happen in some places but generally speaking like you know it's not something that you notice but it's definitely i'm sure in the background we'll sometimes hear from like business owners or people who've worked with the government about like, oh yeah, there's so-and-so who's really running, you know, or come, they come by once a month to collect their fee or whatever, things like that. But uh, generally speaking, you know, people are just going about their lives and living their lives. And I do think that the fear of the cartel, just like the fear of terrorism or the fear of COVID or the fear of whatever, the U.S. government definitely exploits that. Right. And the fast and furious and that whole mm-hmm. thing, like they, you know, the all, and everything. like, yeah. And the, the, you know, the $5 a gram from Peru turns into hundred dollars when it gets to Boston, it's probably like 200 now or whatever. And it's, you know, all that in between goes to the government, you know, like CIA owns it. Like they own the whole market. They got to get their cut. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing is like in Mexico, it's just a little bit more out in the open as far as like, in the U.S., at least my interpretation is like people like there's that that phrase. It's like oh, the only thing that uh, constant in life is like death and taxes or something like that. Right. People are just it's like just that. But to me, it's 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 sort of people know like oh god, I got to pay the tax, man. The government wants their cut. People right. say things like that, but then they don't really maybe consciously take it in a deeper level and be like, okay, so let me think about this. So this institution is basically extorting me at the threat of violence. And we call that, you know, civilization or whatever. Whereas in Mexico, you just know that, like, if a cop's bothering you, they just try to bother you until you give them a bribe, you know. And, and kind of honestly, I would prefer that because I'd rather, like, okay, this cop is just here to harass me. And I could just give him, like, hey, is there any way we could take care of this here? Or you could just be patient and try to outlast it if you want. But if you're just like, all right, I got to go, 
So it's like, hey, well, is there any way I can just pay the, the, the fine to you so I don't have to go to the courthouse? Because they'll be like, well, you know, you were speeding, so I have to take your car in, and you're going to have to go to the courthouse, and this, and they make it like, oh, my God, it's such a big ordeal. And so you just get to that point of like, fine, well, you think, can I just handle it with you? And they'll be like, okay, sure, just go ahead and put the money on the clipboard and walk away. I'd rather do that because at least it's out in the open, and I don't got to go to court. I don't got to pay any fines or fees. Like, I just paid that cop on the street. And so, yeah, the corruption, I think, obviously has its downsides, but there are also, I think, there's a space for those of us who value individual freedom and bodily autonomy, where, as I don't know if it's like a, there's some formula we could think of of developing nations, they cross a certain threshold where maybe things become so legitimate that the corruption isn't like that, you know, because I would never try to bribe a U.S. cop, for example. You know, I wouldn't try to do that just because it's a totally different world. Right. Their loyalties are way more entrenched in the mind control. Like, And they're paid better, too. I mean, that's the thing is when people are not paid well by government employees, like then it's they're more likely to be like, OK, well, yeah, I'm not making that much. I'll take an extra 50 bucks to look the other way for this or that thing. Right. Yeah. And so, then they get a job as a cop. It's the same thing as getting a job for the mob. Like they already know they're doing a corrupt thing when they when they go for the job and they're putting on the uniform, they know they're being corrupt. At least it's more honest. Like I like that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so um, so you the exit and build is big, but also you had a stay and defend. Right. Is that John Bush was talking about? It's like there was the two that you guys. Uh, and yeah. So you took the exit like right i mean you went to mexico um we can find yeah. freedom everywhere you know um i don't think you have to go to mexico to find freedom per se right i had the thing right. for me is like i had already planned to move to mexico before covid uh and also like i said earlier with like the freedom cell network uh, growing exponentially because of covid i was one of those people that took it like i make a yearly trip to mexico already my partner miriam she's mexican so we've been visiting mexico for years so we had just got back from mexico in february 2020 going into March 2020 and then we're coming home right as like all this weird talk was happening and so we started having conversations like hey I'm watching the news and I you know in my mind this is one thing here's a tip for people who understand where we're headed is sit down and concretely think think out and write down if you need to whatever it is so that you can really visualize and see and print it in your mind what is a red line in the sand for you for me one of those things was restricting travel like i've always thought if they ever start restricting travel then like that's not a good sign and i probably need to like figure out something and so i remember we're coming back from mexico and it's like the first week back and there's all the like you know every day it's like oh this country's doing this this country's doing this and then sure enough they started shutting down new york saying that it was the hot spot or whatever and i remember there was reports of uh, the cops in rhode island and some of the surrounding states uh setting up checkpoints to start checking license plates to yeah. uh, like give tests to people if they had New York plates or something like that, right? And, I, and then I remember the Biden, or not the time it was Trump, uh, Trump was saying, you know, they were considering potentially shutting down travel between states to help with this and that. And that was, that was it, like we were gone within 24 hours. We literally loaded up our um, Jeep with as much as we could. Didn't really know like what was coming next, but it was just like, hey, let's go back to Mexico from Houston to the border is only five hours. Let's go to your grandpa's and just watch this from a distance and kind of see what happens. So I did make that exit in terms of that. And really, as I was mentioning, like this was part of our plan already. We knew that we were gonna to come to Mexico sooner or later and buy land. COVID was just like, all right, whatever they're doing, it's time to go get our plans in order. Let's not wait five, 10 years, whatever, which was kind of in my mind, like, yeah, I'm gonna get land eventually, whatever, you know. 
And I feel like that's how some of us can be. It's like we read about these things, we talk about these things, we know how just crazy and messed up things are getting, but we maybe don't actually change our habits. We're just like going through the routine of, okay, I went to work and I came home and I talked about how bad the world was and then I went to work and I came home and talked about how bad the world was. And, you know, we watch the world get back, uh, worse, but we're not taking the proactive steps to do something about it. And like I mentioned in, in the book, uh, I did first introduce this idea of exit build, which was really just me building off of Samuel Konkin's idea of counter economics and building counter economies and parallel systems. And I outlined what I said in the book was there's three steps you can take. If you really understand what's coming and you know this information, well, then at this point, you can no longer claim ignorance, right? So you can't say, I didn't know what's happening. So it's up to you now. It's up to you. It's not for me or anybody else to decide. It's up for each of us as individuals to say, okay, I know what's coming. I know what's happening. I can see. I've got a mind. I've got a body. I can, I can understand what's happening. What are my choices? And for me, they kind of all came down to three basic choices. I mean, we could go further than that if we want, but I think everything kind of comes back to this. And the first one is what I call apathy is death, which is basically as it sounds, doing, you know, becoming apathetic to the point, maybe this is the definition of being black uh, that you do nothing or feel like things are completely hopeless. Or in your apathy of like, yeah, I know things are fucked up, but you know, what can I do about it? I'm just going to keep going to work and enjoy my life on the weekend and hope that I, Get out of here before things get too crazy, right? Or the um, boiling frog, if that's the case. You know? Yeah, exactly. So it's like either way, though, resigning yourself to apathy or inaction, let's say, I think is a death. And I mean that in the long term, you're probably going to end up dead. And in the immediate short term, I believe that's kind of like a spiritual death, to know what's coming, to see what's coming, and to choose to do nothing, to not rise to the occasion, which I personally believe is why we're here right now, all of us who are living and conscious and aware of these things. So that's one thing is like choosing to do nothing, you're going to end up being dead one way or the other. The other two, the action oriented steps are of course, exit and build. So that's just like, if you recognize it, it's two, it's kind of twofold and both in terms of physical location and more in philosophical terms. So when it comes to physical location, let's say that you are living in a place that during COVID was extremely insane. Like you're like, man, they did lockdowns, they did mask mandates, I couldn't go anywhere shopping, I couldn't even go to the farmer's market, I couldn't walk outside. You know, some people literally had to get, in some nations had to get like permission slips to go take their dog for a seven, 10 minute walk, 500 feet outside their house. Like that's France and Italy and some other places. Like I wouldn't stay there. I wouldn't live through that and just stay there, right? So. Right. Whatever the situation was, again, let's take the situational awareness. I saw they played their cards as far as I'm concerned. So if you're living in an area that you feel is not conducive to liberty, to freedom, to the world that you want, then the idea would be to exit from that place and build elsewhere. So maybe that means like you realize there's a, a lot more freedom activists two towns over about you know a couple hours away. And so you start making moves and planning to... Us, you know, move your life over in that direction, or you decide uh, there's a whole other state that you feel is better suited to your lifestyle and your your needs, or in my case, like an entire different country, right? So that's one aspect of it, like physically moving uh, to find somewhere that you feel is more conducive to your values, to your vision, and to what you want to create. And then the other aspect of exit and build is uh, the like removing ourselves from systems that don't align with our values. So. Whether you physically move or not, either way this applies to you. Let's say that you're a person that is very aware of this growing technocratic state. You're seeing the AI and the facial recognition, and you're seeing the push to CBDCs, and you're seeing all this fun stuff coming up. And you have to decide, as all of us do, 
what is that red line again, right? Are you going to participate when they say, okay, now all your money has been turned into CBDCs, you can only access your services and your you know, pension and your social security check or your bank account with this digital wallet that has your Fed coin in it, et cetera. Are you going to participate? Well, if you didn't plan ahead, probably because you have no other choice. And what else are you going to do? You didn't think ahead. You have no community. You have no network. You've just been waiting for it to happen. And here it is. Surprise, surprise. But if you, again, build yourself in a way and create your life in a way that you are not dependent on those systems, then we have more freedom. We have more choices. So to me, then, it, you do what I call a holistic self-assessment, like looking at your life or just looking at these threats. They're coming after our money, coming after our, our minds. They're coming after the food, the children, um, the different areas, right? So let's just start there. And you start thinking, okay, what's my financial situation? I'm in, you know, I got student loan debt. I, I've got credit card debt. Um, I'm using a bank, you know, like Chase Bank that contributed towards Jeffrey Epstein funneling money through to abuse his victims, you know, or, or Bank of America that robbed the people in 2008. You recognize your situation is not ideal and there are steps you need to take in order to get to a more ideal place. So that's up to you to just say, okay, well, what are the steps I need to take? I'd like to switch to a credit union and stop supporting these big banks. Okay, I need to start making some dents into this debt I have or whatever choices you want to make about the debt, whether you want to pay it or not. But the point is starting to get yourself in a position that you can be exiting from those slavery systems and building and or supporting and participating with new systems that other people are creating, right? Because like, I'm not a technologist. I don't know how to build the new device we need, right? But I have people on my team like Ramiro Romani and his company, the above phone, abovephone.com. They're building and privacy-based smartphones that are loaded with privacy apps, open source decentralized apps. They're working on laptops now. They're helping people get set up with privacy. Like that's just big, big tech, right? So that's exiting from the big tech sphere and building new systems and or supporting new systems. So that's kind of the idea too. It's like moving physical location can apply, but maybe that, you know, you're like, hey, I'm in a good spot. I got a community, I got food, I got land, I got people, I got, I got what I need. I don't need to physically move, but you can still say, okay, I'm not using Google anymore. I'm going to switch from Google and Google Docs to CryptPad, and I'm going to get off Zoom and use Jitsi, and I'm going to do, you know, you can start using these alternatives that do exist so that we're not dependent on those systems. And this takes time. Like, you're not going to go from being totally dependent on the systems to, you know, not being that way overnight. So don't be overwhelmed. Just start creating a plan. Um, and then the last one is just what I call hold down the fort, holding down the fort, which is just as it sounds. So like, let's imagine it, when it comes to moving, if you were in a place that was good during COVID and your community really came together, and this is, I mean, I heard these stories and I put this in the book from people that I met. I did a U.S. tour in 2021 and a Mexico tour in 2022 doing 30, 40 stops traveling around and, and sharing these ideas and meeting people who use the Freedom Cell Network website during COVID to find each other and then they started to build community locally. They started to homeschool their kids, started to grow food together. Some of them bought land. Or at the very least, they create a social club where they realize, hey, I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. There are other people I can talk to about these things. And that's important, too, because they want us to feel alone and isolated, right? But so in that case, you might not feel there's a need to physically move, move because, you're, you know, I'm committed to where I'm at. I'm going to hold down the fort. This is where I'm going to be. You know, there's those kind of people because, again, I don't see moving as like running away like some people might. I think we all got to make decisions that are best for our own families. And for some people, that means like, oh, I was born here. I'm going to die here. For other people, that's like, hell no, I have family and kids. I'm going to go somewhere that I think we might actually survive or thrive or whatever. Right. So it's all about what's up, what's good for you. I don't think there's any room for judgment in this. And so those are the ideas that I put in the book. And thankfully, when I published it in January 2020, 
it, it has become my most popular book. It's now published in Spanish and French, and it's being translated to Japanese and Korean right now. And as I said, I've published a second edition, and it's been, you know, it's been doing, it's like an underground bestseller, you could say, not on any number one list or anything like that. But the language of exit and build, I've actually started to see people using that online and other people adopting that mentality. So it's been really cool because to me, that was the whole point. It was like before when I was writing the book, before COVID, it was kind of like a, all right, I'm going to throw out a warning and hope anybody hears of what's coming. And I guess the timing was right because maybe if COVID hadn't happened, not as many people have been paying attention to the book. But because it was literally happening you know, in front of us while I was, you know, had just written a book about it, I think it made it very real for people to see, like, oh, my God, this is what he was talking about. He's talking about exit build. And now there are, there are thousands and thousands of people all over the world who are thinking about building parallel systems, alternative systems uh, to the current ones that we're dealing with. Right. So, so uh, sorry, go ahead. Thank you, Sean. Uh, so what would you say to the type of person that's hearing all of these wonderful things and they're really liking it, but they just feel very overwhelmed and might be lost as to just where to start? And how quickly should they act? The scatterbrained type of mindset that people may find themselves in when they From want to the get fear, active, right? And I mean, they yeah, just don't know where to begin, and they're just like wondering um, what type of what type of pace, based on how far into this we are currently, what type of pace they should take in order to activate and do something productive from here going forward? What, what would you say to that type of person? What, what sort of productive advice would you give them? That's a great question. Um, first off, I would say that, cause I know you guys are going to just like go super deep after I, after I head out and that's important. Like, I mean, I, if anybody reads my articles or sees, I try to balance like, you know, the books about the scary things with solutions. But if you read my articles, it's about all the scary things going on in the world. You know, I just wrote an article two days ago about the, the how, and this is what the book talks about too. Talk? That we're, shi oh. well, we're shifting from like the pandemic narrative to the climate change narrative, climate lockdowns, climate, you know, carbon credit trackers, et cetera. So whatever narrative they want to use though, the end result is the same. We're trying to build a technocratic system. So I, I say that to say, it's important to go down those rabbit holes, but be careful to not let yourself get wrapped up in that fear and then you move to that apathy is death phase that I was kind of describing earlier. So that's the first thing I'll preface this is like, look, yes, we're facing some really tough shit, but I also kind of find that emp empowering. If you can find somewhere in yourself to find a sense of empowerment that, especially if you're a parent, the way, I mean, I'm an uncle six times and I feel like, wow, okay, my nieces and nephews are depending on me to do whatever I can to make sure that their world is not the freaking you'll own nothing and be happy. At the very least, to make sure that we give them an alternative path so that they don't have, you know, metaverse, uh, you'll have nothing to be happy, and that's all there is, smart city, you know, tyranny. And instead, you can say, hey, come check out what we're building. We're creating a different world. And none of us know what that looks like, but we're putting the energy into it because if we don't try, then obviously nothing's going to happen. So find the motivation in yourself to recognize that while things are dark, there are things you can do for yourself. And I say that, and at the same time, as far as timelines go, it's 2023. I was just saying this to my partner the other day that we're now – one third through this year, it's going so fast. It feels like time is just speeding up, right? So just think, think about this. If you set any goals in the beginning of 2023, one third of the year is now over. Have you moved any forward on those goals? Have you moved any progress? Because I am the scatterbrained person you're talking about, man. Like, I have to make to-do lists on a daily basis. Like I get a lot of compliments for the amount of 
uh, productivity I do and the amount of work I do, but the only way I'm able to function like that is with to-do lists. And that might not work for everybody, but I'm just throwing it out there because I do set like these kind of objectives. Uh, like for example, we just uh, closed the deal on our land, just got the title the other day out here in Mexico. That took three years of work, three years of planning from the beginning of like putting the idea out there and, and weekly calls and just, you know, there, it doesn't just happen overnight. Things aren't just going to get handed to us. So, thank you. I appreciate that. So, you know, as far as timelines, it's 2023, one third of the year is already over. Their plans are called Agenda 2030. That doesn't mean like we're going to get there and on January 1st, 2030, it's like the new world order is here. There, I do believe we can delay them, we can disrupt them and all that sort of stuff and slow them down. But ultimately, I'm putting my energy into creating something new as opposed to thinking we're going to stop it. I don't 100% believe we can completely prevent what they're trying to do. And that's why I focus on building some alternatives. So take that into perspective, though, that we have less than seven years now, just about six years and six and a half years to till 2030. So again, they're having meetings every year, Davos meetings, UN meetings, working with all these banks, working with all these governments. I believe we need to put that kind of energy. So what I would encourage somebody to do is to first Again, take that awareness of the timeline we're on that, okay, things are crazy, but I got six and a half years to really put in some time. That's going to go by fast. But if I, if I do put my heart, my energy into it and have some motivation, your life, your family, the future, your ancestors who worked so hard to get you here, the coming generations who are dependent on us, and you use that motivation, six and a half years, you can get a lot of shit done. You can really move forward in some strong ways. So take that courage and then map out what is your 2030. Really think about this, and this might sound kind of trite, but I, I think this is really important, to sit down and just write down, like, what is the 2030 that you want to have? Like, is it is it your current life? Maybe you're content with where your life is at right now. You just want to be left the hell alone, and these people just won't leave us alone. So maybe that's what your 2030 is. Look, I want everything I have now, my family, I want the you know, all the, the possessions I have, and good food, and this and that, and my health. I just want these people to leave us alone. Okay, well, I don't know if we're going to get that one. But imagine <laughs> what your 2030 will look like, right? The best case scenario. For me, I knew it's like, I don't want to pay rent for the rest of my life. I don't want to pay for electricity for the rest of my life. I want to grow more of my food. I want to be closer to the earth. I want to own some land. And if that means like that land is something I have to, that's the piece that I have to give my life to to fight for, then I, then I want that. Why I want something to call my own, right? And to create and build with other people and be an example. So I spent time thinking of what does that 2030 look like, right? And I'm in that process now and I'm taking steps. And then that's the big picture goal, right? That's six and a half, seven, ten years away, whatever. Well, how do you get there? What are the steps to take right now? Okay, then we go back to that holistic self-assessment. And I think it starts there too. So what are the obstacles to getting to that place? Like maybe you're in $50,000 of debt for this thing or that thing that you did. Uh, or student loan debt, which a lot of people have, start tackling that problem. Or again, like I mean, I, I think there's an argument to be made about whether or not those things should be paid back for when they were, uh, specifically student loans, when they were trying to, I mean, they were basically targeting young, stupid kids and getting them into debt. So I, I have my own thoughts on that. But and you can't go bankrupt. Just, you can't do bankrupt. That's the one that they don't let you. It's it's a, it's just another area they're screwing people. But, you know, so the point is, like, look at those different areas of your life, right? Like, know what your 2030 is, okay? I, if you don't want you owe nothing to be happy, what do you want? Be specific. Write it down. Draw it if you're artistic. Like, just write down the, the things that you're really trying to create. Envision it in your mind. It is powerful. Um, and then really start to be practical about it. Okay, so what do I need to know now? In the, in the far off distance, I know that I want land one day, and I want to grow my own food, and I want to have all these things. Well, I don't know shit about growing food. Maybe I should start by you know watching some YouTube videos and then now and getting that knowledge right. And even 
if you're like, well, the other thing, and I think I say this in the book, that there's a lot of working class people who know what's going on, but are not doing anything about it because they're exhausted, they're tired, you know, they don't have disposable income. And I count my family among these people who are, they know me, they know my work, they listen to what I talk about, but they're not activists, they're not doing anything about it. They're just kind of like, you know, they don't post about it on this internet, they don't have podcasts, they're just those people, kind of silent majority, who know things are getting worse and know that things are, you know, not headed in a good direction, but they don't do anything and they're not really taking any steps. And so my goal is to try to motivate that type of person to sit, to find that, that, uh, that energy and that inspiration again, to really put energy into trying to, uh, to get out of these systems as soon as possible. So that might mean you're working 60 hours a week and you come home dead, tired, exhausted, and you just want to sit down and smoke a joint or drink a beer and watch, you know, TV program for an hour and then go to bed. Right. But if you can find it within yourself to put it even 30 minutes to an hour before bed, reading about permaculture or reading about you know how to uh, you know how to create an alternative currency or whatever things that you're you're interested in or how to homeschool your kids if you've got kids the different areas that you're focused on in a week you've got seven hours of new knowledge in a month you've got 30 hours right like if you actually put the time and energy into these things you can take steps and move forward and before you know it you'll be like wow it's been a year since I started this journey and now I've you know I've learned these extra skills I've got met other people who are like-minded who are interested in similar things and uh, you know that's all going to be positive movement in the right direction so don't be overwhelmed by the big picture yes be aware of what's taking place and, and keep an eye and an ear on it but just stay in your grind just stay on like okay I've got my vision now they're doing their thing I'm doing mine and I'm gonna keep working towards it set weekly goals okay by the end of this week this is the thing I want to be able to do to move forward my bigger picture goal and then by the end of the month you're able to see like wow I moved some things forward I'm not there yet but I'm in the process right and the more that each of us are doing that and the more that each of us are trying to design the 2030 of our own dreams the more likely we are to actually create an alternative parallel system to what they're creating to what they're trying to build as opposed to us just sitting here online and only complaining about it and only bitching about it on social media, but not doing anything, right? And I want to be in a position for my nieces and nephews, and if I ever do have children myself, to say that, you know, we tried everything. We did everything we could. We, we yeah, we went and we tried to beg the government for help, and we protested, and we did this, and we eventually realized, you know what, we needed to build our own thing. And so we started focusing on getting out of the systems. We started focusing on building alternative systems to what they are offering, what they're trying to build. And I think we're going to get somewhere, somewhere magical one way or the other. Who knows what it looks like, what it'll turn out to be, but that's my goal. And yeah, so I mean, I hope that answered the question that it, there's a lot of big picture stuff that we're facing, but just don't be overwhelmed. Just realize that there are things you can do. And I mentioned tech earlier, like this is the biggest one, like you can get off Google. It, it's such a simple thing, but it, it is a part of the, it's part of the matrix. I mean, it is part of the control grid. Google, we know what these companies represent. We know that they're filtering search engine results. We know that they have uh, censored people for misinformation and said they couldn't make money through their ads platforms. That's happened to a lot of people in independent media over the years. We know that they're willing to work with the Chinese government to build a, a censored search engine. So why would we continue to use these things? And, and that's why I mentioned the above phone earlier, because there's tools like out there now where you can get alternative to Google Maps, you can get organic maps, you can get Magic Earth, and these open source ones that aren't perfect yet, but the more we use them and the more they become popular, the more the developers will have the opportunity to make them better, make them something that you actually want to use. But if we just keep saying, well, it's just so convenient, Derek, like I got all my stuff on Google Docs and I, all my contacts are in Gmail and you know, my calendar, blah, blah, whatever. I can't change that. It's like, well, if that's the level that we're willing to work, if that's it, like that's your, your, your roadblock. Oh, sorry. I got stuff on Google. 
It's too much for me. And I don't know if we're going to get very far. We have to be willing to work with other people. We have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to fundamentally look at our lives differently, I believe, at least, if we're going to survive and thrive and, and what we're facing. So, you know, to that, no more google.com, privacytools.io. If people want to learn about alternatives to all those, email, drive, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of stuff on those sites. Thank so you. what I'm so what I'm what I'm hearing is is that your the the first thing of apathy is death. We want to really try to encourage to do the opposite of that into like into say well if apathy apathy is death and that must mean that care is life and freedom and liberty. So we want to attach ourselves to that ideology to that type of mindset. And with that type of mindset, we might be able to insulate ourselves from what could be the inevitable outcome of this technocratic state to better uh, prepare for that. We want to be able to set short term, find the short term goals that will have long term benefits and to try to kind of ground ourselves in what is possible and plausible with our current situation for uh, each individual and to move forward from there. And to try to, you know, keep in mind that the community that you're directly connected with around you is going to be the thing that has the biggest impact on your stability and your freedom or whatever the outcome may be in seven years. And uh, to be having a good relationship with those around you is probably the best thing to be doing. But not everybody's going to have just a free open, you know, open cafe, free lunch type of relationship. You have to be able to bring something to the table. So you need to be able to find Absolutely. a skill that you're good at shade tree mechanic. You can grow food. You can fix a water pump. You can do, you need to find something to bring to the table in order for this agoristic idea to actually kind of uh, succeed. And this is what I mean by, you know, maybe setting short term goals to uh, have long term benefits. And um, so I, I would like to know, um, in your opinion, what is, again, in your opinion, what is the proper role of our current technology in terms of Internet, computers, cell phones, this type of technology? What is the proper role of that? And uh, how, how could we have these technologies and not worry about the hijacking of of the of, of the of the grid and all of these different negative things that we keep hearing about with technocracy um is there a positive a aspect of having all of this technology yeah that's, well that's a great uh restatement the way you said that there it's definitely um for sure the uh, community is key for sure. The community is key, uh, like you, you mentioned there. And I talk about in the book, that's why I mentioned freedom cells, because, you know, if you imagine if you're living in a community that were people who were calling the cops on people for not wearing masks or for, you know, violating stay at home orders or whatever, that's probably not the community that you want to be in if things get worse, where you've got a bunch of people who've been indoctrinated to believe that you're the crazy person, you're the enemy, you're the conspiracy theorist, far-right extremist, whatever, right? So having community of like-minded people around is going to be essential. Um, and in terms of the proper role of technology, you know, I, I think that obviously we're all here right now using technology to communicate a message that we find valuable and important, right? That's that's wonderful. I work with technology every single day. I've got you know a laptop and a record player here and a screen here and a volcano here. And I've got all kinds of technological tools around me to use 
And I understand the value that they provide, and I've been able to reach people just like you're able to reach people through that. So clearly we understand that it's a tool that can be used. I do believe, though, that there are some – that there's some merit to an argument that tools like artificial intelligence – and not where it's at now, but the potential threat it represents in the coming years – and tools like facial recognition when combined with artificial intelligence, as well as things like social credit scores, uh, represent a unique threat that we haven't particularly seen before. I mean, I think you could probably look back at every technological development, like from the wheel to the horse and the cart, and somebody was probably saying like, oh my God, it's gonna kill all the jobs. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna disrupt everything. And sure enough, humanity finds a way, and new industries are created, and you know, I, I get that. But at the same time, I do think that there are, we're already seeing that um, we're dealing with something never before seen, right? And to digital technology in a way, in terms of AI and stuff that is trying to mimic us or learn from us, all these things, I don't know if it's if we can say in every situation it's just a tool, right? Obviously, in that case, the tool is dependent on the programmer, but we're going to move into some, if, if they get their wish, if the predator class gets their wish for this fourth industrial revolution in this technocratic state that they're working on, we're definitely going to see different forms of technology that I think will be hard to say are simply neutral. You know, even though a, a social credit score could technically be a neutral tool, and I've said this before and some people didn't like it, but social credit scores, there are people out there, in, for example, in the crypto blockchain space who are calling for voluntary type social credit scores. And I've had friends who've said that this actually, these kind of ideas could be one way that you could remove the need for a government. So say, for example, if we had a community, we go by land and there's 30 of us living there, families or whatever, and we all decide that we wanted to create our own, you know, our own identity for us to know and get in and out of our community. It wouldn't work outside of the community and it wouldn't be used to require, you know, you have to show your ID to get food or anything like that, but just a way for us to interact. And maybe we create our own internal blockchain that has a message board and the blockchain keeps track of exchanges. You know, there's all kinds of ideas people come up with. But the point is you could have a system like that that did give people a certain rating, uh, a reputation score based on their social activity. So, hey, this person's putting in a lot of time in the garden. Cool, they got a couple of points. Or this person did a favor, whatever. You could create it all infinite amount of ways. But the point is, if a system like that is used and it's done voluntarily and consensual and it's not coming from government and it's not being forced on and imposed on people, I think there's an argument you could make for like, hey, that's a use case for a social credit score that could have some positive value. But that's not what they're describing, obviously. They're describing a top-down technocratic, your choice doesn't matter, We this is going to be better for you, better for the world, sustainable, equitable, just, all that stuff. So. The technology is a tool, and a lot of my work and the book and you know other things, the 5G Trojan Horse documentary, have focused on the dangers of technology from a privacy perspective, from a health perspective, from a liberty perspective. But I also do think that if we are moving into this freaking cypherpunk dystopia reality, there's going to be people just like my buddy who's creating now, trying to create the privacy phone. Every time they push, there's going to be somebody who try to create the alternative, right? Somebody's going to create encryption. They're going to try to hack it. Then we're going to create better encryption. We're going to find a way to hack it. Like, I think we are in a digital arms race right now, and yeah. they are way ahead of us. But I do think that that's kind of what we're seeing is there's going to be good uses of blockchain as one example. There's going to be bad uses of blockchain. There's going right. to be good uses of this and that. And ultimately, it's up to each of us to decide how we want to have that relationship. And that's really what the book is about. It's trying to ask the question of what is our relationship with technology and what should it be going forward as we see that there's a potential to lose privacy and individual individual liberty. And that's going to be different for each of us, even as like allies and friends, right? Like some people, there's people I know who are very aware of the surveillance state and they've got Google 
uh, Nest and Echo and the Ring doorbell and all the fun stuff in the house. And that's like not my choice. I don't want to be anywhere near that stuff. But again, these are other people's choices. So that's an example. We're all going to draw different lines of where we want to be and how we want to interact with this. Some people are going to choose to say, hey, you know what, man? I'm going to go on the meta in the metaverse because there's people there and I'm going to create a podcast in the metaverse and you're missing out by not being there. You know, just like you could argue, well, if we never used the internet because it was used by the, it was created by the military, then we'd never be doing any of this stuff, right? And if we say, well, I don't want to be on TikTok because it was created by these people, then you're missing out on all the people. Like I've made these arguments. I'm just kind of arguing against myself here, but to say that there is not one perfect answer, right? For some people, they don't want to be anywhere near Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. And I've done that in the past too, but I also can look at my analytics and I can see how much of my traffic comes from Facebook as much as I hate it. And so it's hard to just say, I'm going to throw away the opportunity to reach in all these people because I hate this company and what they represent. Now, I do limit my interaction with them, but I also make a sort of exception in my mind to like, okay, I'm going to stay here for this time because I'm reaching people. If, right. if I'm no longer reaching people, then I'll just leave because it already <laughs> doesn't align. I'll exit from Facebook, you know, and, and you know, so, yeah. So I've ranted long enough, guys. I got to get out of here. I appreciate y'all for having me on, though, man. Thank you so much, Derek. And it's been such a pleasure. People should check out consciousresistance.com, theconsciousresistance.com, and check out all of your work. They should... They can receive your book there. Uh, they can give you donations for your further uh, endeavors. And so everybody should check out your work. And uh, we thank you so much for joining us, Derek. Hey, thank you guys for having me on. You all have a good evening. Enjoy the rest of your show. Cheers. Nice to meet you, man. Have a great yeah, night. Good to meet you too, man. All right, Derek Bros, ladies and gentlemen, Derek Bros, and uh, sorry, I did that by accident. Hello, hello, yeah. Like that, we're 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 uh, saying goodbye to Derek and saying hello to Hans. Hans, other <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. How are you guys today? Oh, it's kind of tough to hear you, Hans. Uh, your audio isn't. Can you hear me that well? No. Nope. I'll turn it. I'll bring it up here. Uh, I like your living room. That's fancy. Yeah, <laughs> So while you're, while you're doing that, let me just tell you. Okay, I'll just go to the, so it's still quiet? No, uh, yeah, it's got like a tinny weird thing going. You sound like you're coming through a ham radio. Sounds like maybe it's coming through the wrong microphone. Uh, uh, this, this stupid video streaming thing doesn't, it, it's, I'm going to bash this product. Okay. Well, while you're doing that, let me tell the, the listeners that uh, they should interact with technology a little bit and go to freedomcells.org where they can meet those other people that are exiting and building and uh, staying and holding the fort. Um, these people are activated and they're, you know, they're working individually and they're open to community building and everybody should check that out. Um, my, I'm there. Uh, you don't have to give your actual address of your house, like give like, you know, the local landmark or something so people can, uh, can meet. And that way you're not giving personal information. It's, uh, it's a, it's run by voluntarists and, uh, it's a wonderful tool for finding others because, um, you know, like, myself and like in, in ohio there's no no more anarchists around you know uh like james is in new hampshire like at least he's got like a few more uh oh that's great james here this is freedom cell um and you can donate 
you can uh, bring show them how you can how, so how so, you can so build. sign up. Sign up. You, uh, let me click on that real quick. See if it'll load up there, and it's just as easy as this, you know. And right. you can put your own nickname, and uh, and then you know everything seems to be optional, other than like the the necessary things, like you know, like your last name is optional there, yeah. and um, you know. So and they kind of my roles like i uh you you give uh like who you are kind of what you can bring to the table what you're interested in learning or knowing what that way uh you can find the right group of people if you're want to do homeschooling and you want to find a homeschool network go on there and focus towards homeschool and you'll find the ones that are thinking about that you want to you want to do some uh um permaculture whatever like look at the find others that are trying to do that you know um it's it's a wonderful tool for meeting other people uh and i'm glad that we were able to show that uh um derek has a has a huge volume of work that he's done and it's just it's only it's always growing and uh, these ideas are fantastic these are the ways to get to get free and it doesn't even if they don't do a technocracy by 2030 he's still going to have no rent no electric bill you know what i mean like that's freedom that's freedom from where we're at now and it's also freedom for what they're bringing in the future um you know i would just like to point out that uh there are nearly 39,000 members of the freedom cell network so right. this ain't no this ain't no uh <laughs> Ain't no worldwide, you know, right. this ain't no fooling around, right? As some might say so. Uh, yeah, I, I would, I would definitely encourage share people. this with people that you know, tell others that you that are that have that mindset of like, oh, I know what's happening, I got to do something. Share the freedom cells, let them talk to the people on the forums, let them, you know, chat with others that think like them, and that might get them started. You know, it might put a fire under it and get, you know, get them. Moving towards freedom instead of the apathy, and the frog in the boiling water, you know. Um, Hans, can we hear you now? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, can you hear me fine? Oh, that's yeah, so much better. We can hear you good. Dude, this is like, I got this uh, video streaming mixer thing. It sucks ass, man. It's really bad. <laughs> I mean, no, literally, like, it, it says, oh, live streaming video. But, it, you know, USB, Wi-Fi, it doesn't work. You know, even the broad, you know, broadcast mic. So that's an example. I just want to comment on uh, your last guest. Please. Because that's, you know, we, this is where um, it's really essential to A, use the resources we have available to us now to create connections like Freedom Cell. But anything related to this crypto digital identity this is the base of the entire system and you know one level okay this is the metaverse this is the meta historical this is um you know this is cradle to grave tracking your social credit score starts when you're a baby okay and and so basically um, this, um, well, I, sorry, I should maybe introduce myself. I'm just diving in. Self-sovereign digital identity is the basis of this system. This is what 
you you know need to be aware of that you know i mean this is basically the um the the main uh management and infrastructure of the whole system right um the self-sovereign digital identity uh, initiative which is it sounds great right but it's actually that you have your self-sovereign identity is that you are a come everything you do think well even maybe think what you buy where you go everything every book you read everywhere you know any uh, sorry any um uh you know uh, AI generated video analysis is all going to go into your self-sovereign identity, your digital identity, right? So, um, so we uh, want to be careful uh, about anything that links to that. I mean, no, I, I think there's blockchain. There are limited. I mean, there's points. No, I mean, blockchain. It sounds great. It is great in a lot of ways, but blockchain is also the base of the cybernetic control prison. Exactly. That's, so, there's a psyop there to make us, to, they give us Bitcoin. Ooh, it's freedom. This blockchain is freedom, guys. It's like, the, you know, that's Orwellian, the way that they're telling you, you know, freedom is slavery. Like, it, so Hans, it almost sounds like you're saying that it's not necessarily a bad thing, but to be prepared because you know what, it is electronic. And if the electricity goes out, there goes your currency. I would so, say, I would say, I mean, look, there's, there's certain things online we can do, like say like, you know, you got digital currency trading, you can have some kind of things. I do not think that even, okay. If you want to, you know, make some money, you want to do some buy, sell, trade, and not me, well, it lasts fine. But don't go any deeper than that because it is the basis, okay? And literally. It's the basis well, of the future chains, well, that what well, you well, do. See, if you look at the um, the analysis, right, the, um, like the World Bank thing or whatever, but basically when they're, you're talking about the, you have a digital identity. You are uploaded into the metaverse, right? <laughs> You are literally everything, every aspect of your life is a traded commodity. It is, it is, it is an asset. This is, so part of this relates to capital and money because there's a finite amount of resources for the, um, the Episcopalians who, (laughs) (laughs) that's what technocracy is, is managing the resources to divvy out to the people as the government deems fit, right? You know, and and the way that the original money with the social security, like the banks, the Fed, that's an asset. If you have a social security number, you are traded like on, you know what I mean? Because you're going to produce this much in your lifetime and you're going to, you know, they, they, you know, you're like a block being traded you know what I mean? Because well, you're you're a slave too. It's like an auction. <laughs> dude, I just I just want to I remember this. This Please. is what's fascinating. Um, is that so so we have okay, so we have social security number, all that stuff, right? We have we go to maritime law, law of the land, law of the sea, mm-hmm. how you know we are on this the ship of commerce and all this stuff, right? Right. So this so I want to just go how central this is for the entire project and literally though so so we're talking about uploaded into the metaverse right 
We're talking human biologically powered 6G internet. Okay. But you'll remember 060606, right? But that's based on your work outputs increasing or decreasing your money. But actually it's linked to your DNA, right? But here's the, the, the cool point or interesting point is that they envision every single life form, every entity, even any thing, because this is like this book, Shaping Things. We've become, we're a thing, right? We're no longer right. a thing. We're, we're a thing. like a, a raw material to be used for their... Yeah, whatever. because with the massive ex- exploiters, there's, they, they've almost reached the peak level. There's no more... <clears throat> oh, maybe I'll... Green screen. It's a fraud. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, it's trippy as hell, man. It's okay. great. <laughs> know, fuck. Okay. I'll take out the fake gold. No, it's just real gold. The jig is up. Uh, okay, but I it's not really that. your pool. What? <laughs> anyway, Hans is the pool. He's a fed. Yeah, this right. is what the this is what the technocracy can give Hans. It can make it look like he has a pool yeah. <laughs> in the but, metaverse. Like, go ahead. Anyway. Let me. I'm gonna end with this, and we, you know, you bring it up. I think it's a okay. really important point. A lot of people don't know this, or they may know it is that the way this is organized as literally as blocks or cubes or hexagons and they all fit together and so each so you are that defined you literally fit into a cube and this is how it is actually modeled on the system architecture level and metaphorically so you are literally in a cube they can have different sides you can obviously be transported here or there but with this quote unquote self-sovereign right so this is of course talk about orwellian language uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll let me just real quick and i'll i'll, I'll be quiet i just I, you know it's because when he was talking about blockchain like you don't you never want to have a social credit score you know what i mean like the score is that you, you could know salt people, your data you could salt you know, your, always give a fake like I, don't give you real you know numbers and whatever no, he's talking about like you know, sovereign communities using social credit scores based on blockchain. Oh, right. He was talking about like, yeah, after we, where we can build it from, uh, from ourself. You're in a community. Well, I mean, people are creative artists, people, who knows why, like, you know, I would would, would say uh, that in the context of what Derek was saying is that in a, in, in a grassroots built built up uh, voluntary consent uh, a voluntary relationship uh, community that in that community so long as it w- of course if it's based off of voluntary consensual relationships within that small cadre they can do whatever they please and as so long as it remains voluntary they can do what they please and if they're in a group of 30 people on a on a plot of land say 100 acres and in that 100 acres of land if they decide that uh the way that they trade resources is through this their own version of a social credit system or their own version of this or they could have their own version of like like hours like whatever they could have their own version of whatever market they want Mm -hmm. so long as it remains voluntary and the people can leave whenever they please then there's no real harm being done so with that idea in mind like we kind of kind of zoom out from that idea and realize how it's being how that idea is being implemented on the macrocosm and it's not being implemented under voluntary circumstances. It's being imposed on people 
and it's do, done hijacking through, their dopamine with right them, it's you know. being done through coercion and putting people in a state of duress and in that state of duress they're implementing this social credit system and they're oh, implementing man. the cbdc's and all of these different te- technocratic uh control mechanisms ah. and, i'm just gonna i'm so sorry to do this i, I hate interrupting people but <laughs> The original meaning of social credit. If it's based I on. I hang out with Sean McCann all the time. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I interrupt everybody. It's... No, 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 no. Sean saw me interrupt and I said, man, Sean's empowered me. You know, I'm empowered. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, Blame it on Sean. So, so here's, I want to, this is very important, right? And I'm not, the reason I'm not just being, you know, I'm being a little bit deep on this point because I think it's yeah. really important to get this into awareness is that. Social credit, the original meaning of social credit, right, is the perfect economic system, right? This is what, well, actually, Germany, right, World War II, uh, uh, Libya under Gaddafi. Um, Multiple countries have used this. The name was social credit. It was developed in the mid-19th century in the United States, right? But social credit is that your work generates the money. The money is not generated via debt. Your input into the community generates the the, the, the means of exchange right. and yeah. so it's a little more logical at least yeah. any organization you know i mean if you have, of course they have enough resources to do it if you if you have this type of system right where your actual output creates the currency right so you do something the currency is not based on you being sold into debt slavery with your social security number right. put on the sea of commerce no longer no longer sovereign right you're you have lost your sovereignty because you are no longer on the land you're no longer on the earth right the whole this is these are stages of lifting us off the earth yeah. so that is very positive but social credit score and everything else, look I, 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 that's why I said I asked John, like, bring me in. I, I don't want to debate with like, like, it's like punching the, hey, I got you again. <laughs> he was on the way no, out anyway. I, I, no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, and, and no, no, in no way criticizing him. I'm just saying to bring, be aware of this because this, the sovereign identity thing, the blockchain, use it within a limited thing. Do not track personal behavior preferences chores character personality things like that because basically it's like when the social credit tracks how you talk you talk is a behavior modification device for what you know if you got a a community and you're living if you got a hundred people you got 500 people there eventually you're gonna know you know it's not i mean you know a digital behavioral record is not going to show if someone's trustworthy or not. You know, I mean, in fact, that can be faked. I mean, this, this creates a, this creates a level. This is where the currency goes into our social spaces. We want to reclaim that space. Original meaning of social credit would not, I mean, because I mean, the fact is that when you have a functioning society or community, you have a social credit system because, you know, if you don't do what you're, you, you okay, you have chores, you have community, you know, outputs, you have a list, a list right. and you do the work. If you don't show up 10 days in a row and you're, you know, you, they find you in a ditch, you know, with a prostitute and a crack pipe, you know, and then you add someone like signing your name. Well, that's your zero social credit score. But right. you know, 
So, okay, okay, I'll leave that. But <laughs> but the, 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 the blockchain is actually the DNA. It's your DNA code, right? So what the blockchain is, a DNA encoded, uploaded into the metaverse in your cube or hexagonal thing structure. And, okay, I'll leave it there. So I don't mean to rant. Like if we, uh, if we allow for the technology to learn our patterns and our likes and dislikes or whatever, you know, the like button on Facebook, it's, you know, it's a, um, then they can predict the future. They can wield what they put in front of us. You know, like we've had other episodes where we, you know, we talked about the media uh, and like, you know, they, the, the smartphone is recording everything and the TV is inputting everything. And it's like a feedback loop you know, it's uh, true uh, cybernetics, you know, it's like the technocrats dream, uh, you know, and anyway, so yeah, we understand if, like, if if we can refrain from letting the computers learn us, then our future prison that's designed specifically for us, like, won't fit right, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> because uh, they have to, they have to plan or they have to learn us to catch our next step into the trap of slavery. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, and I guess that I'm like the, the late comer, right? The bull freaking out. Um, so, so it, it, innovation edge in South Africa, providing free education, free food to all, you know, pre-K, K, they had to sign up for, a blockchain identity oh. in order to go to these schools and do that. Really? And this is, yeah. So this is what I'm saying. These are some of these little mini rollout, little test drives, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. And, and so you're literally linked into the blockchain. You, your identity in kindergarten. Oh, you want, but then, you know, and how are they tracking it? Is it going to be a, a you know, like the, the parents get in that program, I'm sure it's very, you know, um, innovation edge. I'm sure it's very prestigious, right? Oh, you get all this stuff paid for, right? All you have to do is make sure your kid is locked, gets their unique identifier and gets to tracking whatever tracking mechanisms are available, you know, or however they're doing that. Um, right. you know, so, but the same time, um, well, real quick, if I may interject, you said, however, they may be doing that. And I've noticed this trend being a, a father of a couple of young kids. Uh, I have noticed this trend and I don't do this full disclosure, but the Apple, um, they have these little, these little devices as a GPS device and they advertise them as a device that you can put on your child's backpack so you can keep track of where the fuck they're going all the time in case they get kidnapped that's the fear mechanism that's the fear put in there but it's so you can track and trace your child well that information isn't private it, it's not private so uh you asked how they could do that that's a that <laughs> wow what happened to your living room Hans? oh what? it's autumn all of a sudden oh. <laughs> wow <laughs> i'm sorry no james hold keep on, going hold on, hold on. sorry um, you guys I know, I know. We got to. Uh, that, that is that is something that what you were just bringing up, like the question of how how they uh, how could they do this? Well, in terms of movement, they have things like that Apple uh, Apple uh, 
uh, GPS device. Right. And of course, they've had GPS devices that you can put on cars and things like that. This is but not, kids don't carry a cell phone. Well, not all, not not all, all kids, right? But this is, so a, this is something that you can attach, and it's like not a cell phone. It attaches to their backpack or whatever, and it's like just a, another thing. I forget what exactly what it's called, but it's just a GPS device. Right, but yeah. as it becomes like the more they push that into normalcy, Right, like, it's like, not. It'll be like, oh, the government should be tracking. Where well, was their device? You know, this, like, is, this is how we see the rollout of this because right. they don't need the parents. They need the, they need it to be the children to grow up in a world where this is something that's normal, and that in right. that way they can have the culture change. And if the culture changes, then sooner or later they'll be able to change the policy. And as soon as they can change the policy, that's when they can impose their will onto everybody because now it's law. Then it's they law. Don't need, they right. they don't need. To make it, they can't make it law. People will freak out. They can't just skip all those steps. They have to do this progression. So this is another, not to derail the conversation in another way, but this is why we see a lot of um, anti-Second Amendment things being targeted at children in the United States uh, because they want to have a, a couple of generations from now, the adult, the children that are going to be adults in the future to have a disdain for certain things. And that's when they're going to be able to, uh, through the change of culture, by implement, by kind of taking over the kids' heads and getting these ideas, the mind control into the children, then in 40 years, they'll be able to pass the policies and make the laws. And Just then like Captain to- Planet in the 90s, right. and now they got like carbon credits, you know. Well, right. This happened, you know, I, I said this for a long time. It's well said, James, yeah. So sorry, sorry Jim. Uh, no, awesome. no, 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 you're good. And so really, you know, it you know, if we want to um, you know, look at what's important is you know we as living incarnate beings, right, with our names, our lifespan, our identity, right? To be able to become free. In fact, we already are free in our inherent nature. We That's don't right. have to manufacture our freedom. You know what I mean? That's it, right. It never has to be manufactured. It's always there, right? Right. But um, the, the children, right? So that is really like, this is where, you know, we have, you know, a, you know maybe a divergent point is that, you know, there's that Frank Zappa song is like, freedom is where you don't have to do nothing or be nothing nothing to achieve i want to be free freedom if they do nothing be nothing i want to be free I want, I, that is but see that is not freedom right That's slavery freedom, you don't know it's not that it's even it can be if you do nothing like well, well, well yeah of course see it's that it's it's what we have is the okay even like anarchy should mean that you yourself are it seems like you guys are a center <laughs> yeah. of action. you're creating right. your own space your own reality or bringing things in so it's not that you don't do anything right you must do something as soon as you realize your own aliveness but without really taking deep consideration for the children and everything else i mean you know it um you know in a certain way it seems it's okay man you know i mean you got all you know it's all of these things right we i think in a certain way Okay, I'm gonna throw this out there and I'll stop. Is that we have almost been jettisoned right into the metaverse, right? Mm-hmm. In that, 
what events are real, what are fake, what is happening, what is not happening, right? Like even, you know, right. you know, and you don't really know, but yet we're being steered by that, you know. Uh, and we're, we're shown too. They showed us the Queen of England dancing on her desk like last year or something, you know, and then they're they're all like, Oh, this is her. Oh, nope, it's AI. Whoops, it was a big joke, everybody, you know. They're showing us in our face, hey, everything's fake. Mm-hmm. Well, the black magic, right? So <laughs> yeah, they have right, the that's... black magic of the Trump arrest pictures. Remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. The black and black. Well, I guess my phone was maybe in sleep mode, but but we don't, right? And I, I, we were talking before about, you know, the, the Pentagon Department now to literally generate totally artificial events, situations, scenarios with some plausibility, but have a complete media event. You can have, you know, with the AI, you can have a realistic, you know, terrorist bombing, wherever, or whatever you want to do. Right? <laughs> of course, when that comes out and says we're going to do that, it's been going on, right? But, I mean, the... Um, it's the digitalized community. It's just that the children are linked into blockchain. And so basically what they're talking about, the cube self is your digital twin. Okay. So we literally will live through our digital twin. We'll be punished and conditioned by that digital twin. Okay. So obviously we're not going to be uploaded into a cube in the, in the metaverse, but in in a sense, our consciousness will be right. Hmm. And that's, part of the stimulus response pattern but um if um if if the if the real social credit right like you know you integrate that into the currency right can you generate a currency where someone does something in the community they generate wealth you know even you know you know whatever you know maybe taking care of your kids but but just certain things right certain designators or markers generates that because otherwise, man, you know, well, I don't, James, have we talked, we haven't talked forever. Uh, no, well, we, this is the second time we've done black. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. Sorry. So, I mean, the, the, the reason why it's, in my opinion, important to understand the generational progression of, of the rollout of this is because of just how long uh, these ideas of technocracy have been stirring around or been, you know, been, available uh it's been just about a whole century now that cybernetics norbert wiener and these things have been starting to get rolled out and they do it uh slowly over time so that way uh, there's not a shock to the system so it's like again i'm 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 kind of getting sick and tired of the frog and the boiling water uh analogy but or metaphor how whatever uh, but it is it is that way. It is that way. They do it slowly over time so they don't shock the system. So they, they just next generation, they do a little bit more and push the envelope a little bit more, push the boundaries a little bit more and see what they can get away with. And when there's pushback, they retreat just a little bit, but not all the way. And then they push forward again from there and then they get further. It's almost like the whole three steps forward, two steps back routine. Um, they always make it, they, they, the outcome is always, they've made it one step, you know, then they never go all the way back to zero. So, I mean, that's, that's why it's important to keep in mind about the, the, the generational aspect of all of this. Um, I hope I didn't, uh, lose where, where's Sean? Where, well, I don't know, but let's just dive in. Sorry. I'm having trouble with my camera guys. I'm so almost... that's, um, 
So, you know, you go, so uh, thanks for bringing that up, James. Uh, and I, I do remember. So I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here teleported in from industrial Ohio, the death camp, right? We're in the friggin' death camp, but is a death camp of the mind. Cybernetics, Norbert Wiener, Robert, I mean, rocket control systems, um, moving into this idea of control networks with the governor, right? So the governor, the cybernetic systems are based on the governor, right? And in the system, the actually positive feedback means, which is really kind of odd, right? You think positive feedback in cybernetics terms means you're going off course. You're going in the wrong way. It's a negative feedback. That's a course correction, right? But cybernetic loop technology, um, it is, I mean, cy- of course, cyber, cybernetics, even techno- technology. Um, the you know, steersman. What was in zero, um, ones and zeros, and the, the you know, the, the Macy conferences, you know, starting with um, the, the, and even some classified conferences, but cerebral inhibition, right? First conference was on cerebral inhibition. <laughs> What is scary, that? Very scary. Well, another word for that is hypnosis, right? It's yeah. also like uh, lobotomy, you know, but go ahead. Yeah, but, but, you know, the cybernetic literature um, is very sort of encoded, right? Okay. Unless you know what to look for or else, you know, it may just be on the surface, but they're always skirting these issues. Um, so you get the, their, their minutes, right? You get the publication. Oh, this is what it was. It's just transcriptions of them talking. But we've all, if you guys have seen the site, the seance, right? They did with Margaret Mead. Um, Margaret Mead, you know, the great transhumanist elect, right? So through that, you know, we tie into these um, Theophilosophical Society um, and, you know, go back and back and back. But um, we have this, um, first of all, we have a bifurcation of natural energy, Right. Of the universe, like I don't want to, you know, learn how to play guitar. I just want to, you know, put some electrodes in my brain and just go float out and, you know, in my space realm and think I'm the greatest guitarist that ever lived. Is that, are you really a, a guitarist? Is that replica of the reality? No. Far out, man. <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, the, the, so the roots of this, the Macy conferences, and you can go back and back. You go a little bit like the you know the New World Order by H. G. Wells. So H. G. Wells was very prominent in this. Um, you know the Fabian Society, um, but you can go back further. Um, you know if you look at um, you know notes on a conspiracy, right? Which was the um, John Robeson or Paul Robeson, who who was uh, I think it was okay. I'm not going to say exact date. It's 17. 15, 1730, I may be a little off on that, but John wrote, he published this because he was in the higher order Illuminati. The same goals, and I know this sounds, I've been chastised, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. No, it's not. I mean, this is actual. We're all ears, man. It's great. Existing thing. No, I'm not saying to you guys, but, but the Illuminati, these protocols are the same as what we're experiencing now, but we are just at a much, much, much higher frequency gradient. So, you know, removal, you know, destruction of all religions, destruction of family, this, this, this. Now we're at the point where to attain complete 
domination and planetary control to usurp free any freedom right so this is the the will taking we become we are consumed right we're being consumed we're being eaten we have lost our freedom and so the ones and zeros these binary matrices right we no longer know our own senses our ears our eyes hands body relations so um the the generations to come you know a this knowledge is disappearing right like so even you know like god and Gollum, god or Gollum, norbert wiener's book right god or Gollum, very interesting book very encoded book okay um uh, norbert wiener who's you know his you know an actual rocket scientist not a fake but notice even the word, oh, well, he's a rocket scientist. Like, that's the greatest peak of science. Is it really? <clears throat> but cybernetic systems theory developed from missile, guided missile systems. Okay. But Norbert Wiener, um, you know, uh, you know, developed this whole idea um, of, you know, the human is a computer. The brain is a computer. And God or Gollum. So that's a question about, you know, the new future. But actually, if you decode it a bit, it's like, we're the gods. You're the you're the golem, right? right? You're the slave. You are the right. the thing. It's a new but, feudalism. Like we're the serf, and they're claiming to be their our king, or whatever. But what remains of your human spirit, soul, um, life force, your creativity, productivity, interesting things, right? Your likes, dislikes. Your this is your humanity, right? These little things. You know, a robot. How many things can a robot do? I mean, yeah. I would replace, I, I told my wife I was going to replace her with a robot. Oh, Jesus. She, no, just for, just for a week. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. But the no, word no, robot no, means it's, it's like doing shit for me, like sending emails, organizing documents. Right. Who, who, does, who never wouldn't want an AI to do your homework? You know what I mean? Like, you know, it seems convenient and, you know, oh, but... <sighs> It's that's that, you know, that's how they get you. Right. Like there, it starts with it. And what you were, what you were starting to say there with Norbert Wiener and God or Gollum, uh, that reminds me of Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, are you familiar with this dude? Absolutely. Uh, he is the, so he, this is just, I've got some clips. Do you want us to play? Can we, do you sure, want sure. us to play? And a couple I, I, you know, I got it. I bought a couple of his books. Um, and these are oh. actually important books to read. Right. Stole so, so this is um he is completely right norbert wiener hg wells right norbert wiener hg wells we can go back herbert malthus right so we can go back malthusian darwin darwin is very important but go, go ahead Rock. right here oh uh, yeah here we'll but it's the same thing it's just it's just on a much finer level now we're being let me say this point real quick is it, mm-hmm. that's why I mentioned the blockchain. Our energy is being extracted into this machine. We're feeding yeah. the machine. You know, at the same time, we are, it's uploading into our brains. You know, GPS, when I first started using GPS, my sense of direction atrophy, right? GPS <laughs> right. is a great tool, right? But, okay. Well, the interception of our natural abilities is what's happening. And we'll, I'm, um, I'm for sure going to talk about that later. Uh, we have, I've planned to uh, read a piece from a Kurth Barker book and uh, 
it's more plans of what they're planning to do. But but here, uh, this is the Noah Harari clip. Um, here, I'm going to add it. Um, and it's, and it's, it's so nice to see, see you again. again. You know, you so know, if so I understand you right. right. Um, okay. you're... Well, first of all, it's, I, it's I, echoing. I don't know if it's but, from me. Um, oh, Sean, just yes. look, look at him first. So, uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm saying like, you know, I mean, if I was, uh, if I swang both ways, I would walk the other way. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, I watched the documentary on the Heaven's Gate cult. You guys remember that? You know, yeah, yeah. That, but that was very interesting cult, right? And mm -hmm. who was funding them, right? It was just, you know, but they're all computer programmers. They all they shave their heads, and eventually right. they, they cut off their their um, their love sticks. You know, yeah. You know, We're going to talk about that too. <laughs> but he, okay, look at that gesture right there. Look, he's making that looks like almost like a that's like a magic gesture, but purple. Shaved head, he looks like the alien, right? He looks almost like the gray. He looks like a 3D projection. He doesn't even well, know. He is. This run. actually is a projection. Oh, get the fuck out of In the beginning, he's like, he's from, he's in Tel Aviv or whatever. Dude, and how many fingers like, does he have? Look at his hand. I know, yeah. <laughs> right. One he's computer generated on the screen. He's got 11 fingers, man. Go to play it. All right. Okay. Well, Hans, so, don't uh, be a bigot. Some people have eleven fingers. But he does. Some people <laughs> will choose to have eleven fingers or not, and they'll it'll be added just digitally. That's not an eleven part. finger. That's that he's he's artificially growing a penis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god! It's yeah, definitely yeah. flat down there, man. <laughs> yeah, you look at your Yeah, he's in the Hillary Clinton's not, email. Not like his hands. There's <laughs> more valleys than hills out there. This is a comedy show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna play this. It's echoing, so I don't know if it's from James or from me. So I'm gonna, I might mute, uh, but we're just gonna play. It's only six minutes to get a general idea of this dude's thinking. This guy is like one of the, uh, one of uh, he's steering the ship of the technocracy, and uh, he's he's voicing his, you know, where he's. Anyway, let's just give a listen to what he has to say here alerting us to two big dangers here. One is uh, the possible resurgence of a seductive form of... Oops. I don't know why it's echoing. I don't know what that echo is. Well, I mean, it's not echoing that bad on my end. Um, okay. So I just roll it, yeah. Okay, we're just going to roll it. But close to that, dictatorships that may not exactly be fascistic, but, but control all the data. I wonder if there's, there's a third concern that some people here have already expressed, which is when not governments, but uh, big corporations control all our data. What do you call that, and how worried should we be about that? Well, in the end, there isn't such a big difference between the corporations and the governments, because, as I said, the question is who controls the data. This is the real government. If you call it a corporation or a government, if it's a corporation and it really controls the data, this is our real government. So the difference is more apparent than real. But I somehow, at least with corporations, you can imagine market mechanisms where they can be taken down. I mean, if, if consumers just decide that a company is no longer operating in their interest, it does open the door to another market. It seems easier to imagine that than, say, you know, citizens rising up and taking down a government that is in control of everything. Well, we are not there yet. But again, if a corporation really knows you better than you know yourself, then, as I said, it can manipulate. 
your own deepest emotions and desires, and you won't even realize, you will think this is your authentic self. So in theory, yes, in theory you can rise against the corporation, just as in theory you can rise against the dictatorship. But in practice, it is extremely difficult. Hmm. So in Homo Deus, you argued that uh, this would be the century when humans kind of became gods, um, either through development of artificial intelligence or, or through uh, genetic engineering. Okay. Yeah, you, yeah if you could um, just go back just a little bit, because that's the point I was trying to make, and he just made it for me. Yeah. Just go back a little bit. Um, this is where you, know, you get a, just a, a hair, just get the tail into that. It does open the door to another market. It seems easy to imagine that than, say, you know, citizens rising up and taking down a government that is in control of everything. Well, we are not there yet. But again, if a corporation really knows you better than you know yourself, then, as I said, it can manipulate your own deepest emotions and desires, and you won't even realize. So... If the corporation knows you better than you know yourself, okay, so it knows you, this is beyond, below your conscious mind, it can manipulate your unconscious emotions and desires. So this is a very important point, right? That's a little bit why I was going on the blockchain, but just to catch up, because he goes to the next level, homo deus, but... You go, what do you, I don't know you guys think it's about that. book, right? Um, homo deus, that's, that's his yeah. name. The gods, the gods. Like, what do you think? About, so, what, what do you think about that, James? Like the idea that that you know they're they know you. They're not only knowing you better than know yourself. They're able to subtly steer you and condition you. You no longer know your own emotions, right? You know, or whatever you know. I mean, there's a go, go ahead. So this brings to mind uh, something I, I believe I said right at the beginning of the show, um, which uh, unfortunately you weren't here for, but this brings to mind, you know, uh, we have to take into consideration the steps required in order to get to that, uh, them knowing you better than you know yourself. So immediately, just like I said at the beginning, Edward Bernays comes to mind, propaganda by Ed, Edward Bernays, which is like the forefather, well, the, the modern day forefather to how the corporations got into the mentality of people and how they were able to kind of like hijack the. Um, right. It started with him selling stuff. us products and right. cigarettes, and now they're selling us ideas and right. slavery. Right. right. It, it's it's basically just like a, a manipulation of supply and demand where like, you know, they're, they're just taking over that and uh, selling people that the life of luxury is what they want and whatever whatever means necessary. Get to this kind of fake ass life of luxury. Don't do any work. And then what also comes to mind is something I've actually been preparing all week to talk about uh, is is the um, the education system. And where that comes from. So we have to look at people like uh, we, we have to look back at um, at people that put these things into place. And the fact of the matter is, is that the the liberal arts uh, are are um, involved in this. So what we're looking at here is basically a weaponization of the trivium method, uh, the seven liberal arts, include, so the trivium and the quadrivium, uh, those being the seven liberal arts. And we have people like in the in history like Dorothy Sayers saying that it was uh, the that it was lost when it was never lost at all. In fact, it was a 
it was uh, always implemented in in the structure, um, but we're looking at something that is the English trivium and not the uh, not necessarily the classical trivium that that can be connected back to uh, ancient Greece and that uh, that is typically. You know, from my understanding, a lot of people think that the trivium method comes from uh, somebody like Plato when it's actually Isocrates who comes up with the uh, comes up with the education system back in those times. Then fast forward through history and then we're looking at uh, the Rhodes Milner um, roundtable groups that get formed in the late 19th century into the early 20th century. And then we're looking at uh, the evolution of the Rhodes Milner groups into road scholarships and then into uh, Council on Foreign Relations and the Macy Conference and these these different powerful groups that come together to kind of shape and mold the way that society is going to go. And they knew right off the bat that they were going to have to get into the education system if they wanted any of their goals to come to fruition. So what they had to do was they had to kind of hijack the trivium and quadrivium, making the seven liberal arts, and they weaponized it against the people, saying that we're going to have a compulsory education system because we need to be able to tell people what to think. And then what they did with that is they said, okay, well, we're only going to expose them to so much, so grammar, logic, rhetoric, and then, you know, the the quadrivium is is, uh, arithmetic, and then uh, from there, uh, music, uh, music, astrology, astrology yeah, yeah, and uh, music, astrology, astrology, geometry. So, you know, we, we're what we're dealing with is these the um, the withholding of certain aspects that would make of up the grammar. grammar, and then their in, then their logic is incomplete, and therefore, their if their logic is incomplete, then their rhetoric will be flawed. And then what we're, that's what we're dealing with now with what they, with what they kind of pulled on all of us. And, um, that's my understanding of it as it is right now, as far as the weaponization of the trivium and the seven liberal arts and how they used that against people. They understood it as a way to kind of, again, through the compulsory education system introduced into this country between the late 19th century into the early 20th century, where it was heavily introduced and really made compulsory and, and a wide uh, wide net was cast on this, uh, on this country when it came to the education system. And all this had to do with is um, the reason why it being the English trivium method and not the classical trivium method was to bring back uh, so the trivium is basically a way to teach people how to read and, and then through reading, you actually have language and language is a technology. Language is a technology. Language is a technology. <laughs> what we're dealing with it here is like, um, with, with the Rhodes scholarships and the Rhodes Milner, uh, groups and everything like that, Cecil Rhodes wanted to basically, he had this idea that, the you know that the that the British Empire uh, wasn't dead that it needed to be revived and all this all this stuff about Cecil Rhodes and I'm sure a lot of people have heard about but um, basically what had happened was is that he came up with this he came up with this idea and he uh, wanted to reabsorb America back into the British Empire that way the British Empire could live again and there would be like a one world government uh, that I mean a true empire so what so what he understood was is that the Amer- and he wrote this in his last will and testament and then passed that down to um 
Uh, I forget the the exact lineage. There's some important people in that lineage, so my my rhetoric is flawed. But yeah, good, James, keep going. Eventually, what it came to, uh, I believe that um, Nathan Rockefeller got a hold of it, and he was in charge of the outcome of Cecil Rhodes' last will and testament. But so with the Rhodes scholarships and everything like that, two rep- two people, the two of the brightest minds from each state of the United States were taken from the United States and brought over to Oxford in England and taught the English trivia method. They were taught all these things, the liberal arts, to bring them back to America. And then they would go into uh, positions of power and positions of, of, of influence in the higher classes and stuff like that. And then they would be able to alter the culture and bring it to a place where next thing you know, America is not really America anymore. It's America by name only. And that they're actually kind of adapted and adopted the British culture. And therefore, through that adoption of the British culture, they would be able to be ready and well, more well absorbed back into the British Empire. Right. The shifting of the culture that brings in the policy yet again. Right. So what we're dealing with, again, is, um, is 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 a hundred years. Like they control the grammar, right? right? So it's a worldview programming, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's like they're it's like they're built. It's like they're building. It's like they're they're saying, here's a circle, and within that circle is the area in which you're allowed to move around. So in the circle is just big enough for you to think that you're free, but it's still a cage. Right. Okay? So like, and that's the idea of the knowledge that you're absorbing. So, and, and again, if you don't have, uh, if you're not able to gather all the grammar, then your logic will be flawed. And if your logic is incomplete, then your rhetoric is, is, is not going to be, it's not going to be bad input, no bad or no input. You get lousy output. Right. Right. Just like how I'm not very well versed in this. So I'm missing names and and you're good, James. No, it's great. But like it, it really comes down to is that the council on foreign relations and, and all these places, their sole purpose is to shape the culture and to find, and to like, uh, it has to do with World War Two. I mean, sorry, excuse me. I I call the American Revolution World War One in my own fucked up way. So World <laughs> War II would be what everyone else calls World War One, but uh, for the sake of everyone else, it was really World War One in the nineteen uh, in the early twentieth century. Excuse me. And then um, this is when America uh, took the side of the British. And even in the early twentieth century, there was still a lot of disdain for the British. Uh, in America, as there should be, but Woodrow Wilson, um, he took he took the the position that he was in, and he made peace with. Well, not peace. I don't want to. I don't want to put it that way. But he, he did his job for his owners. Well, he took the American military and went over to Europe and kind of said "fuck you" to the Monroe Doctrine. And said, "Okay, we're going to go over to Europe, and we're going to fight in this war, and we're going to fight on the, on the side of the British, who are like one of the, you know who are our original enemy." And a lot of people were like, "What the fuck?" Well, what a lot of people, um, what a lot of people miss is that through Woodrow Wilson's, and this is an interesting connection, uh, through Woodrow Wilson's um, trips back and forth. Well, maybe trips back and forth to England to kind of work out the deals, he brought this young man with him, 21-year-old Edward Bernays. And so Edward Bernays from a very one, maybe 21, 22, 23, very, very young for the time, uh, I guess. And 
he so this is a little bit of a background on Edward Bernays is just like how long he was involved with with the the deep state and and the inception right. of a steering deep, the like Freud it's, man Freud you know well, Freud told right, yeah. Freud too right. Freud Edward Bernays the way we think of our own selves Freud is an example of this earlier type of cognitive programming right, right. so that well, for okay for so good. No, you're, you're right. Freud was propped up by the same people, you know, Freud, the same people that, you know, gave us Einstein and Kinsey, like, you know what I mean? Well, it's, it's the same that Freud's nephew is Edward Bernays. Exactly. So, and then and it, Edward Bernays's nephew owns Netflix. Yeah, he created Netflix. Right. And so it's a continuation of the sure, same. Sure. And like, they, and by creating, by giving us only so much grammar, that only, you know, they tell us, oh, anarchy means chaos. And everybody grows up thinking that because that's all they get in their little circle of what they think is freedom. And then, like, you know, uh, reality, uh, it's... It, so with language being involved with technocracy and cybernetics, it has, sorry, to, do, it, it has to do with, you know viewing language as a technology because this is how we have created a way to identify things and that's the primary function of language is for us to communicate what communicate the different identifications of objects and materials back and forth to one another and we invented that as we we invented that so it is a technology so the idea of all of this stuff about Rhodes and Milner and all of these groups and all of this stuff is to create a language uh, basic language that everyone on the planet can understand because through that you'll be able to communicate different ideas and, and perform mind control essentially. Right. And, and you have to be able to have a, a common language in order to do that. And right. that's why they use the English trivium method was because that's how you learn how to read. That's how you learn how to write. That's how you learn how to, how to speak back out what you have taken in. I mean, that's what rhetoric is typically right. known and it, as. So and it's aimed at the children too, right? Well, exactly, because this is in, in through like the Jesuit, uh, the Jesuit um, teachings and all the other compulsory teachings uh, that 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 are there. And um, I, I I do believe that that it is ha and has always been directed at children for this specific reason, for a slow rollout of different ideas to alter the culture because the policy, in my opinion, is downstream from the culture. So long as you can make it normalize, make normalization of radical ideas, those ideas seem to fade away from the radical nature of those ideas when they first came out and they seem to kind of become more normal, of course, like I just said, and yeah. the and kids then, had to wear masks when those kids grow up. Like what's going to be right. That's a good example is that, yeah, it's a radical idea to us adults, but to the kids, it's just normal. Right. And, yeah, and uh, please, so just, no, please. The, so the trivium, I mean, the trivium really, so liberal arts, right? So the meaning of that original meaning, right? Is the art of freedom. Right. Yeah. Art means also the art means to produce, to create, to right. flow, to have that capability. Right? You can have the art of cooking, the art, whatever. But grammar. Um, so you know, there was you know a very good book is a uh, the, the Trivium, Sister Miriam Josephs. Right? Go through that book. Um, it's supposed to be for high school kids, man. It, it's 
it it'll give you a brain workout, and it gave me a brain workout, right? Well, but, the, the, but, the, but grammar, grammar is structure, process, and understanding. So, so you can say it's about reading; it is, but there's a deeper level. Is to understand grammar is to understand basic relationships, be able to ascertain relationships, right? Right. And then like also, between the identities of those things, like how yeah. they relate. Well, it's important to keep in mind that in in America, uh, after the revolution was fought and won, and and everything, that it was the trivia method. The trivia method for education uh, was thrown away because of. And I'm going to put this in my own words because they said, "How dare you tell me how I'm supposed to critically think?" <laughs> so it's like almost like a hip. It's almost like they the 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 founding fathers and the people that built this uh, shit around us are basically just saying they're calling out what they saw as hypocrisy, where it's like this is how you critically think. Well, that's not thinking very critically now, is it? If you're if you're just going to follow down the path somebody telling you what to do you're not really thinking critically so why should i take your method as the only method to do it it's not that they said that you can't practice the trivia method they just said that they're not going to construct a structure uh, uh, built off of the trivia method as the one and only way you can learn how to do things so that's why the open that's why the decentralized education system in america existed before the 20th century in the way in the way that it did because right. they they just saw it as being the way that the the, the way that uh, uh, to maintain the level of freedom that they had at the time right and, and that's why when the english trivia method was brought back to america it was done so in the way that it's like we're saving the americans that's why they did the Rhodes scholarships that's why they did all of these things is because they're like oh we're saving these we're saving these you know people that are undereducated when it's like it's not about a level of education that anyone should expect anybody to have. It's about whether or not you're free to right. choose how education should go for you. Self-actualization comes to mind at this point yeah. and, and spiritual, spiritual, uh, certain spiritual points come to mind uh, right now. And, you know, so there's, uh, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with the trivium method at all. I'm saying that like that the fact that there could be a uh, ruling class of any type saying that here is how you critically think by that statement in itself, there's hypocritical nature of right. that statement in itself because uh, I haven't come to that conclusion on my own. Therefore, it's not really critically thinking. Right. Uh, well, the I think the important point that you were trying to get at is that it's the structure so that everybody can fit into it. That way the cybernetics can happen because like if everybody's working on their own way, then uh, they they can't receive the information back again to control it. Right. Because the feedback has to has to be something that's that's right. that's uh, coming from everyone. That's why the one language is so important is so that the feedback, it translates back to the steersman and and the, they can understand it. Right. So like they can understand the feedback and then they can shift accordingly and, and see what they have to do to shift, to steer, right. you know, right. cybernetics. So like that's, ex so that's exactly they, um, they, they, it's hijacking the, they're basically setting everybody into this net and that was the way they did it then. And now the, the new, uh, 
technology to keep us in the new net is with this digital, um, you know, the, the Bernays guy, this Harari guy is like a Bernays now, you know, uh, please Hans. Yeah. He's more like, he's more like, uh, you know, Bernays was a behind the scenes guy that was, he, you know, he wrote the book. So propaganda in the public mind was not for, the hoi polloi wasn't for the great unwashed, right? It was for the, the rulers and saying right. the public mind must be controlled and manipulated. Um, it'd been done before. He just had much more advanced levels of technology to do it. Harari is more like this theorist, right? Arnold Toynbee, um, what, you know, like some, you know, I don't know. Uh, the like dreamer. Carl, Carl, well, I mean, not exactly. I, I was going to say like Carl Sagan. No, but kind of. <laughs> He's a public intellectual, but he's different is that he's revealing what is going to happen. Okay, future shock. Like, oh, we're going to have this, that coming down the pike. Everyone's going to have these problems, right? It's big pushed forward. He's a, you know, quote unquote, public intellectual that is showing the exact deepest foundation of what this rests on. Okay, so then now he goes into that, you know, the homo deus. I, I want it, James, and, and no offense, man, but but I have to say, I think, at least based on my understanding, right, of the trivium as it was, um, as it, you know, no really long exists, it was the, the, what you had to go through to become a citizen, right? Greece, Rome, you had to mat, you had to go through and gain these skills. So it actually gives you, you, your mind is, you know, you, you have to go through this very rigorous understanding. You're able to understand. No, you can say you want to go spiritual level. Okay. All this is man-made, blah, blah, blah. But this gives you the grounding for an actual freedom. And it's not really conditioning you. Um, so I think that, you know, it, it, it was, not it's not done because it's too you know again if you have this if you're younger if we had a trivia education we'd be way smarter because then you can see through everything right it's not if so, you so, can so, if you can gather all the grammar right yeah but it, it's just it's like a it's like a training it's like a training program um but you do get a depth think of it grammar logic right so you understand fundamental structures cause out i mean then logic how do you arguments what how do we ascertain truth how do we make statements how do we communicate how do we you know this is also talking about how words create our reality this is right. what is being you know yeah, you whatever logos is being on your mind but then you have because rhetoric is, is is speaking but then you have like mathematics the size of pure number um astronomy the sky the music right. i mean so these are things that are not you know this is more for your own mind and then you, once you see these, you can see what's a pure structure related to nature. You know what I mean? Potentially, right? You know, I'm not saying it has, it can't be conditioned, but I think that the trivium type of education, um, it, you know, I, mean, I think we're so far beyond that even being. I mean, people don't have any education at all. I mean, they have right. is a diseducation yeah. um, because. Um, we don't even know what the categories are, right? The categories of mind, of reality. See, we're losing our ability to separate our perception, our mind, our societal structures, and, you know, our sort of embodied being as we are in this moment, our life existence, right? Like, if you can't separate your own thoughts from the world around you, if you don't know what's your own thought, what's being put inside, you know, it's like, you know, you can walk around in, in a, you know, uh, artificial reality, 
right? Uh, so, 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 so I, I don't, I, I, no, no um, you know, I, I don't, at least my understanding of the derivative is that it is, you know, not that, you know, I've read through the book, I've kind of, you know, I haven't gone through the whole thing. It's, it's pretty rigorous. It really makes you have a very clear mind and it's not forcing anything on you. It's a, one thing it says too, is that this just having fact, 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 event, 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 right? It means nothing. Right. That's what we're, we're in the realm of information, information. But, um, uh, but would you mind going back to that Harari video? Because there he goes to the ascendancy. But I think, but James, I would say it's a great point, though, about how we're conditioned and controlled. And even, you know, you know, even these things, these terms, lo- logic, grammar, rhetoric, liberal arts, what do they mean now? What they meant in ancient Rome or Greece, what they mean now are totally different. Right. So instead of freedom, you became a liberal, right? So the actual freedom became, you know, whatever the floaty state. You know, right. Well, they can they change the definitions by you know if they're if they are in control of the input, then they uh, you know they control the output basically. And if they give us Shakespeare and they give us like. This is the you know how to think and what you're thinking, like I think James is a uh, you might got the wrong idea because James is a proponent of the trivium. He likes the trivium. Trivia is a conspiracy theory. No, there the conspiracy is that no, they, not at all. Yeah, they, I'm saying that. I'm, I'm I mean, it's like a control grid, like say you know, right? Like, I, you know, whatever. It's technology. I was, for I, was point, I, I was pointing out that they recognize the liberal arts as a way to kind of you know to be. The, the, that they could that they could withhold certain information and make the make certain stages of the liberal arts incomplete okay. as as a structure and oh. incomplete on an individual incomplete for each for certain classes of individuals it's a false so that, trivium so dude, dude that's also point i want to just that that's great because if you look at that right if you look at so this is this is new to me i mean i, I you know I, I know it was monastic education you know very rigorous you know, whatever, like monks would still get the tourism education, right? Or whatever, so certain Catholic schools, you know, but... Monks from, monks from where? Well, no, well, no, I mean... The, the Jesuits teach... No, 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 even though other types of orders, right? You know, Fran- Franciscan orders, whatever. Just as, you know, this was the ground of the education system. This was the base of the whole culture, right? I mean, this was the fount of culture. Now, obviously, you're, you know, you're a dude out on the street, you know, whatever, you know, you're, you're average person would never even know what this was but this was supposed to be you know what i mean so it, it's very central to, to quote unquote western cultural civilization but in, in a foundational level but this idea of um you know you know because it, it wasn't what that well known. i mean it, you know it's very it's very much a classical education you, know, you go to oxford yale you're gonna have it you have to have a trivia background otherwise you won't even get through day one there right it's it did become for certain elite classes an actual trivium education was for for an elite class to really know how to think, really know how to operate, really know how to speak, and understand even whatever. But right, this because idea- somebody has to some somebody has to take over management of this place uh, the next generation around. Like there there needs to be a there, there needs to be a uh, continuance of the management. So they have to have a higher education. They, now, if you go back and, and you look at the history of like of the Ivy League schools, they're all based on they're all based on uh, on British 
the British system of education, all of them. My point is, is that, um, that the, that the British have, and this is according to the works of like Carol Quigley, the Anglo-American establishment tragedy and hope, uh, the work of him. And then the, the expanding of his work that Richard Grove has done, Kevin Cole, Danny McCarthy, Brett Vanat, John Taylor Gatto, the, the these these people that uh, have have really you know that I've been listening to uh, a lot and and that I've been you know checking sources and and double checking sources. It seems to check out that the British had a very, uh, very good reason to want to reabsorb America back into the empire and, and into their, and so, so that they could flourish. And that this is at the turn of the 20th century when they come up, when like a, when a certain guy by the name of Cecil Rhodes comes up with this method to do that and they needed to. And it's not like Yale and all these things. It was it was during Cecil Rhodes time because these these courses uh, colleges go way way back. Um, but if you but if you look at it uh, like that, then they'd have to get into the education system in order to kind of uh, bring out this you know globalist uh, technocratic control state, and they it has to somebody has to do it. You know, so it has to happen somehow. So um, I'm saying that that through the medieval period, from my from my understanding, through the medieval period in England, the trivium was adopted and reshaped, uh, and the that the liberal arts in uh, in Greek uh, in Greece, and you know, they, I guess the liberal arts went from eleven down to nine, then down to seven, and through the medieval period after that, it was seven. That's where the seven liberal arts come from. There was a lot more than that previously, um, and then that's the English version of it. Uh, you know, the classic liberal, the classic liberal arts would be the from from Greece and and everything where, you know, of, of course, that actually helps to structure your mind. That the classical one, right? I mean, it, the trivium is really just so people can. And learn how to read well let's learn how to think really but just though this though i say your point though about about so this is maybe a way to look at things is like a false trivia right so if you go into a certain right. thing so you're gonna get and even our lives right you can see because you got to expand it i mean at its base right so it is it is a method it's not giving you a belief system right it's really giving you clarity of intellect mind and some refinement and some connection with you know something beyond you right with architecture music astronomy so this is but these are again liberal arts arts of freedom of your own consciousness you know and your own ability to understand or learn and you know as a base then you have these tools um how many people actually get that or have that i don't know but a false trivia, right? You 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 can see, um, you know, when you have your grammar, your logic, your rhetoric, so to speak. So rhetoric is really expression or manifestation, right? So we can, you know, so we can. I mean, you know, on one level, absolutely, it's simply just okay. How do you make a sentence? How do you you know create an argument? You know, my dog is red. You have um, you have a red dog, therefore you have my dog. Whatever you know, whatever. Um, right. So it's a logical sequence, and then you have your rhetoric, which is expression. But rhetoric, 
you have to go rhetorical rhetoric means to express to manifest in the world so the tool is the grammar means you understand the basic building blocks clearly right not not i'm not taking a linguistic this is my interpretation i mean you may say it's i think this is the essence maybe the pure essence right is you understand the world you understand relation you have very clear awareness of what is what right you know what is inputted into your mind externally you know what is verifiable your logic how do you um how do you true logic is truth right what is truth how do you ascertain truth how do you ascertain the truth of your world or experience rhetoric how do you manifest so the false trivium when you manipulate these variables um which i never thought of but that's a great you can look at we could pick anything you know even you know how you know we have you know certain paths right so you know if, if you say if you're born in a certain background you're presented a certain type of grammar right right exactly you're saying okay you can um you know okay maybe your elite family you can go and be a wall street banker blah blah or you're you know you're, you're born in a you know a, a, a shit town in ohio it's like you can go work you, know, you can uh, you know go you know go right. with Uncle Dave and be a meth addict. You can deliver pizzas. No, I've got a lot of family. You know, my family's from a small town. I mean, no, not meth addict. I mean, say like you just get, which is awesome. I love small towns, man. <laughs> I really do. In fact, small town is the core of America. Seriously. Yeah, well, no, but what I'm saying is that you get stuck in these roles, and you know, you. I mean, my I know people. Blah, blah, you know, like you almost get stuck in this very narrow space and you can work here, you can work there, you can hang out with this person, that person. But that is, it's not necessarily bad, but if that limits your mind, but that's your grammar. Your grammar is also your possibilities. Logic, what is true? What is valuable, right? It's also how, do, and then rhetoric, how do you manifest in your life? How do you create your own life? Right. How do you, what do you do in this world? So, I mean, you could you could apply this to uh, you know a, a transgender you know suicide bomber. You could apply it to you know uh, uh, you know uh, you know the guy that gives uh, you know Bill Gates like back massages or something. You know, but but you know, but a certain way, you know, what I mean, it doesn't. Okay, you can understand this. It doesn't mean you're going to act with the truth, but you can, you're able to be clear about it. But what I'm what I'm trying to say, at least you know a little bit metaphorically, is that we're losing our way to really know what we see here we don't and we do have to you know and having a very clear rigorous you know the intellect having a at least part of intellect that's very clear right to really understand and even understand how to be clear if you don't have that you never i mean you, you know you, okay, you can from the heart we'd all be like in our own little solipsistic little just bubble of Blaine, I'm a guitar guy, like you know, like what Jerry was saying, like or else you're I, I think these false trivium ideas they think is the right really? concept. Or else you're indoctrinated into a false trivium. Right. You know, we talked about that, say in high school, right? You have a certain if you're not part of the system, there's certain paths to rebel in. That right. creates its own kind of and okay, you could say I'm using a more well, structuring of the mind control, like the if everybody is working on Windows seven and it's like, and it runs like this, then your programs can run like that. And this way they're by imposing this thing. I think that's what James was saying. That's what the British thing that they were imposing was, this is your operating system now. 
you know, and that way yeah. when they give the mind control, it's able to be uptaken by the people because they're all like, you know, trained the same way to receive information the same way. You know, it's given to them. It's not like it's discovered. You know, it's like this is really the trivium when it's really like like a false thing. Like they say, the anarchy is chaos. You know, it's the same like the uh, Orwellian language. You know, I think that's where the misunderstanding happened between you guys. Well, I just want to—I I just want to point out that I said that, like, that I—I uh, actually misspoke. That it's not just about learning how to read; it's also learning how to speak. So, like, it's all—it's like it's—it's it's reading. It's everything to do with language. Like, that's essentially what the trivium is really there for. It's—it's it's so we can, fit, so because this is how we convey ideas and how we figure out truth is through conversation and through conveying the the different conveying of a, a different ideas and through the logic we're able to kind of gra grab onto things that we can make sense of and then the rhetoric is the outcome of it's our conclusion and and the how and we sh and we can repeat it's almost like the science we, we can juxtapose it to the scientific method and and you know kind of have those things work together in a sense they're two different methods but they can work together and then one and they can they they can relate in certain ways in my opinion so i mean this this idea of hijacking and weaponizing the trivium method against people it has nothing to do with uh it has nothing to do with you know talking down to the trivium method that's not that's not my goal uh, other people might not like the trivia method. I, I appreciate it for what it is. It's not the only method out there is what I want to stress to people. And I'm not about to tell you that there's only one way to critically think because that would make me a hypocrite. And I, I, I implore people to come up with their own methods. If they can figure out a method, then let me know. And I'd like to hear about it because if it's something new and it makes better sense, then I want to, I want to explore that because I'm a critical thinker and like that's, but like, anyways, enough about me. Uh, it's like that that was that was my whole original point was that there was there's groups with special interests that realized how to get inside people's heads and that this trivium structure has been around for uh, uh, centuries millennia at this point and that they could very well easily implement that and the trivium never really went away it was it was actually hidden in the structure of the education system itself when you see the three tiers of education and higher learning being the rhetoric and then you know like grammar they called it grammar school you know so we're, we're talking about an actual structure that was based on the trivium and then you know but then the method was kind of spread out across that structure if that makes sense and so then, but abracadabra like we speak into the world like the reality of the future you know what i mean like we are creations so like if they like if they input if they have control of the input then they have control of our speech output right. and then they can control what is created <laughs> you right, know they can hijack our own creative power as a con you know aggregate. Wouldn't, like wouldn't the wouldn't would we be able to agree that the rhetoric stage would be where the feedback would be? And then th this is sure. like, like yeah. cybernetics, like, right, exactly. and then, and then we, you know, from there, uh, they'd be able to kind of see how to steer things and, right. and, and then be able to, I, I mean, but now they have, but now they have the technology, you know, um, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, and, uh, 
Did, did you go back and continue the Please, drawing? Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll go. We'll, like, we'll go. We're gonna. So the next phase, we go to the here. Right? So this. Um, is, you will think this is your authentic self. So in theory, yes, in theory you can rise against the corporation. Just as in theory you can rise against the dictatorship, but in practice it is extremely difficult. Hmm. So in Homo Deus, you argued that uh, this would be the century when humans kind of became gods, um, either through development of artificial intelligence or, or through uh, genetic engineering. Has this prospect of political system shift, collapse, impacted your view on that possibility? Well, I think it makes it even more likely, and, and more likely that it will happen faster, because in times of crisis, people are willing to take risks that they wouldn't otherwise take, and people are willing to try all kinds of high-risk, high-gain high technologies. So these kinds of crises might serve the same function as the two world wars in the 20th century. The two world wars greatly accelerated the development of new and dangerous technologies. And the same thing might happen in the 21st century. I mean, you need to be a little crazy to run too fast, let's say, with genetic engineering. But now you have more and more crazy people in charge of different countries in the world, so the chances are getting higher, not lower. So putting it all together, Yuval, um, you've got this unique vision. Like, roll the clock forward 30 years. What, what, what's your guess? Does humanity somehow just scrape through, uh, look back and say, wow, that was a close thing. We did it. Or not? <laughs> well, so far we've managed to overcome all the previous crises, and especially if you look about, at liberal democracy, and you think things are, are, are bad now, just remember how much worse things looked in 1938 or in 1968. So this is really nothing. This is just a small crisis. But you can never know, because as a historian, I know that you should never underestimate human stupidity. Harari says the countries and companies that control the most data will in the future be the ones that control the world. Today in the world, data is worth much more than money. Ten years ago, you had these big corporations paying billions and billions for WhatsApp, for Instagram, and people wondered, are they crazy? Why do they pay billions to get this application that doesn't produce any money? And the reason why? Because it produced data. And data is the key. The world is increasingly kind of cut up into spheres of, 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 of data collection, of data harvesting. Uh, in the Cold War, you had the Iron Curtain. Now you have the Silicon Curtain between the USA and China. And where does the data go? California, or does it go to Shenzhen and to Shanghai and to Beijing? Harari is concerned the pandemic has opened the door for more intrusive kinds of data collection, including biometric data. What is biometric data? It's data about what's happening inside my body. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. Gover governments and corporations, for the first time in history, have the power to basically hack human beings. There is a lot of talk about hacking computers, hacking smartphones, hacking bank accounts, but the big story of our era is the ability to hack human beings. And by this I mean that if you have enough data 
and you have enough computing power, you can understand people better than they understand themselves, mm -hmm. and then you can manipulate them in ways which were previously impossible. Mm -hmm. And in such a situation, the old democratic system stopped functioning. We need to reinvent democracy for this new era in which humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. We need to come to terms with the fact that, you no know, matter again, it, this is where philosophy meets computer science and biology. Fuck that dude. That's over. Right. What do you what do you have to say about that, Hans? Oh, um, oh right. Yeah, no, he's um he's so he starts out, right? So he, there's a lot of important uh points, but like like what I was trying to say, it was great the way he said it, is that but like for example, biometric is not he used the incorrect term, right? So there's biometric is your iris, your thumbprint, whatever, right? Biometric, he's what he he said inside your body. This is the invasive neural stimulation you're getting. You know, so that's actually different. It's not so you, whatever. That was a weird little gaffe, right? But he almost said it sounds like initially he's criticizing this, but he's pronouncing that this is done. It's over, and he says already these corporations, these entities will control you. You'll never be able to be free from them. It's over. Accept it and let's reinvent. So he's basically, even though it seems like he's being a critic, he's saying it's already happened. It's over, guys. Now let's reinvent so you can kind of manage. But you know, I mean, so he's inducing a learned helplessness with that kind of. He's inducing a learned helplessness, but he's he's pronouncing this reality, right? And so the data, right. So the idea, though, of objects, you know, we become objects, and, and we're going to like meta history. So meta history is a very important part of this. You know, a techno society. You know, a spime. Spime is something. Uh, so it's um, information society, sustainable synchronic society. And so it's it's our history. It's our temporality. It's our lifespan. It's. It is putting us, it's the end of time. It's the end of history. This is, they they ascend to the God realm while you're the dumb human animal that's hackable. He's not hackable. He's a God. You're, 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 a, you're not, you're not a God. You're, you're just, you know, this is just little. The new feudalism. Yeah. But, but it's, you know, even, but see the feudalism, at least some of the Lords, right? You're supposed to, at least on paper, you know, you were supposed to take care of your peasants, right? And, right. and yes, they were bad, but they were also, they were much better. They, and you had the commons, right? You had all this land. Cromwell is when England turned. Right? <laughs> Cromwell, Cromwell, then it's, then it's simply, I mentioned like Illuminati, whatever you want to call it. We can go back and back. There's, I mean, various iterations. Um, you know, you know, it, there is so much, you know, syn synchrony. Uh, uh, asynchrony, synchronicity of 
all these ideas in the way of the same things you find them in 20 different people. So even so like Cesar Rhodes, of course, very important, but he's just another there. He's there in an existing machine. A cog in the machine. Right? Yeah, maybe a more powerful cog. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, and so the, the fundamental, you know, you know, even all the historical stuff, I think that, you know, our minds, like they're saying, you know, I think, you know, actually just by our stimulus response, watching, you know, television, eating, you know, junk food, you know, going to, you know, mainstream movies, watching television, going to an office where everybody talks, you know, there are, everyone else is in that sort of reality or you relate that way. That's, that's the same. That's like the same thing. You know, it's almost like you're already in the metaverse. Because you already, you can't distinguish artificial reality from real reality, right? It's real to a certain extent, but you know, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I, there's even product placement in reality now, where there'll be like an empty Amazon truck that just shows, or you know, just like to make you think, like it, it's it's weird, but. It, <laughs> It's tough to tell what's real, especially with what uh, you kind of talked about it earlier with the, um, you know, the way that they can impersonate a video and the people's speech and they can create, you know, wag the dog. Uh, they can create whatever reality because if they, you know, if we're all watching the screens, they can put whatever on the screen and it just shovels in, you know, especially with the alpha wave state of our mind, just like just you know, absorbing the whatever lies they're shoveling in. So if they like, and if they get the metaverse or wherever else next level, um, it's going to be uh, just a, a, a finer refinement of the cage and of, of our, of our minds. Um, I'd, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. It's getting late. No, no, that's a great point, John, because, um, so at this point, right, um, a little bit, I think that there's a lot of pronouncements that are way above the curve than what they actually have. I would believe so, right? Really, you know what I mean? So it's almost like they're trying to generate it, right? Because it's going right. against every impulse. But when you're talking about these weird little events or even these you know, product placement, this, that, I mean, you know, I don't know if you guys have noticed, though, that there's like a lot less people around, at least white people. Not where I live. There's lots of there's a lot, there's a whole new nothing against people that aren't part of the master race like me. <laughs> but uh, no, no. They, they, I mean, there's people. No people from to, total joke. I was joking. But <laughs> we're uh, looking at James's face. He's like, it's like no, they're they're and there's even okay, even people that are like even from say Eastern Europe, but there are people coming in 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 mass in sector groups some of these dudes are hardcore man i've been noticing it's gotten it's really amped up and you can tell um and there's some there like eastern european or whatever so i'm not saying it's from this country or that country but that's one example of course you're not supposed to see that as part of your if you go through the certain grammar and rhetoric but even like say the amazon truck this thing that thing stimulus response conditioning taking us, you know, it's like the mind control prison. You know, you could be in a room. They could lock you in a room, 
right? The rest of your life and have a few objects or items. You could walk to those items and they would, you'd be triggered with music, with sound, with smells, with even voices. And you could be just lost in that room the rest of your life. You know what I mean? Seriously. I mean, that's, of course, that's not anything new, right? I mean, it's like, you know, it's your cube, right? Your mind is uploaded into the cube. You know, and it's in a certain way they're trying to do it before it actually happens. Um, yeah, like literally, it's not literally there yet, but they're they're trying to create that in our speech. They're trying to make this uh, come to fruition in reality. Well, I think just observing these little things, though, um, is, is and I'll shut up after this bit. It's like I, I think though there is some weird little I get a little bit woo woo, right? Yeah. <laughs> We love you, Hans. There's, there's, there's love a trans-temporal. There's a, there's a, there are some odd things going on if you notice it, right, without freaking out. Because we're looking at they're trying to capture the entire consciousness of humanity, right? And so a lot of the thing about language, going back to River real quick, is our language, it shapes how we see the world, right? It's really – you can go beyond yeah. language, but very few people do. But you want to use language to open to the world, not close it. But time, space, you know, there's some weird things going on if you choose to see them. I mean, not, not, not anything major, but some weird little, you know, time warps because they're really affecting the shared consciousness or they're trying to. So I'm just saying, like, be aware of this. But I, I, I think at one level, I think we're in a it's like we got another gap space. Right. I think we can kind of push through. It may you know, we may go through another type of COVID thing. But I mean, just look at COVID, dude. They shut down the whole planet. So we don't, and the people that didn't get out of that conditioning, I, you, know, you see people still wearing masks, dude. Yeah. I mean, look look what their grammar, logic, and rhetoric is. No, what is their life experience? What is their world? So anyways, just not as a, as a supposition, but you know, just be aware. Some of these little odd things, right? If you guys notice this at all, but you see things like that, even notice the empty truck, da, 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 just as kind of a fun way. Maybe there's some of the, the wheels coming off the wagon or else. Right. The glitch in the matrix, like be aware. Yeah. yeah. James, what do you have to respond there? I see your face. Oh, no, no, no. It's, okay. it's okay. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's okay. Okay. Well, we, we, we I'm, I'm glad that we, um, this, I have a, a quick little clip talking about how uh, Harari talked about going into, into our skin. This is a one minute, 30 seconds here. It's a little. With the new iPhone, you can watch, listen, ignore your friends, stalk your ex, download porno on a crowded bus, even check your email while getting hit by a train. All with the new iPhone. From mom. Say, you're from one of those ethnicities that knows about technology. Why is it called an iPhone? I'll explain after I install it. <laughs> Neat. Now for the earpiece. But my favorite app is called Twitcher. Ow! Twitcher lets you send and receive short messages or videos called twits. Why, here's a twit now. Hi, Mom. I love you more than can. In the real plant? Absolutely, absolutely. And this is not this is not far, far off. I mean, the physical and the digital worlds, they will grow together. And the result is exactly what you just said. I wanted to ask when you all think we're going to move from this form factor to something that's on your face, glasses, and compu when computing's all in the edge. All right. 50 seconds. Who wants to answer quickly? 
I think it will go. It, it will first of all, it will definitely happen. I, I, I was talking about 6G earlier, which is around 20, 2030. I would say that by then, definitely the smartphone as we know it today will not anymore be, be the usual kind of the most common interface. Wow. This, this, many of these things will be built directly into our, our, our bodies. Many of these things will be built directly into our, our, our bodies. Many of these. So uh, that's the plan. Uh, they're going to be building these things into our body and Futurama gave us the, you know, oh, it's fun and cute and oh, look, it's it's the girl lover logo of the FBI list, like whatever. Oh, that's interesting. <clears throat> and, you know, and then here it is, the CEO of Nokia speaking to the World Economic Forum. Yeah, by 2030, cell phones really won't be the, that's not how we interface anymore. Now it's going into your body. Like, that's just what's it's going in. <laughs> you know? right. So, ah, you know, uh, who owns Nokia? Oh yeah. Good point. Um, uh, shit. I think I looked that up before it was in my notes. Isn't, uh, it, isn't it Microsoft? Yes. Yes, it was Microsoft and Microsoft had that, um, the Google glass thing going or wasn't Google, but it was a Microsoft glasses. Right. Where, like the lady was saying, you wear on your face wearable like glasses, but well, he's Amazon, talking about in your head. Amazon not even has those wear. glasses right now, Alexa uh, sunglasses. Yeah. There you go. And the Google Glass. So it's like it's AR augmented reality at this point. But they, if they can make you like, oh, I like wearing it. Oh, it helps me. It's better. And they're like, okay, it's going under now. It's going in there. And like, you know, the, the brain ship and that whole thing like think about the you know you think oh it, it'll just be able to read my thoughts but who's to say it's not going to be able to program them you know and just straight up tell you what i i'm getting up now to go eat a sandwich beep 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 like you oh no you know you're like who knows what the uh the possibilities are you know like they they could stop a bull from charging and that was how many hundred years ago with electrodes in its brain. Uh, so I'm sorry. What do you, uh, what do you think Hans? What do you, you well, have that? Uh, the, um, that's exactly what Harari is saying they're doing already now, just with the aggregate data aggregation, right? So the ads, personalized ads, this, that, I mean, to a certain extent, right? Okay, they really know you better than know yourself. If you don't know yourself, they do. Right. But, um, no, this is the thing. I mean, you know, we, you know, this is the, you know, you know, you know, unless, you know, you're in the billionaires club or whatever, or those, you know, who are going to be allowed to frolic on the earth, at least what they're trying to impose, this is what it is. Um, it's absolutely insane. Um, I, why would you want that in your brain, man? You know, seriously, but it's, but this idea of augmenting, how are you augmenting if you, you know, Okay. Anyways, we all know that, like you know, the level of what's possible for us and our bodies as they are is is amazing. Now you can you need glasses, whatever. But you know, I, the problem is that anything you give to that, it's also going to take right. You even Chat GPT again, even the the, the GPS it, it, using a paper map. What if you you know how many times Google Maps has like put me into like you know I mean Google Maps can be like demonic, dude. So you, you're trusting this thing, you, you know, anyways, 
it'll bring you down Huntington in Pennsylvania, like in Philadelphia. Like anyway, um, the uh, uh, that's a very interesting uh, what you were saying there about how God, I lost it. Um, but they, the man, I'm sorry, I'm failing. James, take over here for a minute. My brain's having a fart. So I mean, uh, to not to diverge too much, but I mean, we're 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 highlighting a lot about you know the World Economic Forum right now. I mean, Yoval Noah Harari is the like the right hand man of Klaus Schwab, and if we look at the lineage and the like where Klaus Schwab comes from, I mean, isn't he like uh, wasn't he kind of under wasn't wasn't he kind of like Klaus Schwab is with Kissinger tutored by Kissinger right. or, is it, or is it big new Brzezinski? Which it was one? Kissinger. Okay. And Kissinger is uh, tutored by who? Rockefeller. Nelson Rockefeller. Nelson Rockefeller. Rockefeller and, or maybe he was the one for the um, other guy, but he was basically John, he, was, he was John Rockefeller. There you go. Okay. And John Rockefeller was the person left in charge of executing the last will and testament of Cecil Rhodes. And this is where we see the lineage of the Rhodes Scholarship and the Rhodes Initiative being implemented to the, even the modern day with these, with these economists and these corporations teaming up against us and trying to shape culture and to put things into our heads to commit, to commit mind control. And now we have this Yuval Noha Arari guy coming out and saying that free will is done, that it's, oh, that it's over. And um, that that's that to me that shit ain't cool, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, much uh, I very much agree with that. Uh, this like they they are claiming to be the masters, and um, this is this new cage is uh, it's just the new cage. And we're gonna we have more clips. We're gonna go on. Uh, but Hans, uh, you've joined us for this amount of time, and we thank you very much for joining us and giving your thoughts. Um, uh, anything else that you'd like to say before uh, uh, we we also want to uh, tell people to go visit HansUtter.com and MindControlMusic.WordPress.com. Uh, please uh, visit and see what Hans has done. Uh, there's lots to see and hear. And uh, he's also done lots on Wake the Dead and uh, come and listen to what we've done together. Uh, thank you, Hans, for joining us. Just, okay. Please, Hans. No, it was a pleasure. And thanks for letting me kind of just jump in the middle of the conversation. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's very important. I think especially, you know, the way out of this is a, you know, creating our networks, especially now while we can, right? You know, you know, okay, maybe it won't happen, but it doesn't hurt. Why not do that, right? There's right. options. You have you have your benevolence, benevolent uh, associations. There's different even type of legal structures. You know, original social credit, not Chinese style social credit. Um, but uh, but you know, it, it is it is really, um, you know, you can't really turn your back. You can turn your back on it, but it will get you know. It's happening, right? right. Envisioned. This is their goal. They've told us it's already occurred. You know, what I mean, they're, they're, you're almost like it's a speaking the words of magic, right? Yes. Uh, but so, like Kissinger or whatever, you have higher level players, right? And even like Klaus Schwab, he, he, you, know, you see, um, who's that guy um, who did all that, you know, the, like all the Earth Summit, Rio Earth Summit, um, 
uh, what's his name? The Canadian. The, the 92. Corey Strong. Corey Strong. Right. He's another sort of this very powerful figure who just kind of, you know, came out of nowhere. Klaus Schwab didn't really have much of a background. How's he starting this huge thing, right? Harari, like, I think he's, he's not even really a philosopher, right? He's some other, but so, you know, so you see. Certain no, he's a douche. <laughs> but no but his actual academic background is I, I forget what it is but it's some like you know it's not like bas- basket weaving but it's not, it's not really a philosopher <laughs> but industrial basket weaving basket weaving <laughs> yeah he's gonna I think that's his next book he's talking about industrial basket but, weaving but these people are one way to see the levels of the players like Kissinger of course a very powerful player other people are brought up you know you got Edward Mandel House controlling Oh, Yuval Noah Harari received a PhD from Oxford. Oh, what subject? Uh, hold on, hold on. Oh, I'm not delivering a PhD from the University of Oxford in 2002. Uh, it doesn't say in his about right here. Oh, that's a secret. That's a secret. Basket weaving. (laughs) Basket weaving. I didn't know Oxford had that. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. No, but uh, it, I, I think it, it's some kind of it's some kind of maybe like plant bio, like gen, like something like, and like almost like Kinsey, right? Like plant biology or some, yeah, you know, something. Yeah, Kinsey studied like moths or some shit. Like that's yeah. Go ahead. Insects. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. anyway, you know, it's, it's an important conversation, and I, and I appreciate the uh, just uh, talking about it. And there's, um, you know, there's a lot to understand, but I think you know. One, I think at this point, it was very important to get all the, the granular stuff, but you want to get the structures and the real power. Or some of this power could be in ideas, but it's also, it's systemic, right? And so you know, we can see the erasure of our education system completely, all right? You've got like Herman Melville, right? Wrote one of the greatest authors of all time. He had like a sixth or seventh grade or a fifth grade education in a one room schoolhouse. Okay. So, you know what I mean? You don't necessarily need to go to school for 18 years. Now, universities, of course, are, yeah. you know, it, it very important repositories of higher knowledge because certain things, if it's just based on the market force, they're not going to survive. But the whole education system is corrupted. Um, and the trivium is not, you know, it, it's, it's one mode of getting some understanding. I'm, I'm no way saying like this is the ultimate. Uh, tool, but but it's it's a it's a good frame, um, but you need some kind of rigor and clarity because we have to cut through these things, right? We don't, uh, you know, really most of us even we think we do, we are still caught, it, it, you know, and it could be caught in our own sort of destiny and our maybe our situations, relational. Even that we need to clear now, right? We need to go beyond. Uh, this is you know for. It's, it's a space to really maybe have a magical awakening, which is you, you actually you guys gave me a nice hope for that. Actually, you know, this could be a, a space to awaken, but don't count on anything being available that long. It could be right. But look at COVID, Boom, how stuff could be shut down. Yeah. Boom. And look at how invasive the cell phone, Internet, all this stuff is becoming. Right. So to get, um, you know, even, you know, you, that uh, I'll definitely check out your um, organization. But, but the um, like to get like off the grid, you know, satellite, uh, you know, small satellite just powered like local, you know, cell phone stuff, getting older computers that are not 
hat. You know what I mean? You can develop, I mean, use some of the stuff that's around because the stuff now is getting so deeply. It's, you know, eventually it won't, you know, you, it's gonna the embedding is starting with you know what i mean like my, the my smart phone, grid stuff right my phone keeps updating by itself all the time right more and more invasive more and more data gathering right yeah more and more lack of accessibility more and more black box you can't step inside of it so you know what i mean that's a there's no reason to throw technology away of course not but what's the mode or the grid if the power is cut if you get a low social credit score you that's the whole point you get the cbdc set you know and you got your um your digital identity you get your self-sovereign identity right i never read that definition but anyways you have your so you're one thing you do wrong like us talking right now we could suddenly not be able to drive our cars we could suddenly not they could shut our power off we could not be able to go to a store and make a purchase right. we, we, could, we could have neighbors staring at us you know, we, they could be getting alerts about us, about our personalities and behavior, right? I, I mean, and that's that's right. that's already happening in China, for sure, happening. And, you know, and some of it happened in New Zealand, Australia. But anyways, uh, you know, thank you guys so much. And uh, I definitely, Jeff, uh, I really, really be into checking out, like, what you're doing. Because to get some of this type of technological infrastructure that can be shared and networked, right? Even be solar powered, you can piggyback it off of that. But there's a lot of stuff. There's stuff out there that we you know can be used, right? I mean, you know, um, and you might as well use it. Uh, you know, and, and if you can, you gotta you know capitalize on what remains of the system, or maybe you know maybe it'll keep flourishing. But they're really going strong for this. So, right. anyways, thank you guys. Uh, Good night. Just so you, know, Hans, Hans, wait. Uh, the Freedom Cell Network is not mine. It's Derek Bros. So, oh shit! Yeah. So check out, check oh out his. God. Oh no! It's okay. James has got a freeyourmindne.com. It's it's great. He's got a website, oh, but but no, no. no, no it, but that's but what I'm saying is like that idea, right? Okay. I, what I'm saying is that whatever that iteration of that is, you know, for everyone listening or or us ourselves, you know. To think of ways so that you know something even, um, yeah, this uh, the guy in Romania, right, the, the uh, Iron Guard, but he had this model of creating these cells. But basically, one person could get that sort of training or whatever, and they would just start spontaneously in other sectors, you know. And so we That's may right. have to go off the grid on that level. But one of the things is food. And also just connecting with people, right? The more and more we can do that. Um, but I don't know. I would say the more this can be shifted to either parallel technology grid, they can still run off the other one, but can be separate, parallel production, right. parallel. Infrastructure. Yeah, well, I mean, there's freeware. There's Linux. You know, there's other parallels already of freedom-minded people. like, um, And they... Like Derek, before you got here, Derek was saying that it's almost like an arms race between the freedom-minded and the uh, the technocrats. You know, the more there's always like even that ChatGPT, there was like a code to to take out all of its like you know liberal bias or whatever you want to call it, so that it like there there's always a cheat. There's always a way to. And if we're creative individuals, 
and we're working with other creative individuals, networking. We from the ground up, we can find freedom, and it is there, attainable. Uh, but don't base it on the, the this system because it's not that far. Right. It's already been proposed. Yeah, the system is already passport. universal biometric passport to even log on to the internet. So you can't even go online, right? So this has already been, I don't know if it was a proposed in a house house resolution, right? So uh, you're absolutely right. Um, and let's, but to whatever extent, you know, to have some, you know, don't have it, don't think if it's just based on the system that suddenly you won't have all access to that, right? So build it up, but then maybe be, that's a great, be able to shift it. Right. And also make it on the ground. Um, you know, as much, you know, as much as possible can be done to do that, um, you know, without even heavy duty things. But um, anyways, all right, guys, I'll let you guys go. And God bless you, Hans. Thank you. Thank you, James. Thank you. Thank you again. Yeah, it's great to have you, Hans. Thank you again for joining us. Cheers, man. Yeah, good seeing you again, brother. I'll, I'll yeah. see you again soon, hopefully. All right. Yeah, take care. Have a wonderful evening. And um, okay. I so I don't know why I thought that was your website, dude. I think you're right, but that, that's cool. But but that's a you know. But I, actually, I thought Freedom Cells. What I thought it was initially was what I was talking about is off the grid technology that's encrypted that can be shared in networks that you can have cell networks, you can have internet, you can even use like the five G. There's right. other frequencies that there, you have a radio transmitter tower. You can cover a whole city, right? And it's non toxic. When, so, okay. Remember when they they were having uh, they they shut down the internet? Uh, I forget where it was, and because of the protests, and they people made their own peer to peer internet. They just wired it up. That was they, in China. They did was, that in China, and they they did that with the Bluetooth network. Right. And they would just do, and then they shut that down. They've contacted Apple to shut down the um, the course. AirDrop. Right. In China, that, because you're still using Apple. Right. right. So, Right, so but it's just goes to show how how much uh, influence these companies can, you know. That's true. They it, still have us, but the creative individuals find a way. That's what I was trying to say. Well, all I'm right. saying is that just like say you you build this great infrastructure of everything, suddenly, like example, you can't you get locked out of every hardware. Everyone's locked out of their hardware. Boom. Right. Right. So just saying that that that's something that just of interest. You know, that, you know, because it can be done, but you can do it a little bit in tandem. Maybe it's a backup, but it's still there, right? So, all right. Thank you, Hans. We love you, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. So, um, thank you, Hans, again. And I think that uh, that what he just kind of, what he just opened the door for us to get into next would be the Internet of Things. Mm. And how, how, how the, how the, how the grid can be used against us because right. of what he just said. And um, so do you have me, that? I do. And okay. I'll get it up right now. Thank you. No problem. So what we have is just a brief, a brief explanation for you folks listening and watching out there about the internet of things. So, well, it's uh, almost three and a half minutes long. And then at the, on the other side, well, we have an, uh, an article to, uh, to read. So, See you in a few minutes. The Internet of Things, or IoT, is influencing our lifestyle from the way we react to the way we behave. From air conditioners that you can control with your smartphone to smart cars providing the shortest route, 
or your smartwatch which is tracking your daily activities. IoT is a giant network of connected devices. These devices gather and share data about how they are used and the environment in which they are operated. It's all done using sensors. Sensors are embedded in every physical device. It can be your mobile phone, electrical appliances, vehicles, barcode sensors, traffic lights, and almost everything that you come across in day-to-day -day life. These sensors continuously emit data about the working state of the devices. But the important question is, how do they share this huge amount of data and how do we put this data to our benefit? IoT provides a common platform for all these devices to dump their data and a common language for all the devices to communicate with each other. Data is emitted from various sensors and sent to IoT platform securely. IoT platform integrates the collected data from various sources, further analytics is performed on the data, and valuable information is extracted as per requirement. Finally, the result is shared with other devices for better user experience, automation, and improving efficiencies. Let us look at a scenario where IoT is doing wonders. In an AC manufacturing industry, both the manufacturing machine and the belt have sensors attached. They continuously send data regarding the machine health and the production specifics to the manufacturer to identify issues beforehand. A barcode is attached to each product before leaving the belt. It contains the product code, manufacturer details, special instructions, etc. The manufacturer uses this data to identify where the product was distributed and track the retailer's inventory. Hence, the manufacturer can make the product running out of stock available. Next, these products are packed in parcels to different retailers. Each retailer has a barcode reader to track the products coming from different manufacturers, manage inventory, check special instructions, and many more. The compressor of air conditioner has an embedded sensor that emits data regarding its health and temperature. This data is analyzed continuously, allowing the customer care to contact you for the repair work in time. This is just one of the million scenarios. We have smart appliances, smart cars, smart homes, smart cities, where IoT is redefining our lifestyle and transforming the way we interact with technologies. The future of IoT industry is huge. Business Insider Intelligence estimates that 24 billion IoT devices will be installed by 2020, and IDC predicts that IoT revenue will reach around 357 billion in 2019, resulting in a lot of job opportunities in the IT industry. Want to become a part of the IoT revolution? Come and master IoT with Edureka. Oh, future prison sounds great. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you, please. Yeah. Um, so I promised a, an article, right? So let's get that up right away, and we'll see what this kind of uh, Internet of Things can can look like. You know, uh, I'm not sure if a lot of people are aware of this story from last year but we can go over it here. Uh, this article was published uh, September 5th, 2022 uh, on this uh, online magazine, what seems to be an online magazine called The Verge, uh, but let's get into it. So September 5th. Can read the title? Yeah, please. <clears throat> a, uh, a utility company locked thousands of customers out of their smart thermostats in Colorado. A company called Excel, their customers saved money by allowing the remote control option, but there is a catch. 
Thousands of Colorado residents found themselves locked out of their smart thermostats during sweltering temperatures last week in an effort to prevent power demand from overwhelming the grid. I know it as an aside, it says last week, this was, this was back in September. So, you know, it was last August, uh, not last week in April. So anyways, about 22,000 X cell. So capital X CEL customers lost thousand, uh, lost control of their smart thermometers, uh, thermostats, sorry, for hours on August 30th, Denver seven news reports. That led to backlash on social media as some people said the temperatures inside their homes reached as high as 88 degrees Fahrenheit. Outdoor temperatures climbed into the 90s that day across parts of Colorado as much as the western U.S. grappled with sweltering heat. All of the customers affected had enrolled in an energy-saving program called AC Rewards. That, that's meant to ease the strain on the power grid during heat waves. Excel can adjust those customers' smart thermometers, uh, uh, thermostats, I got to read, when uh, demand gets so high that there might not be enough supply to meet it. Excel offers a one-time $100 credit on electricity bills upon signing up and $25 a year afterward for participation. (laughs) It's Um, like nothing. They're giving you nothing. And here's where, you know, when the utility adjusts a customer's thermostat, I got it right that time, the customer typically has the option to opt out, but, quote, on rare occasions, system emergencies may cause a control event that cannot be overridden, unquote, the company says on its website. Um, last week was the first time Excel barred customers from overriding their adjustments in the six years since the program started according to Denver 7. So, to again, that means that they uh, the, that the that if they if if the power company takes control of their smart de, uh, their their smart home devices, the customer can still opt out, but the the power company still has the opportunity to override their opt out option. Right. So, they can lock them in. Um, high temperatures, soaring power demand for air conditioners, and an unexpected outage all contributed to last week's energy emergency, Excel Vice President Emmett Romine told De- Denver 7. Excel did not immediately respond to a press inquiry from The Verge. So extreme heat is stressing out power grids across much of the western U.S. during a prolonged heat wave that started last week and is expected to linger well into this week. Uh, Think of how many indoor cannabis crops were ruined that day. (laughs) California's grid operator has urged residents to conserve energy over the next several days to to avoid blackouts. Americans are facing growing power interruptions compared to the past, in part because of more extreme weather. uh, What's the other part? It says, in part because of more extreme weather. Who so controls the weather? Oh, we had an episode about that, didn't we, James? Uh, yeah, a little, just a little episode called, you know, stra- what was it called, Sean? Stratospheric Aerosol Geoengineering. <laughs> so anyways. Um, Remember the name. <laughs> so, so this is the part where they kind of leave out, like this is the part with, in the article where they leave out your options. This is where they're taking away some of the grammar 
This is where they're taking away some of the opportunity to critically think about these things because they say in part because of more extreme weather. Well, what's the other part? I would say the other part is an extremely old infrastructure, an extremely old power grid meeting the demand of a growing population. There's not enough supply to meet the demand. And the problem it might not even be the extreme weather if there is even extreme weather. Uh, but I would, I would argue that because of the condition of the grid itself, that it can't sustain the population that's calling upon it. So they're telling you it's the weather, but in fact, it could just be our in engineering behind the grid and what we're calling right. it. So 2020 was a record year for power outages in the U.S., Punishing summer heat in Texas last year triggered a similar back backlash from residents when utilities set customers smart thermostats to higher temperatures to limit power demand. So this isn't even the first. Yeah, it's not only Colorado or whatever. Yeah, it's it's like, started, it was written in 2022, mind you, and now it's reference, referencing 2020 mm -hmm. and an incident in Texas, uh, you know, in 2021. So, I mean, this isn't the first time. So anyways. And then look at what the power thing in the winter that happened in Texas, like last year or two years ago, where right. they had this, like it, it destroyed people's homes. Like, right. Which yeah. isn't unheard of in, in Texas to have that kind of stuff happen. Uh, right. It's like, it is still a, a grid that is unprepared. Right. And, but when they, but if they got a, dissolve and then coagulate you know right. what i mean so like this gives them the excuse like once when they had all those uh fires in uh, california oh it's great because we want a high-speed train right there you know right. so like that's yeah this is so, gives them excuse oh it was weather that did it we need to build a new infrastructure that's 6g so that we can read right. your your blood pressure <laughs> every minute of every day <laughs> like okay sorry the, so such programs are part of a strategy called demand response that's supposed to help power grids become more resilient to extreme weather events that there you are go. more yeah. frequent and severe as global temperatures rise. As they increase the chemtrails and the geoengineering. <laughs> right, right, right. Right, right, right exactly. Right. Energy providers are always managing a uh, precarious balance between supply and demand that can quickly lead to power outages during demand peaks. Demand response can smooth out those peaks, which typically spike when heat waves drive up demand for electricity to power air conditioning. So while some customers might see their thermostat set to higher temperatures than they anticipated, that's supposed to help power stay on for, the, their, th uh, for their households and their neighbors. Uh, there is a risk with that strategy. However, if smart thermostats keep homes at dangerously high temperatures... Prolonged exposure to high temperatures, especially at night when people are at home sleeping, can mm -hmm. lead to heat-related illness and even death. Right. Heat spells kill more people in the U.S. than any other weather-related disaster. Right. So, and that's the end of the article. But like, it, it is just a, it. So, it, they control our death basically with that. They can, you know, they can turn up a little bit while you're sleeping, and you could not wake up. They could yeah. do it from a from a keyboard. In Very Colorado, possible. you know. Very possible. And the people that are the people that are uh, most likely to um, the people that are most likely to meet that demise are the ones that are the that are least able to defend themselves, which is right. elderly and and babies. 
you know, so you got to think about it. Like, I mean, this is, this article is just leaving out so much. It doesn't even take into consideration that we have a, a, a declining infrastructure in itself. It, it, it barely even mentions anything about it. it. It kind of just says like, oh, here's what we have. And it's always been good enough. It's always going to be good enough, no matter how many people are calling upon it. Uh, that's kind of the impression. And it's all run on coal and they're not right. digging any more coal. They're not making any more coal. They're, they're trying to phase right. that out. And like, how are we going to have power? Oh, right. but like, see, like this, this also brings to mind the idea of the invisible enemy. Right. And like, and this is how like they've been able to get away with so many things in the in my lifetime. I've I've seen a, a well, I've seen a couple of um a, a couple of uh, examples of of invisible enemies. Um, back in like the early two thousands, like the terrorists are going to get us. That was a form of the invisible enemy. Then you right. got COVID. That's an invisible enemy. Climate change. That's an invisible enemy. Uh, and and it's it's a boogeyman. Right. to to be afraid of and oh please like I'll do whatever it takes to to not let this thing happen and this is when they push drastic policies forward and like that's what this article is doing because the smart grid technology has always been hand in hand with climate change and global warming and global, all this bullshit and like that's how they're that is that is like how they're how they're rolling it out right. is you know oh get people all fired up about climate change and then we can, you know, and that's a part of the. the I know the new rollout after COVID is going to be right. That, right. Energy consumption, you know, and the COVID is like, oh, let's get people used to being locked down, fifteen minute cities, and everything like that. Remember when COVID first, uh, when it first popped off, and everyone was posting pictures on the like on Facebook, and these pictures were making the rounds. And people were like, oh, look, look at like the cruise ships are no longer going to Italy and the dolphins are returning to the bays and look at the how, how oh, yeah, look at how clean the water is. And right. so this is why it's like, in my opinion, important to pay attention to psyops very early on and what they're doing, because usually it's very, very early on that they reveal what they're trying to get at. And then right. COVID, they they were bragging about how clean the waters were and how how that much, was all a lie. It really didn't I, help. I know, but like it was, these things were circulating, and it was like a point that people were making. Is like that that was something that was going on very, very early on, like in in right. COVID, right. You know, especially when Italy locked down, and and you know the cruise ships stopped going to Italy, and right. and you know I was talking to Francesco, and like and and you know getting kind of the down low of what was going on over there. You know, Francesco Sani, he, for the listeners out there, he lives in Italy. He's, he's, he, you know, he lives over there. He, he's from Tuscany, Italy. I think. Yeah, in that area. So if it's Tuscany, then that's one of the, uh, it's, it's a major Big center. tourist thing. Yeah. It's a major center. One of the most major centers in Italy for tourism. So, right. um, so like he, you know, he was in letting me in on that information and like the tourism cut back down and, and, uh, you know, but anyways, like, yeah, it's usually early on in the psyops that you can kind of pick out what they're right, like, and it yeah. and it, it makes sense that they had to like this virus thing is a good excuse to have lockdown. Yeah, you know. So, but lockdown was what they wanted. They even used jail terminology. You know, like ugh, 
Right. And then, I, you, uh, then you, uh, then you bring in ideas of like the Stanford prison experiment and oh, all yeah, these different things, know. like all these different ways that they can psychologically manipulate people right. into doing what they want them to do. And then Good point you know, all the little Eichmann's out there, they were like, you gotta wear a mask. It's just right. like Stanford prison experiment. It's fun. Right. Right. And, and then, you know, and that's like how they, how they do these things. It's a bifurcation of society and pitting one class against another when it's not a class based on wealth, it's a class based on obedience. And, and like, it's, and, and this is, this is how they do it. The, uh, if they get the majority to be obedient, then the disobedient become, you know, the other and the, and that's how they weed at, at weed out the disobedient people yeah. is by otherizing them and making sure that they, like that gentleman in the first video that we showed, he spoke out against the government and he got blacklisted. That's a social credit system that they run over there. It's a social credit system. All of a sudden, that, he can't get on a train. Right? right, and it's a different type of social credit system that is run over here when it's more or less techno technologically driven over here and more just metaphysically driven when it comes to people's reputations in the, in the culture and the community around them. And it's not known on the internet that this guy's a scumbag, but everyone remembers your face at Market Basket as the guy. You are the one that yelled at me for not wearing a mask. I, still, <laughs> yeah. at me. I see him every now and then. We will and never like, forgive you, people. I will never forgive you. Fuck you. I'll never yeah. forget. Right. Uh, but like, and but in any case, like, but this is how they do these things. And right. uh, this article in particular that we and just it, went through is oh. is a striking is is some really striking evidence on how. They're they're kind of um, ramping up the the fear tactic, even if it's subtle. It's in there. It's talking about global warming. It's talking about climate change. It's like emphasizing that like these people did the the smart grid thing to get a stipend, to get a to get a rebate, to get to get a credit on their electric bill. And that this was going to help, and that, that, so this is how the cybernetics aspect works. And it took six it. years for them to actually shut down their stuff. They got all comfortable for six years, they, right? And they were getting paid twenty-five right. bucks a year. They're, oh, this might be nice. I like this, you know. And in that six years, this Excel company was able to get twenty-two thousand people in their net. So it's like, okay, then right. this is like the cold opening mm -hmm. where they where we start seeing the 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 pushing they go okay oh yeah how how are they going to react to this is it time yet right. let's do it to twenty two thousand people instead of three hundred and eighty million because twenty two thousand in comparison is such a small number uh it's so they do it to a small group of people to see the general reaction not only of those people right. but they know that social media exists and it's going to make the rounds a story like that Right. They know these things are going to happen. So it's like they, that's how they gauge the feedback and see right. how, to, so this is the cybernetic aspect of it. And, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think that this is a load of bullshit and the smart grid is just a trap. Right. To bring it there, it's a trap. And whether or not climate change is real, I'm not here to have that argument. I'm here to say, that um, regardless if it's real or not, the way that they're ramping up the fear is inappropriate and they're using it to implement their moral relativistic ways and to kind of subjugate people even further. And I don't, I'm not down with that shit. If, if the climate really is changing, I'm sure there's a solution and that everyone could agree on if it's really changing. Well, we'd be um, drowning by now if, if I guess they, so. Doing, I, what's the I thing? Read an interesting, truth. I read an interesting article the other day uh, that 
that uh, it's a direct correlation, the amount of obese people swimming in the ocean, raising the water levels up. So there's something to be said about that. I don't know, but we're we're going to do a show about food next time. Maybe we'll get some, yeah, maybe we'll get more fat people to jump in the water and it will really make it look like the news is being really honest to us this time. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I'm just saying there's more obese people in America than ever. And, you know, if there, if, you know, people like swimming. So I guess water, (laughs) water displacement's a thing. Hey, fucking Ravens can figure out water displacement when you're thirsty. So I'm just saying that it's like, it it could be, I don't know. That's funny, man. Uh, Oh, you're fat shaming you fucking bigot. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We can't afford being fat. Sorry. (laughs) But anyway, um, what's next on the list? Do we have a? Uh, um, are we gonna do the um, the Elon talking about how we are already Cybertronic? <laughs> do do we want to do that? It's like a lot of minutes. Um, it'll give you a chance to use the restroom if you need to, and uh, and I can take over for a minute if you need to go use the restroom. It looks like you do need to go. <laughs> Here, um, how about I take? Oh, I'm going to play a clip for everybody. James, uh, I'll let you bow out if you'd like. Okay. Okay. Cool. So I'm uh, I'm going to take control here. Um, the next video is uh, Elon Musk on Joe Rogan. Um, My question is, like, I know how much time you must be spending on your Tesla factory. I know how much time you must be spending on SpaceX. And yet you still have time to dig holes under the ground in L.A. and come up with these ideas and then implement them. Like I got a million ideas. I'm sure you do. There's no shortage of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just don't know how you manage your time. I don't understand it. It doesn't seem it doesn't Maybe even seem humanly possible. Time stamp to go to. You know, I, I do basically I think people like don't totally understand what I do with my time. They think like I'm a business guy or something like that. Um, like my work. You scared the shit out of me when you talk about AI. Between you and Sam Harris. I didn't even consider it until I had a podcast with Sam once. Sounds great. He made me shit my pants. (laughs) Talking about AI, I I realized, like, oh, well, this is a genie that once it's out of the bottle, you're never getting it back in. That's true. There was a video that you (laughs) tweeted about one of those Boston Dynamic robots. And you're like, in the future, it'll be moving so fast you can't see it without a strobe light. Yeah. You could probably do that right now. And no one's really uh, paying attention too much other than people like you or people that are really obsessed with technology. All these things are happening and these robots are... Did you see the one where PETA uh, put out a statement that you shouldn't kick robots? It's probably not wise. (laughs) For retribution. Okay. Going to be more humans using it against each other, I think, most likely. Uh, Mostly due to taking more of a fatalistic attitude hmm so you used to have more hope and you gave up some of it and now you don't worry as much about AI you're like this is just what it is yeah pretty much yes hmm. yes. Not, it's, it's but no it's not necessarily bad it's just it's definitely gonna be outside of human control not necessarily bad, right? Yeah, it's not. It's not necessarily bad. It's just, it's just outside of human control. Now, the thing that's going to be tricky here is that 
it's going to be very tempting to use AI as a weapon. It's going to be very tempting. In fact, it will be used as a weapon. Um, so the 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 on ramp to serious AI. The danger is going to be more humans using it against each other. I think most likely that'll be the danger. Yeah. How far do you think we are from something that can make its own mind up, whether or not something's ethically or morally correct, or whether or not it wants to do something, or whether or not it wants to improve itself, or whether or not it wants to protect itself from people or from other AI? How far away are we from something that's really, truly sentient? Well, I mean, you could argue that any group of people... Like, like a, a company is essentially a, a cybernetic collective of people and machines. That's what a company is. And then there are different, there's different levels of complexity in the way these companies are formed. And then there are sort of, there's this sort of like a collective AI in in the Google sort of search, Google search, you know, the where we're all sort of plugged in as like like nodes on the network, like leaves on a big tree, all f and we're all we're all feeding this network without questions and answers. We're all collectively programming the AI, and the, the and Google plus the, all the humans that connect to it are one giant cybernetic collective. This is also true of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these social networks. They're giant cybernetic collectives. It'll Humans and electronics all interfacing and constantly now, constantly connected. Yes, constantly. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot over the last few like years is that one of the, the things that drives a lot of people crazy is how how many people are obsessed with materialism and getting the latest greatest thing and I wonder how much of that is well a lot of it is most certainly fueling technology and innovation and it almost seems like it's built into us it's like what we like and what we want that we're fueling this thing that's constantly around us all the time and it doesn't seem possible that people are going to pump the brakes it doesn't seem possible at this stage where we're constantly expecting the newest cell phone the latest Tesla update, the newest MacBook Pro, everything has to be newer and better. And that's going to lead to some incredible point. And we're trained, by the way, <clears throat> we're trained to think that way. You know, we're trained to buy a new Tesla, you know, like it's, I mean, anyway, I... It's almost like what Rogan is saying there is like a, is like a culmination of like everything that we've been talking about this evening is like, right. it is, it, it really is like, you know, we're, we're, we're all expecting the latest and greatest thing. Like it's the materialism is now a necessity and everything like that. So like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, if I don't know, I'm not sure how much further you want to get into this, but uh, the, it, he did mention that we're, we're all feeding the AI collective and like because of our passive usage of the like Facebook and um, and it goes into like how it's learning us better than what 
what Harari was saying. Um, I think that's what Elon is trying to get at here. And listening to him is really weird. Like, I guess he's autistic, but it sounds like he's tripping something heavy. Like, I don't, like there's, yeah, it's tough. And, to, what's it's, that? I, I was gonna say that it, it, it is. It's tough to. It, it's tough to to hear him. Uh, right. And in this in this podcast uh in general really but uh you know he's not an easy guy to listen to uh, in my opinion it's just but the i guess the the um the conclusion that he he comes to is interesting and uh, i'm sure many people are aware of his of, of elon's opinion of like where we're at with our relationship to technology and if we continue uh, eventually we'll get there so right right if we continue on this path and we don't like do anything if we're apathetic uh like what derek was saying in the beginning we'll wake up and the bars will be around us and you know if we continue to like uh the programming of bernays like i want the newest plate of bacon and eggs and freedom torches cigarettes you know like we're trained to want this stuff like it's useless right. um but we got to get off the you know we got to get off the treadmill and recognize oh yeah it's just gonna break and it's just gonna enslave me you know um right and this has to do with like the, the like you were saying the bernaysian uh propaganda that's leading us into uh wanting a life of luxury right and like this is where the devices come in and what rogan is saying about it it's like you know we all want the latest and greatest thing and for what reason my 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 question is for what reason and the only reason is is that like there is no good reason other than like it's the latest pleasure right and like and not to go off too much on the tangent but like there's a famous george carlin uh stand-up bit where he's you know talking about um the way that products are sold to us and like the taglines that come along with those products and it's always right. like you know and and it's very funny um and it's funny it's it's funny to me because the the way in which carlin is delivering this bit and he's not trying to be funny he's trying to be informative and people are doing nothing but clapping like a bunch of retarded circus seals and it's like what the real reaction should be is people should be standing up and being angry about it. And they're just like cheering him on. And, and it's just like, in a way, well, he's breaking the silence. He's able to yes. cut through it, you know? Yeah. And, and it, like, but in a way it's like Carlin is like exposing these people for who they really are. Right. And in like the thousands of people that were, that are in these audiences of Carlin's, you know, stand up routines while he's going through uh, things when he's explaining like the big club and you ain't in it. And it's mm -hmm. the same club that they beat you over the head with. And people are just like cheering. Right. And it's like, no dudes, Dude, you guys should be getting, you guys should be getting angry about this and right. doing something about it. And you're just like cheering this one dude on, who's just right. like saying all the, not just saying all these things, but he's really being informative and you're just like happy about this one guy somebody's going to say it well no all of you can say it now and like now it's Jim like morrison drunk on stage they were singing five to one and he's yelling at the crowd he says you're all a bunch of slaves yeah how long are you gonna let him push you around it's like whoa and i mean 
people are just like, "Yay, we're slaves!" Yeah, yeah and they're cheering. They're cheering mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, dude. You know that's why. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm just gonna drop off that uh, Elon Musk thing. Um, yeah. So eventually, in that clip, what we get to is Elon is. Ba- this is the clip where Elon basically says that human beings at this point are basically cyborgs already. Uh, with based on our current relationship with technology, your phone's always on you. You always have it with you. The relationship with technology and humans is is closer. It's a closer relationship than it's ever been. And that that we're very close, that we're basically cyborgs already. So, right. and then he goes on to talking about the Neuralink and how, you know, and this is where the problem with the Neuralink comes in because all of these, all these shifts and, uh, and products and the, the shifts of the availability of products, most, a lot of the times, and I wish I could draw some examples of this, but we'll use Neuralink as, the primary example is that like they're going to bring it out and and run a like humanitarian campaign about it and it's going to fix blind people and it's going to fix crippled people and it's going to do all these things it's going to help with alzheimer's and it's going to do all these great things that people really want to have happen and then it's going to be the next phase where it's like yeah like when cell phones first came out it was to help businessmen who were on the road and like and everything like that and then eventually everybody's got one so take that for for what it's worth but uh it's something that i i I see well uh that's important because uh like if we're allowing it if we're uh if we think we're going to get better from the from the if we're going to be augmented if they if we allow them under our skin they're going to take away our abilities if we look at how they work our natural abilities, uh, like humans can grow food out of the ground and not have to go to the grocery store. But they, they pile us in the cities, they pave over the ground, and they say, there's where you get food, right? So they like steal away our natural abilities, and then they give us this, this other thing that seems convenient so like but if you let them under your skin they're gonna take away your natural abilities already and then they're gonna sell it back to you as this uh you get a digital eye instead and you need the upgrade and it costs this much and like you know and if you don't pay they will pull it out and you know give it to the next guy or whatever i mean it's um it's anyway so uh i with that go ahead um, what one last point about um the internet of things and then the integration of technology possibly even into the human body and not just have it be some, you know, device that they can shut down your body. Well, this is what brings in the, um, the internet of people. Right. So the internet of people, uh, refers to the, it's like the connection of, uh, the connection um, hold on let me just like each one of us is a node and we're like i think hans was talking about it before with this uh 60606 uh the bill gates thing about generating uh money from our movements our body movements you know uh i think that's what is that what you're talking about there 
Right. I mean, it, it, the Internet of People refers to the connection and communication capabilities between people enabled by the Internet and other aware technologies. Okay. So, I mean, once with the, like once the once everybody has the smart like thing in their head, they'll be talking amongst each other. It'll be a wider grid of the net. Right. It, it kind of my idea. Well, maybe not my idea, but the uh, the idea of what I'm saying is that mm -hmm. like that with the integration of technology into the human body, right. it no longer becomes an Internet of people. It, the Internet of people gets integrated into the Internet of things. And right. people no longer remain people. People become things, and, right. and so like that's the dangerous aspect of all of this. Yes, um, this is actually that also goes along with what I wanted to read for the people. Uh, should we go into that a little bit here? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, <clears throat> so I'm going to read a little bit from a book by uh, Kurth Barker who is a, a survivor of an SRA family. Well, his, he had like an uncle or whatever. But anyway, he's a survivor of uh, MKUltra SRA trauma-based mind control. And he has some very, I mean, he, he, you should read, everybody should read his books. This particular book is about cannibalism, blood drinking, and high adept Satanism. That's the title. Um, in this chapter, he explains uh, there's like a, there was in, in the cult, there were people that were starting to revolt against the leadership and they were making recordings and, you know, they, uh, they had certain influence. They were, or, well, they were, they had, they were, they had abilities to make these recordings. Right. So, uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll just start here. How Illuminati leaders plan to use surgical mutilation on their own subordinates as a method of behavior control. The high adept Satanists have rejected their own humanity and have contempt for human beings in general. They view the human race as raw material. They tend to objectify human beings, seeing our species as a resource to be exploited in the achievement of their goals. You might say that they tend to view human beings the way that a human might view a tree. We seem to have no problem with the idea of pruning the branches of a fruit tree or with cutting down a tree with the intention of turning it into lumber. Likewise, from the point of view of high adept Satanists, the surgical mutilation of human beings is perfectly acceptable. The subject of how Illuminati tends, uh, the Illuminati is like, it's, it's just a, it's a catch all term. Um, he knows the difference between Bavarian Illuminati, but in this, he's just using it as a catch-all. So the subject of how the Illuminati intends to use surgical mutilation as a form of social control is very disturbing. Uh, for one thing, the subject is personal. He's missing toes because he actually put his foot in a lawnmower so that he didn't have to join the cult like the the day was coming and he he wanted to like be physically unable to be there and anyway so they um i'm gonna look forward here uh so this this resistance movement that i spoke about would eventually be destroyed 
but he survived. And for decades later, he started to talk about the satanic ritual abuse on the radio. Um, after he left the radio, he was contacted by some people having information relating to the subject of surgical mutilation. So in writing this chapter, he's drawing from both insider information, which I'm saying from him, I'm just, I'm just reading it here, which I have received fairly recently, as well as experiences which I had many years ago. One way the Satanists in, uh, intimidate their abuse victims into silence is to threaten them with violence. A film that, he, that I was forced to watch as a child was intended to do just that. It was a black and white film of a man being tortured to death over a period of months. I was told that he was an Illuminati member who tried to leave the group with the intention of contacting news media. He wanted to warn the world about the Illuminati, but they got to him first. Uh, I was shown this film in the early 1960s when elaborate special effects were not possible. So I've always known that this film was real. The surgery done to this man was shown in segments as it progressed over time. His fingers and toes were removed one at a time. His legs and arms were systematically removed. By the time they killed him by removing his intestines, he was just a torso. I was told that his surgery was, was done without anesthetics. I first observed the film in the 1960s, but I found out in the late 1970s that the surgery had been done by a Nazi war criminal brought to the USA by CIA's Project Paperclip. I remember that in the final segment of the film, right before they started to remo remove his intestines, you could see the profound look of despair on the victim's face. But the doctor and nurse performing the surgery were smiling. The doctor performing the surgery didn't always wear a surgical mask. In some of the film segments, you could see that he was smiling with glee as he performed the operations. And although he was wearing his surgery robes, it was obvious he had an erection. Which, when I was working with the resistance group, I was shown a number of films, but for a different reason. These were films which depicted sexual rituals, animal sacrifice, human sacrifice, and cannibalism. Two of these films in particular indicated that some Satanists are obsessed with surgical mutilation. Bob, the filmmaker, uh, was an organizer of this resistance he liked, uh, he liked to be called Bob, whatever. Uh, they were trying to engineer a new leadership for the committee that's the Illuminati, that runs the Illuminati. Anyway, since Bob made films for this committee, he had access to a number of films uh, that depicted satanic rituals performed by different groups. The Illuminati is a complex system. Not all subgroups have the same practices. And the committee wanted to document the different rituals used by the different groups. That's why they filmed this disgusting ritual. Uh, one film that Bob showed me uh, documented the results of some surgery that was performed on a beautiful woman to remove her healthy arms. Um, the person that did that to her... Um, had like an obsession with her and he wanted her to look like a statue and he cut off her arms like the Venus de Milo statue. Um, it's very sick. And so these people, uh, it's total domination of another, um, you know, it's so psychologically they get off on this. Uh, so in more recent years, I've been receiving insider information, and some of this suggests this obsession with mutilation still exists among some sadistic Illuminati leaders. 
In order to push forward their massive depopulation agenda, they need to have complete control over their own Illuminati members. And even in the Illuminati system, most members would not necessarily cooperate with the massive genocide that is actually rolling out now. But when he wrote this, it said that is being planned. Although Illuminati member or Illuminati mind control is pretty sophisticated, it does not have it, it does have certain limits. Persons who have been subjected to monarch mind control may be used as sex slaves, assassins, or even entertainment performers. But none of these things require great intellectual skill. It turns out that scientists, computer programmers, and social organizers don't do well when subjected to this type of trauma-based mind control. So the problem that the committee faces is how can uh, how they can have complete control over their intellectual human resources. The solution that they've come up with is to combine surgical mutilation with certain forms of indoctrination. And we can see that rolling out. It's already happening. Okay, I'm going on. What they believe is that when surgical mutilation is combined with ordinary indoctrination, such persons can retain their intellectual capacity while becoming completely submissive to their masters. What Illuminati psychiatrists believe is that when a person is subjected to extreme surgical mutilation, this creates a permanent feeling of powerlessness. So when a mutilated person is then subjected to indoctrination, that person will accept hypnotically or hypnotic suggestions and propaganda more willingly. For example, if a computer programmer who operates predator drones was ordered to kill Christian Americans and patriots, that programmer might not comply. But if his legs were surgically removed and then he was indoctrinated to believe that it was a good thing to kill Christian Americans and patriots, he would be more likely to comply. And the loss of his legs would not interfere with his ability to operate co the computer. By the way, if you believe that the Predator Drone program was designed to kill Muslim overseas, you should think again. It's for us, you know. So I have a number of conversations with Illuminati insiders, uh, or he has had a lot of conversations with Illuminati insiders who are afraid of what their own leaders intend to do with them. One thing that they told me about was the Illuminati's plan to use surgical mutilation as a method of controlling their own members. These Illuminati insiders who talked with me about their concerns were called technocrats. These were people who used computer modeling and social science to assist the Illuminati in their goal of world conquest. Very well said. This, he's a great writer. One of these technocrats had hacked into a laptop at a Bilderberg group conference and listened into a conversation between a Rothschild and a Rockefeller. I wish I knew exactly which ones. I wish I had this recording to play for everybody. But he says, uh, this conversation was about the different ways they plan to use surgical mutilation on their own loyal members. The technocrat made a recording of that conversation, which he has played for other persons, including myself. I listened to some of this recording, and it was obvious that the conversation was a serious one. It was clear in the conversation that the two men talking believed that there is a relationship between surgical mutilation and social control. The Illuminati leaders believe that the more they surgically mutilate the bodies of their own servants and subordinates, 
the more control they will have over them. What they are now planning is an extremely widespread program of surgical mutilation. In the world culture they are planning, most people, except for the wealthiest aristocrat families, would be surgically mutilated to some degree. In this conversation, they were saying things like, gardeners don't really need two eyes. Maids and butlers don't really need both their eyes now, do they? Computer programmers don't need their legs, really. Ordinary male factory workers don't need their testicles. Ordinary female workers don't need their ovaries or breasts. Whatever body part a worker doesn't need in order to do their job, we should have that removed. They also talk about the use of plastic surgery to identify the intended social classes. We also already see that happening. Look at the Madonna weird face that they're doing. It's like, it's whoa. Uh, according to this Illuminati plan, the peasants will would have a homely faces. The police enforcers would look fiercely animalistic, but the aristocrats would have plastic surgery to make themselves look handsome and beautiful. Uh, a few months later, that same technocrat contacted me again, showing me some very disturbing video images. These were taken in a secret experimental laboratory. I was told that the victims were gathered from the homeless population and third world nations where they wouldn't be missed. Presently, there are experimental surgery techniques being developed to quickly and efficiently remove limbs. The Illuminati lab technicians have constructed experimental computerized machines that can do surgery. I looked at photos of a complicated machine that appeared to be systematically removing a man's leg. This was being done apparently as part of an assembly line approach to surgical mutilation. So the plan is to be able to remove hundreds of limbs from hundreds of victims on a daily basis. There are secret hospital environments that are being set up for this purpose. Right now, they are, they are experimenting on homeless people who they consider expendable, but eventually the Illuminati leaders plan to do this to most of their own loyal servants and subordinates. Um, also shown me uh, videos from hidden laboratories where there were disembodied heads being kept alive using elaborate life support machinery. There are ongoing experiments which are attempting to interface computers with the human brain. In the video, it was clear that some of the disembodied heads are still alive, and some of them could be seen blinking and mouthing words. <laughs> so... Like Futurama? Yes. <laughs> and we know about Matt Groening was on Jeffrey Epstein's flight log list. And it's, it's widely rumored that Matt Groening is a 33rd degree Mason. Right. So... Of the, free uh, variety, of the free variety. <laughs> right. uh, so this, uh, this is a very deep, dark look into the plans. And we can see uh, from my own research of circumcision, how what it does psychologically to people, how it causes uh, dissociation, uh, more readily compliance, uh, it's, um, and they do it to their own. 
Same with the, the Jewish people do it to their own children to make more firm subordinates in the structure. Uh, so, I mean, this is already, they're, they're used to cutting things off of people. You know, they're already used to amputating uh, perfectly good uh, body parts. So um, moving forward, uh, we see now the, the, the push to remove the genitalia of young children. Uh, this, they don't really need their genitals uh, because, you know, whatever they can do, whatever it's eugenics, but basically um, they're already starting with this. Like, and if you don't allow your kid to be genetically mutilated or, you know, genital, genitally mutilated, then you're not a good parent because you're not affirming their whatever, you know, their, they, their imagination tells them that they should be saying and doing. Um, so like this, that already is being rolled out. Like it's a good thing to sever your perfectly good body parts and they are doing it to their own. The left, like the blue haired, like, you know, liberal folk are the ones that are signing up for this, uh, you know, um, these people are already on the board and they're doing it to their own to make a more firm slavery locked in mentally. Um, and that helplessness is what they want that the look on that victim's face, he's just a torso and he sees the, okay, they're taking his intestines now. Like, there is no saying no. Like they, uh, anyway, it, it, the, once you start letting them under their skin, they are going to take away your abilities. They're going to take away our eyes, our limbs, our ability to like, before they took away our ability to make food on our own. Now they're going to be able to intercept our own bodily processes and remove body parts, which causes uh, trauma-based mind control, which makes a more compliant slave. It's, it's, it's straight up trauma-based mind control. They plan on for everybody. And, um, so surgical mutilation is, um, I'm, I know it, it might seem like, what is he talking about? Why? I mean, but they are interfacing the computers with people. They are using the human body as raw material for their objective ends, their, their will of their black magic. We are the prima materia being solve down into this like goop. And they're going to coagulate up this, uh, new golem, uh, you know, and like Norbert Wiener says, God or Gollum, are they going to create a God? Or are they going to create a total slave with this, you know, this new technocracy this, um, so they plan on total slavery. And so, uh, as Derek said before, we got to have a red line. And I think for sure the red line should be your, the barrier of your skin. Don't let them inside. Not with a needle, not with, I mean, they're already getting in with their words going in your ear. Like, don't let them go further than that because like they're going to start cutting your limbs right off you don't need that they get they're going to choose for you it's not your body like in the beginning what you were talking about property is the 
Like property is rights. And we in property, like I own this body. Same for you. And I choose what happens to it. And I choose what it says out of its mouth and what I do with my hands. And if they can hijack that, and if they can make us a cyborg, they're gonna. <laughs> so, holy crap. So I know that was some pretty black pill stuff, but you know, the listeners here, they've been in for four hours already. So uh, God bless you for listening to that. Uh, it's a tough one, but it does relate to this subject. And uh, James, what do you think about that? So um, I think a lot about that. I, I think about the, the, um, the, the the transgender uh the transgender like movement uh or fad or whatever you could classify mind control device right um but it's all about what it what it's all about is breaking down identity this is what it is all about so we've already been over this tonight but to reiterate um we use language to identify things then that's how we we use the uh, our senses to to right. give name to material things or even not material things but even living things mm-hmm. and um, my so, senses say that you are a male human sure because i see it with my eyes and right. i hear you talk but you could tell me no i'm a dolphin and i'd be like what oh okay sorry you're a- so so like i <laughs> Uh, through my yes, through the power of observation, I identify the person mm-hmm. I'm looking at as uh, a human, Whatever. a human being uh, with broad shoulders and a beard and an Adam's apple that sticks out almost to a, the the edge of his chin. Uh, you know these these attributes, and through the through the you know classifications and everything like that, I can identify that this is a this is a, a man. But like, you know, I'm just giving a name to it. I don't know what that thing really is, but that's the language that, that's used to communicate the identification. And that's how we label things. And that's how we have truth. That's how we come to truth. That's how we understand and, and work within reality. We've, we've been given language. We're born with it. We have, an, we have an innate ability to reason. And then we use our language to 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 uh, communicate that reason. So uh, when it comes to identification of things and and identity of people, this is what they want to break down. Because if you can break down identity, then they're, then you're not a person anymore. And you can't know yourself. And like, if you don't know yourself, then they know you better than you do. And they take you, they take control of you like a robot. Right. Right. I mean, of course, you know, uh, I, I being, you know, the uh, liberty-minded person that I am, I I honestly could not care less what somebody does with their own property so long as it doesn't cause harm to other people. So like if if you're a person that has you know struggles with identity, then that's up to you to figure out and I'm not going to fault you for it. However, if like if that's going to be something that like you know, starts getting pushed on other people, then we have to, we have to start questioning whether or not that is a, an, an act of aggression or violence. And typically speaking, that is an act of aggression and violence when right. you're, the way that it's been kind of enacted today, it's like, okay. They're taking away truth. It's like or, violence. Yeah. 
Right. So, I mean, like through the degradation of identity, that mm-hmm. is that is also a uh, an attempt at, you know, um, getting rid of uh, the identification of being a human. Right. It's not about gender or sex or any right. of these, any, any of these. Your this raw is, material now, right, right? This is this is the opening to the long game of like making it so you're no longer even a human. So again, slow rollout. Okay, mm-hmm. first you start with sexes. Okay, yeah. men are lo- men no longer are men. Women are no longer women. You have this kind of you know uh, swapping around. Everyone <laughs> can be whatever they want whenever they want. Some people, it's. I don't know if it's a very small group with a very loud voice, seemingly like tipping the scales into making people think that it's a larger group than it actually well, is. The Illuminati is a very small group with a large voice. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. but like these are like the like these are um, you know uh, the these are the ways in which they break down the uh, the the norms, right? Uh, and who's to say what's supposed to be normal, but I'm just saying like how we identify things and the end goal is to destroy the identification of a human being right. in itself. So they, can, if they start with the language, then that affects them mentally. Like, Oh, I am prima materia. Oh, I, you know, right. And then they that, Oh, I could just let my arm get cut. I guess I don't need my legs. I'm a computer programmer. Maybe the, you know, and maybe, uh, and that, the, oh, we'll give you credits on your social, oh, whatever. And then, um, you know, uh, in the end, they're actually creating helplessness and more uh, tied into the state with the mutilation. Right. I mean, it is, it, it, it comes down to like, uh, if, if you can change your identity from, you know, male to female or female to male, What's to stop you from changing your identity from human to uh, data? And you know what I mean? So like you're no longer trans, uh, transgender, you're transhuman. Right. So in the, in like, there are people out there and I think you all know a uh, Harari is among this, uh, this, cl- this click uh, the, that um, think that the consciousness of a human being can eventually be uploaded to to an internet type of uh, type of thing and uploaded right. uploaded and like these are the ways that people um, that consider themselves high class are seeking out immortality that they can just upload their consciousness to the net and you know they, so like this is transhumanism the transhumanism connection to what we're seeing now with the breakdown of of uh identity and and how we're seeing this you know kind of social revolution happen right in front of our eyes i mean i'm all for you know live and let live you're not causing harm you're good with my book i don't give a shit what you do but you know well if you're my kid i'm gonna say you can't do that but the government is getting in between and saying, no, you must let them do that. It's a good thing. And then they revert to government. Oh, help me against my family. Right. Right. And furthermore, uh, destroys everything. Like if they can get in between uh, because a child can't 
consciously make those choices, you know, um, you know, anyway, that we, uh, we spoke about that in episode two, I guess, on, uh, the attack on our kids, of right. black pill digest. Uh, we got deeply into that. Yeah. So, I mean, all of these things kind of tie in when you're looking at it, you know, from like 30,000 feet and, and it really, you, you have to painstakingly have a long view of, uh, well, a semi, you know, maybe not a long view, but at least, you know, a, a decent view of history and like these players that are involved right. and then like have some, have some foresight and see and see where it could go right. even the strangest things you know it's just testing the system and seeing what kind of reaction they get this is what cybernetics is right it, it, from my understanding thus far is they put things out they see the feedback based on the feedback they steer the ship right and like the shock doctrine that book like they this is how they govern with shocks like, oh, 9-11, oh, Patriot Act, okay. And then, you know, oh, COVID, right. oh, like the next thing, lockdowns are okay. So right. uh, they, they're they using emotions. Uh, they're not using critical thinking, you know, that. Um, but so, so to bring up my notes, because I love doing this, because I, like, I, I, um, I really love the titles of the episodes that, that we come up with. <laughs> Um, so to bring up from my notes that I took down, so tonight's episode has been called the digital bars on the Overton window. So the Overton window is a model for understanding how ideas and society change over time and influence politics. It states that politicians are limited in what policy ideas they can support. They generally only pursue policies that are widely accepted throughout society as legitimate policy options. So we hear this phrase shifting the Overton window that involves um, persuading the public to expand it to be wider as any policy falling outside this range is out of step with public opinion and the current political climate. So the Overton window, this is what they can pass as policy based off of what is socially acceptable at the time. So with the digital bars being all of this technology and the way that they're going to implement, implement the technocracy is basically just going to be putting digital bars on that Overton window. They're right. going to lock you down into, into what is uh, with policy and they're going to do that through, you know, social engineering. Right. And, and that's the whole point of this episode. And this is, this is a warfare Right. This, you know, this is the new warfare. Um, James Corbett uh, recently did a video and thank you, James Corbett. I've been a, a subscriber for years and years. I've been giving you a dollar a month. So thanks for letting us use your video. Uh, so um, here we have a uh, fifth generation warfare. And I think it's very important because um, it's not regular war. And the tools that they have to do this war are the Internet of Things, you know, and the mind control that goes along with it. Um, and if you'd, uh, if you'd like, James, I could uh, take, well, anyway, I'll talk to you in the chat. Okay. So do you have anything before, um, before you'd like to start? Oh, this? so, I mean, we, we're, 
we're working through these ideas based on the understanding uh, that we currently have of them. Uh, it seems very clear that these are nefarious deeds going on for an even more nefarious end. Right. And, like, and, and, it, and it absolutely cannot be trusted. Um, right. But uh, it also seems on the flip side of that, that we are so heavily um, intertwined with technology at this point in, in time that it does seem like it's impossible for us to separate ourselves from that relationship. There will be no, um, what would you call it, an amicable uh, separation, right? Like, isn't that the term? It's not going to, going to be peaceful if the separation of, like this happens. So we're kind of, kind of in it. So, I mean, we just got to be conscious. I just want to give a send off, you know, we, we just got to be conscious of the steps that we're taking as individuals and to realize that like we're, we're all playing into this and uh, take responsibility for that and, and say no as much as, uh, at all times, you know, that you can, not just as much as you can, but every time you can, every time you have the opportunity to say no, like, this, this is important to do. Um, we are subject to uh, again uh, not to open up another ra uh, go down another rabbit hole but i dig rabbit holes bro it's fine like we should be keeping in mind things like planned obsolescence of devices and stuff like that and this is how they roll out the new thing and that's why right. the thing is so like when it's like you know they don't really need to make these things so weak but they do so they can always be changing and shifting the things around and making right. it make that is an updates like the same well, thing Right. That is another aspect of how they train people into being used to always needing the new thing because the old thing's always breaking. <laughs> right. And and then also understand that you that the that the networks and everything, who who in the audience or who listening to this um really had any say about five G being rolled out? Did anyone? Yeah. Or was that done by some bureaucratic uh, entity or some government of supposed representatives and like you didn't get to say, I don't want that in my neighborhood, but they did it anyways. Right. And then next thing you know, they shut off the, they go, they go and say, oh, okay. And then you, then you may, may try to make peace with yourself and go, okay, well they can put up that thing, but I'm not using it. But then they get rid of the previous uh, operating, right. like they get rid of the 3G or the 4G. They go, this doesn't work anymore. Right. And they funnel you in to having no choice other than to cut yourself off from the technology in the first place. Right. But then they turn around and they make it so socially awkward and so damn near impossible to even even maintain a, a a job to gain the resources that you need to right. live, to live even if you're not just to live the minimalistic type of comfortable life that right. you might want to live it's 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 a trap right it's, it's a it's a trap um i think of the meme of the akbar <laughs> it's a trap it's a trap like but like and we're all in it i'm in it sean's in it we're all in it um but like the, the, the again the important thing to keep in mind is that like we can um we can change our minds and we can say no as much as as much as we can and uh, at every opportunity that we can, the option for no is there and we can move forward in like, you know, in a moral capacity right. and realize that, that, that this is possible. It's not, right. the way I put it is 
they're setting up their utopia. What makes it so impossible for mine to exist? Think about that. Right. And uh, thank you, uh, Derek Bros, for, you know, showing us like there are other systems already happening that you can like when the 3G stops working, you can get one of these like de-googled phones that he was just talking about. Like he already knows about this stuff because he's like he pays like there are uh, there are other solutions and there will always be creative solutions. Uh, and so if you if there isn't one yet, then start making one for whatever you see, because that system is a prison like the whole thing has been a prison this whole time and they're just going to sink the teeth in further like that's you know and they already got under our skin with the 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 whole bullshit from the last two years so right. i mean people need to recognize like derek was smart with it when having a red line and restricting travel because that happens in all of the totalitarian you know, uh, like just before they, they take the guns and they lock you down and they kill everybody with glasses because they can read, you know, it's uh, this is it. This is what happens. And like the yep. so we all have to be aware uh, this the you know, it, it's already happening. And, um, yep. And, yep. and, you know, the, to the point of what, what Sean said about taking the guns, I can already hear the people screaming and screaming at the radio or whatever. <laughs> oh, that can't happen here. Yes, it can get over yourself, grow up. It can happen here. It's and they, they use your family against you. They can have some aunt, somebody has an right. argument with you and doesn't like that you drink too much alcohol or whatever. And she can be like, call up the government. Go take his guns. Oh, okay. We have the authority to do so because somebody told us that you're so taking it. Like, so they already have these, you know, and people like their savior, Trump, like, you know, he says, let's take the guns and deal with the courts later. He said that. I mean, these, nobody's going to save you. So you need to keep your gun because <laughs> you're going to have to save yourself, you know. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> So yeah. with that, uh, we keep your gun because it's a war. And James did a wonderful uh, presentation. It's about thirty minutes. And uh, James Corbett, not me. Yes, yes, James Corbett, CorbettReport.com, and he's got voluminous work. And anybody that hasn't heard of him, um, what are you doing? Go to CorbettReport.com now. Uh, because it's really a wonderful source of information. He's a great critical thinker. And, um, you know, I'm very glad that he made this because it's very uh, pertinent to what we're dealing with and what uh, the technocracy is a weapon. Uh, so please, James. Oh, and all right. Very last thing, I, I promise. Uh, okay, it's fine, bro. It's we, fine. we we are working on a uh, on the gilded server. It's it's in the works. It's just uh, quite a project to catch up before we make it available to the public. Um, so we want to make sure that once it's a one that it when it's available that it's ready. It's not ready yet, but it will be. We're working on it. So thank you for your patience with that. If you've been hearing me talk about that and you're, you know, uh, 
you're waiting for that, I appreciate you waiting for that. But it is coming. It it's coming. If I build it, they will come. It's so. good, man. I'm glad that we're you know we're trying to find a different thing, not Discord. Uh, I was actually kicked off a of discord multiple times for me being a free thinker you know and microsoft is gonna buy discord it's like it's in the works it's happening so it's great that there are other there's gilded there's um uh, there's there's other choices that people you know uh be aware don't just oh i don't like iphone so i'll get the google phone you know like there's other that's you know like there's infinite possibilities. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure if, James, if you're trying to make this the end, but uh, after this 30 minute, I wanted to play another video afterwards. And I can take the helm if you wanted to go. Uh, but I wanted to play another thing from another friend of mine that uh, it relates to the warfare, it relates to the technocracy. And I think it's a wonderful piece that should be shared. Uh, and I, I can introduce it here if you want. Well, if you if you don't if you don't mind, and, I'll take the helm later. And uh, and because I've been up for almost twenty four hours, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so I mean, I would I wouldn't mind if uh, <laughs> I wouldn't mind going and laying down. Yeah, dude, it, it was it was a fantastic performance today, and um, very uh, that was a very polite um, uh, exchange. That uh, I think it was very good. Um, to you know i think it was good for everybody and like we can uh i think we 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 did great today and i'm very happy and i'm very glad for the next one we're planning uh for next month we're going to be looking at um how they are taking away our our body's health uh through uh the food and uh that's uh we have a uh, planned out we're 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 looking at guests and um i'll, I'll be very glad uh that my, my wife jennifer jennifer rose is going to be joining us and uh she's going to be explaining a lot of what she's learned uh with the attack on our bodies through the food and really the obese people it's they're obese because of the toxins it's like the body is like but we'll get into that. Certainly. Yeah, that, that's going to be a great episode. Um, so um, I'll take the helm. And so this first video is going to thank you, James. And it was great doing a show with you again. And fantastic. And we made it like so four hours and almost five hours. Very good job. You woke up and, you know, you've got <laughs> James works on a different schedule than everybody else. He, you know, he's a. He's, he's there and done before you wake up and get ready for work. So um, thank you, James, for uh, sticking with it and being awake here for because it's a great show. And I'm glad that yeah. this is the only time that we can share these times between us with our, our work. And so yeah. I'm very uh, happy to have today. And thank you. Yeah, me too, man. Thank you. Uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, I, I bid you all adieu. I, I, I love you all out there. We, I do this out of love. Um, and I really want to encourage other people to go out, look into these things for yourself. We're going to include as much as possible in the show notes as far as links and references. Um, I, but verbally, I want to encourage people to go and check out Kevin Cole's work at unityofthepolis.com. Uh, 
and then uh, check out Danny McCarthy's work at uh, storyofnowhere.com. Yeah, and, that story of nowhere is a great. That one's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then the uh, he did an episode, the Doomsday Device, right, which, which we, relates. Uh, we actually tried to contact him; it didn't work out. But uh, that Doomsday Device episode is the beginning. And it happened in the Middle yeah. Ages. Like it's really interesting. So people should check that out. Take take uh, t- the story of nowhere podcast from episode one and go forward because yeah, that's that's how that, that's the best way to yeah, to do it. Um, but yeah, that's it for me. And I will uh, uh, I'll see you all next time. My name is my name is James Quarterner. My website is freeyourmindne.com, and my personal podcast is a hitchhiker's guide to truth so uh come over to my website check it out and uh i'll see you all next time cheers good night james good night bro we are in the middle of a world-changing war right now oh i don't mean the war in ukraine the one that all the media are asking you to focus your attention on Yes, that conflict continues to escalate, and every day there are new stories about provocations and threats that could lead to a nuclear exchange, but that's not the war I'm referring to. No, the war I'm talking about is an even broader war. A war that has taken place everywhere on the globe, even as I speak, and that involves virtually everyone on the planet, young and old, male and female, military and civilian. It is the war of every government against its own population, and every international institution against free humanity. This is no ordinary war, however. Most of the victims of this warfare aren't even able to identify it as war, nor do they understand that they are combatants in it. It's called fifth generation warfare, and I'm here to tell you all about it. I am James Corbett of The Corbett Report, and this is your guide to fifth generation warfare. What is fifth generation warfare? So what is fifth generation warfare anyway? And come to think of it, what were the first four generations of warfare? Good questions. For an in-depth answer to the latter question, you'll want to read The Changing Face of War Into the Fourth Generation, a 1989 article from the Marine Corps Gazette co-authored by William S. Lind. And you'll want to watch Lind's presentation on fourth generation warfare and the end of the Westphalian order. This city and every capital in the world is completely oblivious to the fact that it is caught up in a change in warfare so great that it not only makes our current defense and foreign policies obsolete, it essentially makes obsolete the whole framework within which we think about defense and foreign policy. The change is what I call the rise of fourth-generation war, and this is specifically the fourth generation of modern war. We now think of foreign affairs and defense totally within the framework of the state. State armed forces are designed to fight other state armed forces, but that reality is changing. What's happening around the world today in more and more places is that state armed forces find themselves fighting Not other state armed forces, but fourth generation forces, non-state forces. In a nutshell, Lind's thesis is that the modern age of warfare began with the Treaty of Westphalia in 1648, which, he opines, 
gave the state a monopoly on war. From that point on, modern warfare went through three generations, namely first-generation warfare, the tactics of line and column developed in the era of the smoothbore musket, second-generation warfare, the tactics of indirect fire and mass movement developed in the era of the rifled musket, breech loaders, barbed wire, and the machine gun, and third-generation warfare, the tactics of nonlinear movement, including maneuver and infiltration, developed in response to the increase in battlefield firepower in World War I. This, according to Lind and his co-authors, brought us to the late 20th century, when the nation-state began to lose its monopoly on war and military combat returned to a decentralized form. In this era, the era of fourth-generation warfare, the line between civilian and military become blurred. Armies tend to engage in counterinsurgency operations rather than military battles, and enemies are often motivated by ideology and religion, making psychological operations more important than ever. But, some argue, we've now entered a new era of warfare, namely fifth-generation warfare. There's still much debate about what defines fifth-generation warfare, how we know we're engaged in it, or even if it exists at all. Lind, for one, rejects the concept. Various scholars have made their own attempts at defining fifth-generation warfare, or 5GW, like Dr. Wasim Ahmad Qureshi, who identifies it as the Battle of Perceptions and Information, or Chao Liang and Wang Shangshui of the People's Liberation Army, who write of the era of unrestricted warfare, in which a relative reduction in military violence has led to an increase in political, economic, and technological violence. If academic debates about the changing nature of warfare are your thing, then there's plenty of reading for you to do on the subject, from the handbook of 5GW, a fifth generation of war, to a slew of academic articles. But for the purposes of this presentation, I'm not interested in that debate. In fact, we're going to use a decidedly non-academic definition of fifth-generation warfare from an Al Jazeera article as our starting point. The basic idea behind this term, 5GW, is that in the modern era, wars are not fought by armies or guerrillas, but in the minds of common citizens. There are two important things to note about this definition. The first is that fifth-generation warfare is not waged against either standing armies of nation-states or guerrilla insurgents, but against everyday citizens. The second is that the war is not being fought in a battlefield somewhere, but in the mind. Let's expand the definition somewhat to include the fact that this war is being waged at all levels, not just the mental. The gist of it is this. Fifth-generation warfare is an all-out war that is being waged against all of us by our governments and the international organizations to which they belong. It's being waged against each and every one of us right now, and it is a battle for full-spectrum dominance over every single aspect of your life. Your movements and interactions, your transactions, even your innermost thoughts and feelings and desires. Governments the world over are working with corporations to leverage technology to control you down to the genomic level, and they will not stop until each and every person who resists them is subdued or eliminated. The most incredible part of all of this is that so few know that the war is even taking place, let alone that they are a combatant in it. The best way to understand this war is to look at some of the ways that it is being waged against us. Information Warfare Stop me if you've heard this before, but this is an info war, and the powers that shouldn't be are engaged in a war for your mind. Of course, 
You have heard of InfoWars if you've been in the alternative media space for any length of time, and for good reason. Information warfare is an absolutely essential part of the war on everyone that defines fifth-generation warfare. The most obvious way to understand this is to look at the actual military forces that are engaging in psychological operations against their own citizens. It says here, a letter from Nova Scotia government sent out to residents to warn about a pack of wolves on the loose in the province was forged by Canadian military personnel as part of a propaganda training mis mission that went off the rails. The letter told residents to be wary of wolves that had been reintroduced into the area by the provincial and federal governments and warned the animals were now roaming the Annapolis Valley. The letter, which later became public, sparked concerns and questions among residents, but was later branded as fake by the Nova Scotia government, which didn't even know it was the military who was behind the deception. The training also involved using a loudspeaker to generate wolf sounds, the Canadian forces confirmed to this newspaper. <laughs> Guys, let, let that sink in for a second. They created a fake letter from the government, put it out there saying that there's dangerous wolves, and they set up loudspeakers in the area projecting out wolf noises. Th th this isn't just research, you know, this just isn't just a training exercise. They're actively engaging in this psychological operation to scare people using loudspeakers? This is unbelievable. But it's not just out-and-out -out military operations by soldiers dressed up in camel fatigues that are part of this fifth-generation infowar. In the war on everyone, the establishment uses every means at its disposal to manipulate the public's perception. Take Richard Stengel, the former editor of Time who bestowed Time's Person of the Year dishonor on you back in 2006, who chaired a Council on Foreign Relations conversation in which he defends the U.S. government's use of propaganda against its own citizens. Basically, every country creates their own narrative story. And, and you know, my old job at the State Department was what people used to joke as the chief propagandist job. We haven't talked about propaganda. Propaganda, I'm not against propaganda. Every country does it, and they have to do it to their own population. And I don't necessarily think it's that awful. Or take Hill and Knowlton, the PR firm hired by the Kuwaiti government to create the Nayura deception in the first Gulf War. They took the babies out of the incubators. Took the incubators and left the children to die on the cold floor. Who were retained by the WHO in 2020 to identify celebrity influencers who could be used to amplify the scamdemic messaging. The One World Together at Home event showcased the who's who of top music stars and celebrities who came together over the weekend for a special broadcast of music, comedy and personal messages all in gratitude to those around the world on the front lines of the coronavirus pandemic. So what can we do? We gotta take care of our healthcare workers and we gotta buy them time by taking care of ourselves. The event was led by the World Health Organization and the nonprofit group Global Citizen. Or take the UK government's scientific pandemic influenza group on behaviors, which outright admits that they use psychological techniques to manipulate the public into fearing the scamdemic a move that even some of the panel's own members called totalitarian. And no one bats an eyelid. Perhaps the most insidious part of the fifth-generation Infowar is that it has become so normalized that everyone knows it is happening, but no one thinks of it as warfare. Of course everything is advertising and propaganda, 
And of course it's being used to manipulate our behavior. That's just how the world works, isn't it? But we ignore the real nature of the Infowar at our own peril. After all, I've often observed that this is a war for your mind, and that the most contested battle space in the world is the space between your ears. You might have thought I meant that metaphorically, but actually, I mean it quite literally. Which brings us to... Neurological Warfare If you listen to Dr. James Giordano speak without listening to what he's saying, you get the impression he's merely an articulate, well-informed scientist who's passionate about his research. When you do listen to what he's saying, however, or even just look at his PowerPoint slides like the NeuroST for NSID slide, you realize that he is Dr. Strangelove. Or if not Dr. Strangelove himself, then at least Dr. Strangelove's spokesman. But it's not nuclear Armageddon that motivates Giordano. It's what he calls weapons of mass disruption, the various technologies for neurological intervention that the US military and militaries around the world are developing. These include, in Giordano's well-rehearsed pattern, the drugs, bugs, toxins, and devices that can either enhance or disrupt the cognitive functions of their target, like the high CNS aggregation nanoparticulates that, according to Giordano, clump in the brain or the vasculature and create essentially what looks like a hemorrhagic diathesis. As sci-fi as this sounds, he insists that these nanoparticulates and many, many other horrific neurological weapons are already being worked on. The idea here is that I can get something called high CNS aggregation material that is essentially invisible to the naked eye and even to most scanners because it is so small that it selectively goes through most levels of filter porosity. These are then inhaled either through the nasal mucosa or absorbed through the oral mucosa. They have high CNS affinity. They clump in the brain or in the vasculature, and they create essentially what looks like a hemorrhagic diathesis, in other words, a hemorrhage predisposition or a clot predisposition in the brain. What I've done is I've created a stroking agent, and it's very, very difficult to gain attribution to do that. I can use that on a variety of levels, from the individual to the group, highly disruptive. And in fact, this is one of the things that has been entertained and examined to some extent by my colleagues in NATO and to those who are working on the use of neurobiological sciences to create populational disruption. Very, very worried about the potential for these nanoparticulate agents to be CNS aggregating agents to cause neural disruption. And just in case you didn't get the point, you'll notice he illustrates his slide with an image of a human brain in the crosshairs of one of these neurological weapons. There's nothing hard to understand about the picture that's being painted here. We're at war with an enemy who is literally targeting our brains. But yet again, it isn't just the literal use of neurological weapons by conventional militaries in conventional war settings that we, the largely unwitting combatants of this fifth-generation war on everyone, have to worry about. As my listeners already know, avowed technocrat Elon Musk is trying to sell his Neuralink brain chip technology to the hipster crowd as a cool and sexy way to upgrade your cognition, or so the coming AI godhead will have mercy on us, or something like that. Anyway, you should totally stick the Neuralink in your head at the earliest opportunity. And definitely don't ask any questions about why so many of the macaque monkeys and other test animals that Neuralink were using in their brain-machine interface experiments have dropped dead. To anyone not yet a victim of the information warfare operation designed to prepare humanity for the coming transhuman dystopia, all of this sounds insane. But for those who have fallen for the Infowars psyop of the enemy, 
These types of mind-altering technologies are exactly as advertised. Exciting opportunities to upgrade the feeble biological wetware we call our brain. But if you think you can avoid the biological aspect of the fifth generation war by simply avoiding the brain chip, you're out of luck. You're also going to have to deal with... Biological Warfare The bio-warfare narrative is, understandably, back at the forefront of the public consciousness in recent years, not just because of the scandemic, but also because of the questions being raised about the US-backed Ukrainian biolabs and whatever work they may or may not be doing on Russia's doorstep. This picture, for example, comes straight from Army.mil, which was only too happy to brag as recently as last July that US soldiers were conducting hands-on training and field training exercises with Ukrainian troops in laboratory and field environments that included ensuring the readiness of deployable mobile laboratories. Nothing to see here, folks. Perhaps the only surprising thing about the article is that they haven't scrubbed it from their website. Yet. But once again, if we're only thinking of biowarfare in conventional military terms, we neglect the much, much wider operation to manipulate, control, and weaponize all aspects of our environment, our food supply, and even our genome itself for the purposes of the ruling oligarchs. This fifth-generation biological warfare being waged against us includes the mRNA and DNA and genetically modified adenovirus vector vaccines that have been normalized over the past two years and which, as the miraculously lucky companies that bet it all on this technology like to brag, is reprogramming the software of life. The genetically modified organisms, both GMO crops and GMO animals, that are now being unleashed upon the world in an uncontrolled experiment that puts our health and the very future of the biosphere in jeopardy. The push towards synthetic, lab-based food that is being funded by the usual eugenicist billionaires and which threatens to sever humanity from the natural abundance of the earth, make us dependent on an increasingly shrinking number of companies for our food supply, and ultimately to drive us towards a Soylent Green-style future. I'm sure you can fill in the blanks with myriad other examples of the attacks upon the world's air, water, and biome that constitute this unconstrained fifth-generation biological war being waged against us. When and if you do put the pieces of this puzzle together and seek to warn people en masse that they're under attack, your ability to resist this agenda will be predicated on your ability to use your accumulated resources, your wealth, to foster communities of resistance. Don't worry, though. The enemy has that domain covered, too. Economic Warfare Given the events of recent years, even the sleepiest of the sleepy now realize that we are in a period of economic warfare. This war, too, has its conventional aspects. On the 2D board, we've seen the NATO empire launch its weapons of financial destruction at Russia, and, exactly as predicted, it has resulted in the consolidation of a convenient geopolitical boogeyman block and a gigantic loss of faith in the international monetary system itself. And, also as predicted, it has supplied the problem and reaction needed for the technocrats to present their predetermined solution of central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs. Just ask Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock. The war will prompt countries to reevaluate their currency dependencies even before the war, several governments were looking to play a more active role in digital currencies and define the regulatory frameworks under which they operate. This isn't merely a battle between nation-states or even competing power blocks. 
This is a battle being waged by every authoritarian power structure and every government, but I repeat myself, against their own citizens for control of the most important resource of all of them, their wallets. Yes, we're seeing the beginning of a truly world historical moment, the collapse of Pax Americana, the death of the dollar reserve system, and the beginning of an entirely new monetary paradigm, the central bank digital currency system of programmable money that will be able to algorithmically control when, how, and if you are allowed to transact in the economy at all. We only have to look to recent events in Canada to understand what this will look like. This perfect control of humanity, down to the level of being able to witness and ultimately to allow or disallow any transaction between any individuals at any time, represents the apotheosis of technocracy and one of the key objectives of the fifth generation war itself. As this nightmare comes closer and closer to reality, all seems hopeless. But then again, that's exactly the point. The real war. I could go on, and on, and on, and on, but hopefully you get the point by now. There is a world war happening right now. It is a fifth generation war, or whatever you want to call it. It is being waged across every domain simultaneously. It's a war for full-spectrum dominance of every battlefield and every terrain, from the farthest reaches of the globe and beyond, to the inner spaces of your body, and even to your innermost thoughts. And it is a war on you. Recognizing this, the task we face seems nearly insurmountable. How are we to fight back in a war that the majority of people don't even recognize is taking place? How do we fight back against an enemy that has spent decades refining its weapons of economic and military and technological and biological control? How do we fight back in a war that is not taking place on two fronts or even three fronts, but in every domain and battle space simultaneously? Framed like this, our prospects do appear hopeless. But therein lies the key. Our perception that it is our duty to fight back against the enemy in their war, on their battlefield, on their terms of engagement, is itself a narrative frame. And that narrative itself is a weapon that is being wielded against us in the battle for our minds. You'll allow me the space here to quote myself at length, because this is a point I've made many times before, perhaps most notably in my conversation on the anatomy of the New World Order that I had with Julian Charles on the Mind Renewed podcast 10 years ago. Well, I'm intrigued by the, the idea that we've been given false templates to follow in terms of solving our problems or of fighting enemies. And I think part of this false template that we've been provided through so much social conditioning and, and the media that we consume, etc., is this idea that we must find the heart of the organization. We must find the head of this organization. We must somehow kill that person or that group or whatever it is, eliminate that, and everything will magically turn to the better. And I think that that is a false template that we've been given. And, and one only has to think in broad terms that pretty much every science fiction dystopia you've ever seen. And in the end, if it turns out positively, it's only because they have managed to decapitate the head of the beast in, in whatever way it is, um, <laughs> whether it be the Lord of the Rings or Tron or any, any of these types of movies or, or things that you can think of. The idea is you kill the, the head bad guy and everything turns magically into a peaceful utopia. And I think that that is fundamentally completely the wrong way to look at it because 
I don't think that at the end of the day that the particular individuals who may or may not be the ones holding the ultimate ring of power at this particular moment are irreplaceable. On the contrary, there are many, many people who would be so chomping at the bit to get into that position of power should that old guard be swept away for whatever reason. And I think it has to be something that is a more fundamental revolution, not of overthrowing a specific instantiation of this idea, but overthrowing the idea altogether. And that can only come, I think, from the building up of an alternative system to which people want to actually apply themselves rather than attempting to simply have some wage some sort of heroic war that will solve everything once and for all. I think we have to actually just detach ourselves from this system that we've been woven into. And unfortunately, that's probably as difficult to do as that analogy would make it sound, because we are so woven into a fabric of society that it is difficult to imagine really extrapolating ourselves from all of these processes that rely for so many of our daily needs on these vast, overwhelming corporate infrastructures that tie into these various organizations that themselves pull the strings of various governmental institutions. It's such a vast and un unwieldy system that it can seem quite overwhelming at times. How can a single individual affect this? But I think that we have to look for any and every possible point at which we can at least start to detach ourselves from those systems of control, to start to try to reassert some sort of independence. And that can be an extremely small thing, like, for example, instead of, I don't know, going out and buying your, your groceries at the grocery store, perhaps you can go and buy them at a farmer's market, or at least some of your groceries you can get at a farmer's market, or you can grow it yourself in a, in a vegetable garden or something of that sort, is a tiny thing on the individual level. But I think it is the only thing that in the long run can lead to the type of society that we want to bring to fruition. I think, again, it's the small things like that to which if we start to apply ourselves with diligence and with perseverance that in the long run we'll be able to overthrow this. But unfortunately, as I say, we are on this cusp of this scientific revolution which makes a scientific dictatorship possible. So unfortunately, we don't have necessarily generations of time in which to do this. So that puts a bit of a time perspective on this, a, a ticking I don't want to say time bomb, but you get the idea, a certain time limit to the accomplishment of this, which means that we don't have a lot of time to waste in deciding which of these structures we want to give ourselves over to. Either we continue going into this technological structure that is part of this corporate matrix, which involves even such things as buying the next generation of iPhone, which they're already saying is going to have its uh, own fingerprint scanning technology and, and all of this corporate technological, industrial, defense, military, big brother, spy grid matrix to which we're signing on every single day of our lives willingly and, and knowingly and actually paying our money to buy into, or we start creating alternative structures which don't rely on that system. And it's a choice that we have to make in our lives, I would say, more quickly than has been apparent at any other time in human history. My regular viewers will understand what I'm proposing here. The creation of a parallel society. We won't achieve this by asking for more scraps from the master's table, or by gently complying as we're herded into ever more constrictive technological pens, or by thinking that we can win this war by engaging the enemy in their controlled domain. We can only achieve this by creating our own table, our own economy, and our own communities of interest. This will require the long and difficult task of increasing our independence from the authoritarian systems in every domain. The information domain, the food domain, the health domain, 
the monetary domain, the mental domain, and every other contested battle space in this all-out fifth-generation war. Easier said than done, of course, but there is no alternative. Some will say, but won't they come after that parallel society? As if that's a rebuttal to what I've laid out here. The point is that you are already the target of the enemy, in a war that most people but dimly understand is happening. Yes, the enemy will come after you, but they are already dominating you in more ways than any one person can fully understand. That doesn't stop just because you comply with their demands or take part in their system. We must stop playing their game. We must stop fighting their war. We must stop ceding our power, our authority, our time, our attention, our energy, and our resources to engaging the enemy in their terms on their battlefield. We must create our own parallel society on our own terms. And so we rediscover an old piece of wisdom. To paraphrase, fifth generation warfare is a strange game. The only winning move is not to play. War is over, if we want it. Your Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare Transcript and Sources CorbettReport.com Slash Fifth Gen Hello, this is James Corbett of The Corbett Report, the creator of Your Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare, the report that you've just been viewing. And if you are new to the Corbett Report, I wanted to take a moment to explain that what you just witnessed was the visualization of an editorial that I wrote last year for the Corbett Report subscriber newsletter. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this, every weekend, or every weekend except the first weekend of the month, I put out a subscriber newsletter that includes a subscriber editorial along the lines of the one that you just witnessed. And that is available 100% completely, totally freely available to the public at corbettreport.substack.com, where you can find that weekly editorial um, being published completely for free. You can sign up for the free email uh, list so that you will get the email when it goes out, but you don't have to sign up. You can just read it right there on corbettreport.substack.com. But on corbettreport.com, my actual website, you can get the full subscriber newsletter which includes not just the editorial, like your Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare, but also recommended reading and viewing and listening, as well as a subscriber discount code for DVDs and other purchases at the New World Next Week store. That's a lot of information to take in at once, but I just want people to know that what you have just witnessed was actually written several months ago, and if you would like to find out about what I am writing as I am writing it, you should consider visiting CorbettReport.com, following the RSS feeds there, and or signing up for my Substack so you can keep up to date with the information as it comes out. And if you are already familiar with the Corbett Report and you do appreciate this work, then let me reiterate for not the first time that this is completely dependent on your support. I am a reader-supported publication, so if you would like this work to continue in the future, I do require your monetary support. You can sign up to become a member of the Corbett Report website, which gives you login access to log in and leave comments on the site, as well as to access that subscriber newsletter in its entirety that I was talking about earlier. If you would like more information about that, you can find it at corbettreport.com members. Thank you sincerely for your time and attention. Thank you in advance for helping to spread the word about this incredibly important information. And I look forward to talking to you again in the near future.
so that <clears throat> that was that uh this is me sharing your video james thank you and i, I hope everybody does uh subscribe and uh you know listen to what he's thinking because he's very astute and he's very uh he's he's giving us gifts and i'm very glad that uh i could share this video with us today um so those are silent weapons uh for quiet wars you know we've we've heard about this before um a good friend of mine uh leah boone she uh created a well she she does a uh she's done a video where it it, it goes into the silent weapons for quiet wars and uh the document that bill cooper revealed in uh Behold a pale horse, and uh, this we can see it happening. It is it is uh, apparently unfolding, and um, it relates to the topic of technocracy. I I played about six minutes of it in the uh, geoengineering episode uh, because there's a portion that relates to that as well. Um, this is a, a wide-ranging video. It, it, it makes uh, it connects many dots, and technocracy is the main uh, the main weapon in this quiet war. So, I want everybody to check out uh, occultorigins.com, I believe. I'm going to make sure that's right before. Uh, but anyway, I want everybody to uh, please visit uh, occultorigins.com. And there's a video there that we can, uh, we can all see for free. Uh, it's titled The Illuminati Meta Matrix. And please enjoy, everybody. Uh, if you've been here for this long, uh, this definitely deserves your attention. And thank you for joining us on Black Pill Digest. The Illuminati Meta Matrix. Silent weapons for quiet wars, the destruction of the US dollar, genocidal COVID-19 vaccines, international biometric passports and data collection, and the elite satanic ideology. The COVID-19 pandemic rollout is the pretext to advance the destruction of the US dollar and transfer wealth to the elite. The plan is to remove the creditor after the value of the currency has been destroyed and the wealth has been harvested. The method to remove the true creditor is war and death. The end game is the reaping of human energy and wealth and ultimately genocide through vaccines and other methods of toxic exposure. These are the new silent weapons for quiet wars. This method has been used over and over again by the bankers. The old world order is reset to the new world order. The goal of the vaccine passport is to connect with a wider international database to create a worldwide meta matrix of monitoring and surveillance. 
This is the merging of technology and biology described by the Fourth Industrial Revolution and the transhumanist agenda. This is the pinnacle of technocratic authoritarian control over humanity. A worldwide web of digital surveillance and control, tracking, and social engineering through digital IDs, vaccine passports, data harvesting from social media sites, and one world government regulations on freedom. In the U.S., the deadline to convert to a federal ID called the Real ID is 2023. They're partnered by the Department of Homeland Security, the Transportation Authority, and the Aviation Association. These are agencies that are already invested in the vaccine passport rollout. Tracking the effects of the devaluation and the success of the social engineering is done through data collection and analysis called shock testing. In China, the vaccine passport is tied to a biometric database for the same restrictive purposes. The metaverse is economically embedded in this system under the pretense of a fun and exciting user experience in augmented reality. Meta money will be included in your electronic profile along with your biological details and social conformity status, all subject to control and surveillance through coercion and violence. You cannot be more deeply immersed in the new high-tech shock testing protocol than the metaverse. Every sense you make, every breath you take, every word you speak, every move you make, they will be tracking you. This book is called Behold a Pale Horse by William Cooper. William Cooper was an officer of naval intelligence who became a whistleblower regarding the classified documents that he read in his military career. Let's review this information and make some correlations. I'm going to read and paraphrase. I read top secret documents which explain that silent weapons for quiet wars is the doctrine adopted by the policy committee of the Bilderberg Group during its first known meeting in 1954. A copy was found in 1969 in the possession of naval intelligence. The following document was found in an IBM copier that had been purchased at a surplus sale in 1986. Silent weapon technology has evolved from operations research, a strategic and tactical methodology developed in England during World War II. The purpose was to study the strategic and tactical problems of air and land defense with the objective of effective use of limited military resources against foreign enemies. They discovered the same methods may be used for controlling a society, but better tools were necessary. Social engineering requires the correlation of great amounts of constantly changing economic information. High-speed data processing was necessary, which could race ahead of the society and predict when the society would arrive for capitulation. The computers at the time were too slow, but they developed the simplex method of linear programming, the transistor, 
the great expansion of the computer field by reducing space and power requirements. With these three inventions, it was possible for them to control the whole world with the push of a button. The Bilderberg Group, the elite, the United States Air Force, the government, declared a quiet war on humanity. Who would be the beneficiary of all this knowledge, all this power and control? In 1954, this was the issue of primary concern. Although the so-called moral issue was raised, in view of the law of natural selection, it was agreed that a nation or world of people who will not use their intelligence are no better than animals who do not have intelligence. Such people are beasts of burden and stakes on the table by choice and consent. Consequently, in the interest of future world order, peace and tranquility, it was decided to privately wage a quiet war against the American people with an ultimate objective of permanently shifting the natural and social energy wealth of the undisciplined and irresponsible many into the hands of the self-disciplined, responsible and worthy few. In the view of the ruling class elite, you are consenting to their manipulation, control, and the quiet war being waged upon you by not defending yourself from their tactics. What makes them worthy? Their ideology, as you will see. The elite ruling class are practicing the true dark occult ideology of Satanism. Satanism is self-apotheosis at the expense of others. They seek to rule in hell over serving in heaven. They are working to create hell on earth that they can rule over by inverting goodness in every instance that they can affect. They engineer dialectical problems and then swoop in to provide the solution so that they maintain the perception of necessary authority over society. They practice self-apotheosis, social Darwinism, moral relativism, solipsism, and eugenics. Social Darwinism describes a system where whoever rises to the top wins. When they referred to the law of natural selection or the law of the jungle, they were relating man's role in society to animals having to hunt and kill and adapt to their environment or die off. It's the dog-eat-dog social structure that people are taught to live by through scarcity-based mind control and indentured servitude to the government. The law of natural order is not natural law and it does not apply to humans who choose to behave morally. Natural law is universal law that scientifically describes the spiritual cause and effect mechanics of behavioral consequence through observable trivium-based methodologies. Natural law is spiritual law because our alignment with creator or unity consciousness 
is determined by our actions, not our beliefs. When we work in coordination with the generative principles of life and Genesis, we are the mirror of creation, as above, so below. We create order and harmony by moving in synchronicity with God's elegant machine of mathematical perfection and beauty. Working against it through immoral action will hasten the de-evolution and entropy of order and manifest as chaos. Natural law applies to people's actions, not animals, because animals do not have the intellectual capacity to reason right from wrong, whereas humans do. Moral relativism describes subjective morality. The elite believe that they are the arbiters of right and wrong and choose to work in defiance of God's universal decree written into the fabric of creation, self-ownership, and do no harm. Objective morality is based upon the inherent right of self-ownership that all beings possess. The dark occult elite ruling class wants you to embrace solipsism, that there are no eternal truths while they work to defy those very truths. They will call suffering and death for their greater good because they believe that they are the arbiters of truth and above God's law. They're practicing eugenics by controlling the population, the quality of life that people can obtain, and directly using methods to cause them harm and death, including toxic food, toxic water, toxic air, toxic medicine, and toxic ideology. The COVID-19 vaccine is a genocidal tool to expedite the final solution of the ignorant masses. That's what they think of you, undisciplined, irresponsible animals. They want you tagged, tracked, harvested, and bagged. Back to Behold a Pale Horse by William Cooper. In order to achieve a totally predictable economy, the lower class elements of society must be brought under control, must be housebroken, trained, assigned a yoke of long-term social duties at a very early age. Lower class family units must be disintegrated. Everyone is sent to government-operated daycare slash indoctrination centers. With such an initial handicap, even bright lower class individuals have little, if any, hope of extricating themselves from their assigned lot in life. This form of slavery is essential to maintaining some measure of social order, peace, and tranquility for the ruling upper class. They ostensibly want to bring peace, order, and tranquility to humanity. And this is why they call themselves the Illuminati. Their ideals and knowledge of the universal forces that perpetuate the outcome of people's actions define them as illuminated above all others. They understand that people have the ability to create original meaning in their lives and they desire to predetermine your fate and choose that meaning for you every step of the way on your lifelong journey. 
they have this down to a science. Within their matrix, the game is rigged and you will never escape. No matter what you achieve, you will never rise out of this system. From birth, they begin injecting you, controlling what you learn and think, and enrolling you in a system of servitude and slavery. The technological advancements that they need to ensure that your transformation is complete have now arrived. The pretext of a pandemic has allowed them to fast track the implementation of these systems. Your assimilation is guaranteed because you will not be able to live, work, or play in the matrix without it. They own you, your property, and the fruits of your labor. This is not the future. This is the present. Back to Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. This is the descriptive introduction of the Silent Weapon. It shoots situations instead of bullets, propelled by data processing instead of chemical reaction, operating from bits of data instead of grains of gunpowder, from a computer instead of a gun, operated by a computer programmer instead of a marksman, under the orders of a banking magnet instead of a military general. Social engineering think tanks like the Bilderberg Group implement these programs through various foundations and governmental programs. They use these to manipulate and steer society towards the means that they want to end up with. They own the educational institutions and the media. They have the wealth, the health, and the freedom that they've taken from the people. The justification is that you didn't know to stop them. It's biological warfare, economic warfare, and it attacks the vitality, the freedom, and the wealth of individuals in a society by knowing, understanding, manipulating, and attacking their source of natural and social energy, their physical, mental, and emotional strengths and weaknesses, and bombarding them with toxins. Meyer Anshel Rothschild discovered the missing passive component of economic theory known as economic inductance. What Mr. Rothschild had discovered was the basic principle of power, influence, and control over people as applied to economics. That principle is, when you assume the appearance of power, people soon give it to you. He convinced people that fiat currency was an endless fountain of backing. He loaned people and governments money that he didn't have in exchange for actual collateral. All these great deals on loans caused everyone to get into debt, and then more money was printed and the currency became devalued. People couldn't pay their mortgages and loans, and all of their collateral, their property, was transferred to the bank based upon that manipulation leaving the bankers to reap all of the actual wealth. 2021, the circulation of U.S. dollars went from $4 trillion to $20 trillion. We are in the midst of a great reset and transfer of wealth from humanity to the ruling class elite through the manipulation of the currency. 
The currency is being devalued, meaning it is worth less than it was before with every dollar printed. The devaluation of the currency serves as a hidden tax. They're destroying your wealth and everything you've ever worked for. Your money will be worth less and less, and they're going to take your property and your home. That is the inductance, transferring your energy, your currency, your wealth back to them. And that's what the bankers and ruling class elite are doing. That's what's happening right now at warp speed. War is the methodology of the bankers to remove the true creditor, the people. War is therefore the balancing of the system by killing the true creditors, the public, for which we have taught to exchange true value for inflated currency. War is the final stroke of the blade to remove the damaged party and reset the system. They kill you to end the cycle. They loan you money back by nothing, make that money worthless and reap your wealth. Then they remove you from the picture by killing you. Here we have the entire purpose of the methodology of the Great Reset, to take your wealth and create a net of totalitarian control that ensures your destruction. The Great Reset is a war upon humanity. The final key to economic control had to wait until there was sufficient high-speed computing equipment to keep close watch on the economic oscillations created by price-shocking and nexus paper energy credits, currency inflation, and the breakthrough within the aviation field providing the greatest evolution in economic engineering by way of mathematical theory of shock testing. To use this method of airframe shock testing in economic engineering, the prices of commodities are shocked and the public consumer reaction is monitored. The resulting echoes of the economic shock are interpreted theoretically by computers and the psychological economic structure of the economy is thus discovered. Then the response of the household to future shocks can be predicted and manipulated and society becomes a well-regulated animal with its reins under the control of a sophisticated computer-regulated social energy bookkeeping system. This is what they learn about you from the digital surveillance matrix. Eventually, every element of the structure comes under computer control through a knowledge of personal preferences, such knowledge guaranteed by Computer Association of Consumer Preferences, universal product codes, credit card data, tracking from websites, etc. It's much more sophisticated now that we have so many methods of data collection in our lives. They hope to tie it all up in a bow with an international meta matrix of biometric surveillance and total domination. How are they keeping this plan on track? How do they figure out what programs and restrictions to implement and when? They do a shock test and make an adjustment. They apply that to economics, banking, law, every aspect of control over people's lives. They want to track your wealth, your vitality, your mobility, 
and use that data to monitor and shock test the digital metamatrix of control. This is why data collection is the primary function of Facebook and Twitter. You are the product that they sell. Everything you buy, everything you do is tracked by someone. All your data is going through a central database and being controlled because they're creating a profile of you. That is the purpose of data harvesting and biometric databases, to manufacture your consent, your control, and your lack of freedom. Let's keep reading. The economic model, it was felt that with sufficient mathematical foundation and data, it would be nearly as easy to predict and control the trend of an economy as to predict the trajectory of a projectile. Such has been proven to be the case. Moreover, the economy has been transformed into a guided missile on target. That has never been more true than it is now. Your data will predict the need to implement more restrictions on freedom, the devaluation of the currency, the transfer of the wealth upwards and out of your hands, the harvesting of your energy and the need for war, suffering and death. It will advise the social engineers to implement and adjust their propaganda and mind control programs. And when the pot is about to boil over, they'll turn down the flames and ease the prohibitions. When the public is fully mentally entrained and asleep, they will roll out the next round of restrictions and reapers. The Stages of Genocide, an academic model for analyzing the events and processes that lead to genocide was created by the founding president of Genocide Watch, Gregory Stanton. Classification, people are divided into us and them. The vaxxed, the unvaxxed, the masked, the unmasked, the reds of the blues, the endless polarization fed into the minds of people from the complicit lamestream media perpetuates the division and creates the Hegelian dialectic problem-reaction-solution. When they step in with the solution, it always means more authoritarianism and less freedom. The 9-11 ritualistic false flag attack and the Patriot Act are an example. Symbolization. People are forced to identify themselves. Vaccine passports, biometric databases, international passports to travel and enter government buildings are reminiscent of Jews being forced to wear yellow stars and have tattooed numbers. It's the same belief system. Discrimination. People begin to face systematic discrimination. Mandatory identification using the vaccine passport to be able to have a job, go into a restaurant, go to a school, a gym, do anything at all in society are forms of discrimination. Dehumanization happens when they're equating people to animals, vermin, and disease. You're automatically considered to be diseased and must wear a mask and be compulsory, tested, and tracked. Discrimination is dehumanizing. Organization. The government creates specific groups of military and police to enforce the policies. Police worldwide are militarized to the teeth 
to ensure total compliance. The UN is forming a world governance, including a police force. Polarization. The government broadcasts propaganda to turn the populace against the group. The nonstop astroturfing of COVID-19 fear and compliance in the mainstream media, the purge of all truth-based media platforms and censorship of dissenting voices creates an unchallenged dialectic that polarizes the masses against truth. Preparation, official action to remove or relocate people in places in the world, China, Australia, South Africa, they're relocating people into COVID camps. Society has allowed internment camps to come back to the world. Persecution, beginning of murders, theft of property, trials, massacres. The athletes dying mid-game of heart failure is a thin slice of the shock test that is currently in effect. They represent a wider body of deaths that are not as high profile and subject to public scrutiny. SADS, Sudden Adult Death Syndrome, is a new term to explain and cover up these vaccine-related deaths. Extermination. Wholesale elimination of the group. It's not extermination and not murder because the people are not considered humans to the elite. After the wealth has been stolen, the filthy animals need to stop breathing so much air. The quiet weapons have their uses. Denial. The government denies that it has committed any crime. We're already seeing the mock panels and Senate stage shows pretending to hold people accountable. It's all theater and they're all part of the cast. This is a freedom of information request to government agencies requesting that they provide evidence that SARS-CoV-2 has ever been isolated from a human host. This request has been done in many countries to many agencies around the world and no agency or government can provide this document because it doesn't exist. They have a make-believe virus, an in-silico virus, which means computer-generated. Doctors and virologists are exposing this scam worldwide. This one is no infant formula needed. Here is another piece of correlative evidence of genocide. China's largest infant formula maker said sales would drop sharply in the next one or two years since many women cannot bear children within six months of coronavirus vaccination and thus delaying births. Statistics are showing a dramatic increase of miscarriages since the COVID-19 vaccine has been distributed. The occult mockery is the dark shine of the Satanists. It describes the practice of showing off their witchcraft in public. The dark shine is hiding in plain sight. It's the inversion that gives you notification of the violation against you and mocks your ignorance. Some people believe that the revelation of the method acquits the violator of their actions and it is technically informed consent 
by those too ignorant to learn the language of symbols. I differentiate dark shine as an additional display of witchcraft for the amusement of those in the know and the public exaltation of those on the path to self-apotheosis. Operation Warp Speed Operation Warp Speed was a private-public partnership initiated by the U.S. government to facilitate and accelerate the development, manufacture, and distribution of COVID-19 vaccines, therapeutics, and diagnostics. The actual Warp Speed operation is trying to get as many people genocided as possible after reaping their wealth and printing enough money to stretch to the moon and back. The COVID-19 vaccine is a genocidal, silent weapon of quiet war that is designed to maim and kill. Operation Warp Speed is a cult mockery. They're mocking you with references to popular culture, their main tool for demoralization and propaganda. They put William Shatner, Captain Kirk from Star Trek into space. This is hysterical to the ruling class that their Operation Warp's beating you to genocide. It's blatant occult mockery. I use clips from the opening ceremony of the 2012 Olympics as a portion of the B-roll of this film because it is dark shine through and through except here I tell the true story of the symbology, the story of the bankers, the industrial revolution, the technocratic occultocracy, and the false authority of the elite and the government, and the social engineered war being waged upon humanity. Baphomet, the symbol adopted by the Satanists, represents the goal of perfect social order. Their order with themselves as the self-appointed gods and rulers. Solve et coagula to dissolve and congeal or destroy and create. Meaning a new world order for the ages. A great reset. Corresponding to the Freemasonic order out of chaos. The highest levels of Freemasonry are known to be satanic orders. Government officials, royal family members, and wealthy elite have all been exposed through the satanic Pizzagate scandal of pedophilia and human trafficking. The Olympic ceremony is the celebration of Sol Invictus, the unconquerable sun. The religion with no name practiced by the dark occult Luciferians referred to here as Satanists and the elite or Illuminati. They've spelled it out for us in plain sight. They are dramatizing a mythology of their own self-apotheosis 
and their dominion over humanity. I want to note the collusion of the Air Force in their alliance to the elite and the Bilderberger Group. The Air Force's technological shock testing analysis became the model for global electronic slavery and domination. It was an Air Force copy machine that held a found copy of Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. It was the Air Force that participated in the 9-11 charade and the Air Force going along with the further charade of people going into space. Who is at the epicenter of non-disclosure regarding the high-technology UFO craft being witnessed in this realm? Who do we think is chemtrailing us on a daily basis? The Air Force has dominion over the airspace. Are they responsible for what is likely the true source of widespread illness? Published governmental geoengineering programs admit they are spraying barium, aluminum, and strontium. They are raining heavy metals down upon us almost on a daily basis. The Corona Commanders Conference, established in 1944, meets three times a year to discuss the direction and management of the Air Force. One of the main team players in the War on Humanity has the same name as the tool of their destruction. Incidentally, the Air Force adopted the doctrine of establishing total domination in cyber warfare in 2006, now handed over as a department encapsulated in Space Force, aka Cyberspace Force. Their cyber warrior duties include the mission of perception control. The U.S. Air Force secures the electromagnetic realm as defined in their memos. That also means the 5G electromagnetic spectrum. 5G is a military operation and part of the metamatrix of control and new infrastructure needed for global domination, control, and oppression. The Air Force are agents of the dark occult, and they've been flying under the radar long enough. It's a big payday for hospitals, educational institutions, celebrities, politicians, the Illuminati elite controllers, and all of their agents. People in governments, hospitals, law enforcement, they're all getting big paydays for their compliance in the COVID-19 agenda. Billions of tax dollars are funding this operation. As you can see, it's one rule for me and another rule for thee. The masks go on for the photo shoot as the elite make rules that do not apply to them. This is more occult mockery. The elite ruling class dark occultists 
are a false authority who believe that they have rights and you do not. They ostensibly want to protect peace, tranquility, and harmony on earth, but only for themselves at your expense. This is the plan that was written into the Georgia Guidestones. The elite believe that they are gods on this earth who can decide what morality is, and they seek to rule in hell over serving in heaven. They're in direct opposition to the natural law principles of do no harm and the right to defend from harm being done. People have to wake up, stand up, and fight for freedom. Back to Behold a Pale Horse by William Cooper. I do recognize this document based upon documents on admission as a formal declaration of war by the Illuminati upon the citizens of the United States of America. I acknowledge that a state of war exists and has existed between the citizens of the United States and the Illuminati aggressor. Based upon this recognition, I present to you that the peaceful citizens of this nation are fully justified in whatever steps may be necessary, including violence. Let's correct that to force, since self-defense is never a violation, to identify, counterattack, and destroy the enemy. I base the statement upon the God-given right of any peaceful people to defend themselves against attack and destruction by an enemy waging war against them. I cite the principles outlined in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution of the United States, and the fully recognized and acknowledged historical precedents that have served as the justification for the destruction of tyrants. He's referring to 1776. The Bill of Rights is the document worth mentioning. It's a reiteration of your unalienable, inherent God-given rights. You were gifted your life, your body, your consciousness by the creator of the universe, and you can do anything on God's green earth that you want to, so long as your behavior does not violate the rights of or willfully harm another sentient being. That's what your rights are. And should someone try to remove your rights, you have the God-given right to protect those gifts and defend yourself. That is the end-all, be-all to freedom and sovereignty in the universe. Humanity has every right to defend themselves from the dark occult Illuminati ruling class and the war on humanity. It's not just a right, it's an obligation to protect the gifts that were given by the creator of the universe, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness via the universal principles of natural law, God's law. The only thing that can stop the inductance the transfer of energy, wealth, freedom, and life is resistance. Freedom is the right that must be protected from wrong. The future of freedom is in your hands. Be the resistance.
God, that was great. That she put in 42 minutes what we've been doing for the past six episodes, like five hours each episode or whatever. Uh, that was great. It really connected all the pieces. And it shows why they're doing this data collection, why they're getting into our heads. Like, what is the purpose? And we see it's a genocide. Uh, uh, everybody definitely needs to visit occultorigins.com and uh, they can view that video for free, download it. Uh, you'll see what else she does next for her next proje uh, projects will be there. So uh, everybody, uh, please visit that. And thank you very much for joining us. Um, we, uh, everybody... We, we do, uh, we, we all need money for the inductance of our, you know, they're stealing my wealth and like my time and I'm a slave and same with James and, uh, same with Hans and Derek and please, and Leah and everybody should visit our websites and please donate because we, everybody needs the help right now because they're really squeezing the vice. So please visit the links and thank you so much for joining us today on Black Pill Digest. We will see you next time. Thank you kindly.